My name is Thomas Vale, or at least it was. I'm a photographer. I had it all. A wife, Allison. Friends, a career. And in one moment, it was all taken away. All because of a single photograph. I have it. They want it. And they will do anything to get the negative. I'm keeping this diary as proof that these events are real. I know they are. They have to be. Welcome to the final episode of Nowhere Men, the Nowhere Man podcast. My name is Gabe. And I'm Steve. And today we're going to be talking about the final two episodes of the hit 90s TV thriller action comedy. (laughs) Uh, Nowhere Man. No, it's not a comedy. Uh, We're going to be talking about the episodes Marathon and Gemini. Or Gemini Man, depending on where you are seeing the title. Interesting. On the DVD, it's Gemini Man. That's what I had for the title on YouTube. On IMDb, though, it's just Gemini. Okay. And um, I feel like I've read it just as Gemini elsewhere, so I I don't know. We'll see, I guess. Uh, We'll see what what we think is the proper title. So, yeah, we've been, you know, we always have these disclaimers for listeners, uh, if this is the first episode you're listening to, first off, what are you doing? <laughs> Second off, uh, we started recording this about exactly two years ago. Yeah. Uh, two years, maybe in a few days. I can't remember if we started before the new year or after. Right. And uh, none of the episodes are out yet. So if you, maybe you're listening to this and like, oh, the new year just happened or something. Uh, no, that's not probably not the new year we're talking about. <laughs> uh it is today we're recording this on January 2nd, 2021. We started this in either very early January 2019 or December 2018. Yeah. yeah. We've been very slow recording this. We're going to be very slow getting this out. But uh, uh this is a very very long-term project for us. We've been doing this for a long time. Also, it's been like a month and a half since the last time we recorded. Yep. So yeah, so if we're a little little rusty on things, uh, forgive us. But yeah, it's it's kind of crazy that number one, I mean, it's crazy that it's taken us this long to do this stupid project. But yeah. but I mean, just that like we've stuck with this uh-huh. for a very long time, yep. and I'm I'm proud of this. I don't even know if anybody because again, none of these episodes are out yet. Right. I'm not sure if anybody's even going to listen to it. Yep. But regardless, if you're here, if you're listening to this. Thank you for coming along this journey with us. I very much appreciate it. Hopefully, Steve, you appreciate it too. Yeah, absolutely. It's a lot of hours um, invested. It very much, very much has been. So, so yeah, um, I'm I'm excited to get into this episode, and you know, I think uh, I think we'll have some fun stuff to talk about. I I'll, one thing that I'll say off the bat, I rewatched both these episodes. I, I I took notes on these episodes several weeks ago, but uh, I rewatched both episodes today, and during the first of the two marathon. Um, I had a moment where I, I I turned to Lisa and I said, there's there's a lot of things in this episode that I'm going to enjoy complaining about. But overall, I think that Marathon is a very good episode. And then Lisa turned to me and said, I like how it's about the show. Like Marathon is actually about the show. Yeah. It's not Tom goes on a wacky adventure yeah. with some psychic kid. It's not Tom is in a, you know, 50s romance novel or whatever. Right. It is Tom is actually doing things relevant to the show. Yep. And I listened to the commentary for Gemini. Oh, okay. And uh, 
I, I've actually listened to it twice. I listened to it once back when I took my notes. I had, I had, I think I had just listened to it before taking my notes, and I didn't really have anything in my notes from the commentary. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Did I not remember anything from the commentary? I didn't remember much from the commentary this time either, because there isn't really most of the commentary is basically uh, Lawrence Herzog and Art Monterostelli, who wrote Art Monterostelli wrote, I believe, both of the last two episodes. More on that later, uh, and. They're basically both just kind of complaining about how they were burned out by the time they got to that episode and how unhappy they are with the fact that they had to give actual concrete information to the viewers. Okay. Lawrence Herzog talked about how his intention was to stretch out this this plot, like the the revelation at the end of Gemini he was hoping to have happen five, six, seven seasons into the show. Mm-hmm. And what is all I have to say to that? <laughs> like, what would the show have been if not that? Like, they, they, there are several points in the episode, particularly near the end, where, you know, a, a bit of concrete information falls in the, the, the viewer's laps. And they both kind of, you know, would make comments of like, oh, well, now the show's not interesting anymore. <laughs> and it's like, if you think that, then... I have to ask what was making it interesting. I mean, they talked about like, oh, the a mystery is only interesting as long as it's a mystery. And that doesn't work if the mystery wasn't interesting to begin with. But it, it's just, it's, it's frustrating because clearly they had a very different vision for the show, a very different goal for what they wanted the show to be than, than what I would expect. And I don't know. It's just the, the things that I wanted out of this show feel like very natural things to want. And it's strange to hear the creator of the show being actively disappointed in having to nail down anything. Yeah. But that tracks with what we've seen. Yeah. That it does. That that that, does. that that tracks with the assumptions we've been making for why certain choices were made. In many cases it was we gotta keep the mystery alive as, as much as possible. Um, yeah. sort of even to the detriment of uh, clarity. Sure. Because there's a difference between confusion and mystery. Yeah. Um, m- mystery is you've you've got enough pieces and you don't know how they fit together and you're trying to figure out, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what about this is Maybe relevant? Maybe you're missing like one important piece, but you can still tell they're part of the same picture. Right. You can feel the shape uh, emerging the longer the, that you watch. Whereas um, this show actively avoids giving you that that it's not written to be a mystery um right because a, a mystery has a a conclusion um and they and they really just wanted you to be i really feel like they they conf, they wanted you to be in confusion not mystery sure i feel like that's what they i feel like that's what they wanted because because there's a thrill to figuring out a mystery that in 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 you know what I'm hearing you say they said during the commentary I haven't heard the commentary but from the show and what I've heard you say just then seems like they don't want to give the audience the excitement of solving the mystery yeah it's it's kind of like they want the audience to just live in just just drink in the, the environment of the mystery yeah the, the 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 sort of and i think that's what he he must have meant when he said i wanted to tell stories about the human condition sure i think that that must have been he liked the idea of no one knows what's going on in real life and so it was meant to be this literary work that was less 
about a plot. It was more about what it is to be a person who doesn't know what next step to take and trying to capture. It feels more like a watercolor painting sometimes uh, than, than a TV show that it was meant to just be this. um, I've seen, I've seen posts since the pandemic of uh, people saying, wow, now I really understand why so many of the paintings during plague times were just like naked women lying on a chaise lounge uh, eating, you know, grapes okay. or like not eating grapes because they couldn't even work up the will to eat grapes. Like right. there's a certain amount of um, it feels sometimes like this show is trying to capture hopelessness and the fight to keep uh, to keep sanity alive or something. That it feels like it is—it's meant to be more theme than it is plot, and they were frustrated that they had to do plot. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so these episodes were uh, the—it the, is very much a a two-parter. Like I had I had talked previously about, I I felt like the first one, I felt like the last two episodes, one led in right into the other, and they very much do. However, upon watch, upon this most recent rewatch, which was just a couple hours ago, um, I'm struck by how strange it feels when you do watch them right in a row. I feel like there are certain things that are directly contradicted between one episode and the next. I thought surely they were, they had to have been written, although they probably had an outline, surely they were probably written by two different people. Maybe even the first one was finished and then the second one, somebody else took over and was like, no, I'm going to change this part. But no, they are both written by Art Monterostelli, with the exception of uh, Lawrence Herzog also has a writing credit on the second one. He has a creator credit on all of them, but uh, he has, uh, if I'm not mistaken, two credits on the second one because it's, you know, he's creator and writer. So it's real weird. And I'll probably point out some of those things once we get into the second episode, because I think on its own, the first episode, as I mentioned, you know, when I turned to Lisa and said like, oh, that's a good episode, whatever. Um Marathon works really well on its own, and it, it sets up an exciting conclusion. And the conclusion in Gemini isn't bad. It's got some problems, but it has problems that are, again, directly contradicting things that we just learned in the immediately previous episode. Another little bit of thing from the from the commentary is that I don't necessarily believe this, but Lawrence Herzog kind of made it sound like they had an idea for the final twist very early in the show. He didn't really say exactly when. It kind of sounded like almost like he was talking like they had the idea for the twist before the show started, which if I didn't know the twist, I could say, oh, yeah, maybe that's what the show was. But knowing the twist, even just in the immediate previous episode, it feels like they didn't know what the twist was going to be. Yeah. And, you know, we're not actually going to, we kind of talked about this before we started recording, we're not actually going to spoil the end twist until a little ways into the second of the two episodes, because there are some things I'm going to bring up that do kind of make it a little bit confusing. However, I also do have some things that the twist at the end recontextualizes for the whole series. Absolutely. So, um, yeah. So, uh, episode 24, Marathon aired on uh, May 13th, 1996, which I believe was one week after uh, the previous episode. It was directed by Steve Stafford, and uh, like I said, the writer was Art Montrostelli. The only notable cast member I could find was Kayla Blake, who plays the character of Jenny, who has a pretty big role in this episode. Uh, She was on 40 episodes of the show Sports Night. Yep. 
That's, that, I, I mean, I haven't seen Sports Night. That's so what I was, was going to say. That's what I know her from. I figured you would. Yep, yep. Yep. That's what Aaron Sorkin did before West Wing. So I've I've seen yep. that plenty. She does a really good job in this episode. Mm-hmm. I think her, her character has a lot of nuance. Um, do you have a one sentence elevator pitch for this episode? Oh, I forgot that part. I did silliest and smartest, yeah. but I forgot that part. Uh, Tom breaks into the FBI, but are they friend or foe? There you go. Uh, mine is is less clever and more just matter of fact. Uh, Tom finally meets up with someone from the actual government, and he finally starts actually doing something about his actual erasure. <laughs> so we start off with a narration from Tom, as usual. Um, I was, re- you know, I keep hoping that like maybe because, especially in the last couple episodes, there there have been some significant, you know, like oh, is this going to change everything? I keep hoping that maybe they'll have like a new intro. They don't. I, I guess I can't blame them. But anyway. That would be cool, though. That would be nice. Yep. It would it would be helpful if the intro changed notably once he's sure. once 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 we got into the 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 memory loss part of our mm-hmm. uh, of this sort of mini arc. Yeah, and that's actually uh, if I can make a comment. Um, I mean, kind of spoilers. The memory loss doesn't come back. Like from from the uh, the Callaway episode at the end of that episode, they've they set up, you know, oh, his memory is going and he's and it's he's got a ticking clock. It does not ever get mentioned again. That was one of the I I think I would say that is like the biggest, coolest twist that this show has had. And ultimately, it meant absolutely nothing. It could have so easily been worked into these two episodes, but it wasn't. And that's disappointing. I was going to ask, could you give us a very brief recap of the last couple of episodes just because it has been so long? Yeah. Do you do you think you could do that? Because I uh, let me... figured it'd be easier for you to recap these than me because you've seen them a lot more. Sure, probably. Uh, so we have... I'll do... So we had the, uh, the Hidden Agenda episode, which had The Voice... Have Tom tell him all about how he took the photograph or Tom went to Nicaragua or whatever. Yep. Uh, and then at the end of the episode, we find out that, uh, no, that was all, that was not true. Tom finds the hidden agenda uh, gallows outside of Washington, D.C. We then have Doppelganger where he is investigating. He's still using the Palm Top computer. He's investigating someone that apparently another journalist that worked in the same area as him. So he was going to go and try to like verify some information with her. When he gets there, there is another Tom Vale. Okay. The, he gets sort of caught up in there and then he, the other Tom Vale tries to kill him. He gets that Tom Vale killed. And then the, the other, the other journalist also gets killed in the, the other Tom Vale kills that journalist. Um, and then he throws away the computer through a lens. Darkly, Tom is kidnapped and taken to his, like his Childhood old home girlfriend's home. Right. And then he is broken down by laser magic. And eventually he's about to give up, but then he remembers who he is and he doesn't give them the thing. And then he leaves Uh dark side of the moon. He is mugged by a gang member. <laughs> yeah. You can skip it. I remember this one being irrelevant. You can skip it. Yes. This is Callaway. <laughs> Uh, he's suffering from am- from insomnia. Yeah. He finds out that there was a study going on at Callaway Hospital, which he was at in the first episode. Right, right, right. Um, he goes back there, and one of the former inmates is taking on the Dr. Bellamy role. Yep. He manages to get 
him and the doctor out of there. And the doctor tells him, they erased my memory. They erased yours. Or the, and and it was with you. It's chemical based, and it's going to happen over time. You are you're going to start losing who you are, and so Tom seemingly has a ticking clock, and he has to figure out how to stop it. The next episode is zero minus ten. He wakes up in the hospital, having just been in a having been in a coma for some time. He's back in his old life. Allison is there. Larry is there. Um, but it turns out, nope, it's all another ploy. Larry gets killed a second time, and uh, Allison uh, tries to get the negatives but fails, but also doesn't kill him, and he walks away. And that leaves us where we are. Okay. Thank you. So, we start off the episode. When the people you love have betrayed you, and you can no longer distinguish between what's real and what's not, you begin to see the entire world in a new light. Even the simplest objects take on a new meaning. A pack of matches, a cigarette... A man trying to warm himself from the cold. A single strip of film. Just when I began to accept the ultimate meaningless of hidden agenda, I found new meaning in the negatives. There was a small section of negative from the picture right before hidden agenda that I hadn't seen before in any printed photograph. The arm and shoulder of a man using a field radio. The radio itself seemed normal, but as I continued to enlarge this section... The frequency code stood out. And th- this is, it's pretty long. And while this is going on, we see some other stuff like Tom's walking down the street. There's a beggar trying to light a cigarette and asking for some change. Tom gives him some change. Uh, the camera lingers on the the homeless man. Like Tom, I think, does Tom light him a cigarette? I don't remember if Tom actually lights a cigarette or not. But the camera sort of lingers on this, like uh, this, this homeless man. And there's a dramatic bit of musical score, but it doesn't, lead to anything like it's it's gone halfway through this uh this narration they're just they're trying real hard to create an air of mystery even where there isn't necessarily one um so tom blows up the photograph in a do-it-yourself photo developing lab steve just put some food in his mouth so he can't interject even if he wanted to i have to ask like is this a thing are there studios that you can just like i mean like non i don't know school based or whatever are there just like oh, pay for some studio or some 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 uh, photo developing time. Uh, there might have been back when people were using non digital. Like I have no mm-hmm. idea. I know there was when I was out in California. There was a guy who edited documentaries, and he charged a certain yeah. amount per day, and then roughly that same amount for use of his studio. So yeah, um, he, basically when you when you it was like something like five hundred dollars and five hundred dollars, um, mm-hmm. and ba- or like five hundred and six hundred. And basically, um, it, when you hired him, it cost eleven hundred dollars if he was there, or you could just yeah. rent his suite and do it yourself. So it could have been like he was renting another professional's studio, though that seems weird. Just like I mean, the sign on the door is like "Do it yourself photo developing," <laughs> and that that just seems real. I, I don't know. I feel like anybody who was actually a photographer would have a a better would have some sort of connection other than just a business on the street. I don't know. I could be wrong. I'm not a uh, a photographer. Well, and and you know, know, you have to remember there would have been photography hobbyists. True. That's someone who doesn't have a camera phone. They own a camera, but they're not. You know, they yeah. wouldn't necessarily have room in their house for a dark room. So I I could conceive it. Yeah, maybe. Um. We've we've said in the past uh, that 
you know, Tom should be studying the negatives more. Yeah. And this is absolute proof of that. <laughs> Tom says he notices a, a detail in the negatives that he's never seen before. Dude, you're the guy who took the photos, who developed the photos, who has been carrying around these negatives or stashing them or whatever for the last who knows how long, nine months or whatever. Why haven't you seen this in any of the... Who would have seen these, Tom? Who printed out the photos for you that didn't show you this part? Nobody. Yourself. It's ridiculous that finally when Tom <laughs> does actually study the negatives, it immediately leads to the endgame. So... Immediately. <laughs> yes, it does. Um, I So when I was originally watching this, I was trying to square this a couple of different ways. I said, okay, maybe, because my recollection was in the 0-10 episode, by all accounts, where he stored the negatives, there's no chance that the organization couldn't have easily found them because th sure. they were in the same location. They were in an uncreative location where they captured Tom. So by all yep. accounts, that place would have been torn open. They would have found the negatives. So I was originally going with, okay, maybe these are new negatives. These were these are these are a plant. They're trying to get him, yeah. right? And the fact that then there is a a follow follow up uh, uh, thing that happens immediately within within a day and four hours of him. It is ridiculously convenient how immediately upon listening to this radio frequency, something something directly relevant immediately happens yeah so it does kind of feel like it was a it was a plant right and watching the episode i do not believe that's the case i believe this is Correct. this is, I, I ultimately arrived at this was a gaffe because mm -hmm. if it were a plant it should feel more like uh Basically, when he gets to the the person who he talks with in this episode quite a bit, he should mm -hmm. instead of feeling like, okay, I gotta I gotta figure this guy out, but ultimately I'm gonna trust him. He should figure out yeah. that you know, no, this guy's just after the negatives. I should kidnap him and take him in a plane somewhere. You know that that he, yeah. he doesn't have his regular distrusting you know response to this guy yeah there's even a part at the end of this episode tom should 100 percent expect that he is about to be assassinated yeah yes yep yep and so um, so that was one of the ways i tried to square it yeah uh the other way is it could have been something with the callaway stuff where it could have been used as a nod for okay maybe he is being implanted to finally notice this there's a yeah. thing in um, Doctor Who called a perception okay. filter, and it's sort of uh, the way my understanding of, of ninjas would simply know where a person's peripheral vision ended and be able to sneak in because they were just masters of knowing where you couldn't see what your blind spots were. And sure. in Doctor Who, there's a sort of invisibility cloak, quote unquote, that that is that. It's a perception filter. It, it, it forces people to look away from a thing. So they're perfectly visible. Just you have to like use willpower to look at it. And so I was like, okay, maybe it's like that where that where he's had some some psychological, you know, experience over this time. Maybe they are now forcing him to see this again to trap him in in some some new thing. But but truly, neither of those work really well with with this episode. It feels like the point is, um, OK, Tom 
Tom gets a break. And, oh, man, this is exciting. He's, he's finally yeah. seeing some stuff. I think it would be possible to salvage this with a character. Mm-hmm. It would need to be, you know, uh, the uh, the episode I can't stand because I feel like it didn't contribute in this to the story anyway. The the gang episode, the yeah, dark side of the moon. The closest that that came to being relevant was there is some "Are you going home to moment that she asks Tom at the end, and he yeah. sort of thinks about it, and it sort of does help set up the Allison episode a little bit. If it was a character who had gotten close enough to Tom that they could convince him of his own mistakes Mm -hmm. i think you could get something out of if tom instead of going there was a new part of the photograph i never noticed like i saw a movie recently where julie andrews had had screwed something up she was a character and she screwed something up and she and in julie andrews mary poppins voice said you idiot stupid 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 and it was fascinating to see this you know (laughs) see julie andrews getting upset if julie andrews can get upset with herself and tom vale can't (laughs) Right. This is such a big flub that the response should be, Tom, you idiot. How did you miss this? That's what a person would say. Not I found yeah. a part of this that I'd never noticed before. Maybe it's relevant. Maybe it's not. I don't want my emotions to get the best. <clears throat> I don't know. You know what the hell it should be. Either he notices it completely accidentally like he does and he castigates himself for it or sure. a character in a previous episode sets up the idea. Tom. You you latch on to the first thing that you think you saw, you know, if, if if someone could suggest, have you even looked at the other photos on that reel lately? Yeah. If someone like all he, all he needs is a prompt from a character sure. who knows him well enough. And it, it doesn't even have to be directly related to negatives. It could be a it could be a corollary for the negatives. It could be some other run of objects that he could be paying attention to. And he fixated on one. And someone goes, did you know this one's got the answer right here? Or whatever. I don't care what it is. But um, yeah. they could easily set up this idea that that indeed in this episode. Because we, we try to salvage these episodes with a little work as possible and with as little reaching back to previous episodes because we'd love to just start page one right but that's yeah. sort of uninspiring let's see what we can do if if we were brought on today so i think you could get it with with just a character making him realize that because he isolated himself so much it's really easy for him to miss simple things yeah and that's that thing about if you're dumb surround yourself with smart people if you're smart surround yourself with smart people who disagree with you I would have loved to have seen this show be, even though he can't trust people, he can still get things from them. I would have loved to. The show thinks Tom is that smart. So I would love to Tom be able to tango with people and he's just able to not get sucked down into a manipulation and is still able to sharpen what he knows and investigate and ask questions. Um, yeah. But so much, it's just I found a new thing. I'm going to go check out the new <laughs> thing. That's what this episode yeah. is. Um, so your idea for how to fix the beginning of this episode is, you know, it is also if you want to turn it into a character moment, you know, a way to build or develop the character and solve the problem that way. I'm actually I have two ways that this could have been solved without any character development. Okay. Uh, one, the I would say the slightly easier way. These are both pretty easy because it's actually no, that one's the harder way. I guess the harder way. If it starts out with Tom going into this photo developing place, he develops photos, and then his narration says, I've been looking at the negatives for the last few months. Mm. 
and I just today noticed this thing. It's still like, well, why didn't you notice it before? But who knows? We've all had things like that. You stare at something for months. Here, he's like, I never saw this before. If he made it clear that it's not for want of trying, <laughs> yeah. he's been he's been looking. That's that's one way. I would say a better way, though, that is directly in line with this episode. He goes to that photo developing place because they have a big sign on the window that says new technology. <laughs> we have a new photo developer thing. You know, we've got all this this top of the line stuff. And, you know, sure, let's maybe have like I had to pay extra to do this, whatever. But then he's like, oh, my goodness. Now I can see details I could never see over the last nine months yeah. because they have developing software or hardware or whatever that I couldn't use before. Because later in the episode, that happens. Mm-hmm. That directly happens. <laughs> and Tom knows that it exists. He knows that the, he, he sees a bunch of photo developing stuff and he's like, oh, yeah, I know what this is. If he said that That's at the beginning of the episode, then that would have been a perfect. And then then with the uh, the listening, the, the listening in just when something happens to occur, if if that was. I've been, you know, I saw this this radio frequency, you know, two months ago, and I've been listening in every chance I get, uh, and then today something finally happened. That is better, yeah. That would be cool. Yeah. Because I'll, I'll just, we, we, we're kind of uh, skipping through this kind of nothing scene, but basically Tom sees a radio frequency in, this, in the negatives. He goes to a radio shop, I guess, shows the frequency to this guy, and the guy says that. Um, that's like, it's a restricted code kept clear by the FCC to be used by armed forces, reconnaissance stuff. Normal people aren't supposed to know. They then go into the guy's back room. They're listening in. And then like immediately they hear, they hear heritage house is a liability comments, immediate downsizing use extreme prejudice. And then like all the alarms start going off. Everything starts sparking. And then Tom just leaves. End of scene. There is a line. They did a head nod to this. It's a. It's a. It's not nearly enough. Yeah. But they say. But he's. There's a line about. You know. Oh, we could listen watch, to another. Could listen for hours, and we could listen to another anything. four hours of dead air. You know, at, at this moment, and then of course they don't. Yeah. <laughs> Immediately something happens, but but yes. Show a montage or something. You don't even have to have the actors get up. Just like turn the lights up or down a couple times. The show loves going from day to night. Why didn't they do it then? Yeah. There you go. Show, throw a couple, you know, put an empty pizza box, then another empty (laughs) pizza box, then another empty pizza box. Uh, Anyway, but yeah, immediately after listening, after they start listening to this, they find, they hear this, you know, strange message from this restricted government frequency or whatever. Um, everything starts blowing up. Tom just leaves. I got like, I mean, you know, no, we don't need to come back to this. Just assume that this guy's place burned down. (laughs) Um, speaking of, of missed opportunities though, there's a a, a missed opportunity here that I mentioned on my other podcast, interparty conflict. I mentioned this in a a scene that got cut, but I was, I was telling Jeff about this. I thought it was great. So we have some, some voiceover from Tom. There were two heritage houses in the greater DC area. One was a furniture store, the other some kind of research company. I decided to check out the research company first. On the outside, it seemed like just another quiet brownstone. Now, I have to say, why are you doing this, writers? Don't say there's a furniture store and a research company. I went to the research company first and then have it just turn out to be the research company. 
I would so much rather the research company be a dead end. Tom has to go to a furniture store. That is the front, is a furniture store. If you aren't able to show the furniture store, don't mention the furniture (laughs) store. That is so much more interesting to me than just, yeah, there's a furniture store, but there's a research. Of course it's going to be the research facility, obviously. Don't tell me you had a chance to show me a, a furniture store that might have been a front for a government operation and then not show me the furniture store that might have been a front for just just don't have that line of dialogue yeah. just say it's a research facility or whatever i went there it looked like another brownstone yeah uh, the, missed opportunity the, the, right there the, the, the- intention there i'm pretty sure was to try to make it seem like he couldn't just immediately find like they were trying to limit the convenience that was happening but yeah didn't didn't succeed at that to be fair this show doesn't ever have tom go places and then immediately find what he's looking for he he usually has to you know talk to a a car dealership person (laughs) or something when you were saying anyway. that you had built this thing up in your other podcast, I was like, does he want him to go to the furniture store? Like, is this going to be a bit? Because you're sort of, I was like, is this going to be, I, imagine if he went to the furniture store and like, then he gets a job at the furniture store. And now it's just, now nowhere, <laughs> man, it's just a sitcom of Tom working at a furniture store. I mean, I mean, that would have been fun. <laughs> but I just mean like, when, when you're writing, if there's one option that seems like the obvious option right. and one option that clearly isn't. Don't present both of those unless you're going to have the obvious one not be it and then have the not obvious one turn out to be it. Because obviously the research place is going to be the one. Don't say, yeah, there was a furniture store, but I, I, I'm i going to go to the furniture store second. Obviously you're going to go to the furniture <laughs> right. store second. Don't tell me unless it's going to turn out to be the furniture store. That's, I know it's, it, it's not a big deal. No, you're but right it's just though. Like, that would have been interesting if, yes, it turned out this furniture store was it is it was a front for this government thing. That makes me more interested in what didn't happen in the show than what did. Uh, yeah, Dan Brown talked about this a little bit in his master class. Um, he, he said, uh, when you're coming up with scenes, you want to think in terms of the set pieces. You want to think in terms mm-hmm. of what is there a more interesting place that I can set this? M- yeah. Most of most stories are two people talking to each other or a person narrating to themselves. And so what they say takes on a different tone depending on what's going on around them. (laughs) And uh, it would have been more memorable if there was some secret facility inside of a furniture store than, uh, than, than this research facility. But it also feels like, I think they thought they were still making it interesting because he goes in and it's not a research facility into anything interesting. It's a research facility into academic, what, enrollment or something. And so they still tried to have the fake out that you're talking about. But yes, it was not handled as well as as it could have been. And definitely a weird setting is going to be more memorable. And that's what makes scenes, and that's what that's what people latch on to. Oh, I love the scene of the furniture shop. I love the scene of the academic research facility. Like, that's not the same, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I think you're right, that, that, that the furniture store is a more colorful place to set this. And as I've said a couple of different times, I'm sure this show could use a little bit more humor. It would be funny yeah. watching Tom trying to figure out how to break into a furniture store. And if he's wrong... 
Well, I mean, I know that they don't have time for this. Right. There's no way they had time right. to show him go to a furniture store. Right. But to show like a five minute heist sequence <laughs> of him breaking into the furniture store. And then it turns out it's not anything. Oh, man. How good would that have been? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like this show, like, like when you start watching, when we started doing this, you're watching Burn Notice and that had more comedy yeah. to it. That had more campy you know uh, scenes where something a little bit silly happens but but the character itself the character himself is not silly it's just some of the things that happen in his life are a little out there um there's definitely a lot of out there stuff that happens to tom but the show takes it 100 percent seriously every single time and tells and tells us with a with a card that it's cool it's uh, it does the applause sign from live tv that let us know that (laughs) we loved this episode um if I could actually just take a, a brief sidebar here and talk about, there's another show that I've started watching recently. Um, I've started watching Supernatural. Okay. Have you ever watched Supernatural? I have seen a little bit of it. Like I watched a few episodes when it was very first on TV and then I, I lost interest. And the show was on for 15 years. Yeah. 15 freaking seasons. Do you mean that it has concluded it, finally? It. I believe last year was the final season. Okay. Like I, fin- I think they ended it last year. Okay. And... Um, so I, I started watching this. I don't know if I'll watch all 15. I made it through five seasons, which Come has on. been a, has been a valiant effort so far, but just watching like the first season, it has kind of a similar format to nowhere, man. It's two characters rather than one, but they're going from place to place. There are for, at least for the first couple seasons, there are extremely few recurring characters. Yeah. It is almost always the main two characters are just going They're making up identities wherever they go. They're looking it's kind of episodic for a while, but they're still like, they're looking for where the whereabouts of their father. I think they're still looking for details that will tie it into the overarching story. And there was a point in the first season where they, one of them meets this other character. And then at the end of the the episode, like, you know, it's kind of a memorable character, but then at the end of the episode, you see this other character, like has some sort of a dark secret that was being hidden from the main characters. And my initial thought, because I was in nowhere man mode was like, oh man, if only that character would come back. <laughs> and then I remembered, oh, wait a minute, there's 14 more seasons. I'll bet that character does come back. And guess what? That character came back. Okay. And it was interesting. Did that character so, come back in that season out of curiosity? I think at the very end of the season. Because you've brought up yes, an interesting yes. point when you said there's 14 more seasons. I bet that character does come back. It does sound like yeah. they maybe had plans for some characters to recur. Because they've had that happen once. Maybe. They, well, they've had, they brought Allison back a bunch, but they brought um, whatever yeah. his name was, JC. Larry? Uh, JC. The guy who was the doctor, the fake doctor at. at uh, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Is that his name, JC? Uh, I th- yeah, JC. So they brought him back. It's entirely possible that they yeah. would have brought other characters back over time. Um, sure. Because it, clearly they expected this to run for the better part of a decade. Yeah. And I mean, to be fair with, with uh supernatural, the end of the first season could very easily have been the end of the series. Like it, it could have been a satisfying ending. And then, no, oh, that was, that was a nice one season. Uh, but then the money just kept coming in. So, <laughs> so they just kept making it. Um, so anyway, it just, it was, it was interesting to view again, kind of similar format. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to view a show that I know has a whole bunch of seasons right. and how that plays with the expectations of what to, you know, what to expect from that first season Yeah, compared to nowhere, man, where, um, I mean, I guess I know it only has one season, but also it's, 
even watching it, it's hard to think of what would they have done with the second season. Yes. Because, yes. I mean, the first season already, it gives you so little as it goes. Well, it sounds like the plan was we have seen the entire arc. According mm-hmm. to your read of the commentary, my read of your read of the commentary is this is the show. They just expected to take it. some of these episodes that had uh, content in them and stretch them into several episodes that felt like they had no content in them. Yeah, they they referred to the final four episodes of the show, which I think was Callaway, uh, Zero Minus Ten, the one with Allison, and then these two as like an arc. And then maybe they sort of wanted to have more of those in the longer run. But like, I don't even feel like those four feel like an arc. They only feel like an arc if the memory loss thing comes back. If the memory loss thing was the cause of the memory loss in, in Zero Minus Ten, but it wasn't. It, it it feels like they only feel like an arc if you like really squint and you look at them from really far away. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. I do want to say uh, when you said, oh, there's no time for them to, to go to the to the, the furniture store, but I wish they could. Yes, there is. <laughs> OK, this show has enough. so much Fair dead enough. air. I have a note about, wow, this show loves its shots of people drinking water. Um <laughs> And like I wasn't yep. as irritated the second time through, but that's from my original notes where I was pissed off about something. But there yep. is a lot in this show, not so much in this episode, not so much in Marathon, but there's a lot in this show where they spend too much time in a scene without without it being justified. There, sure. and and some of that is just the times. It's ninety six. Mm-hmm. It's it's just it's. Before, I think TV in general was a little bit more slower paced. It was, time. it was. I remember watching the the Star Trek movie that they did, mm-hmm. the original Star Trek movie, and there's like a the the original movie, the original Star Trek movie was so dry. Uh, there's like a two to four minute segment of of them going to the space dock or something because they show you every <laughs> yeah. single bit of it. And you know, I was watching my mom, and she was like, "There was not a lot to do. We didn't we didn't have other we didn't have places to be." Shut up. Like, you know, so that is always the thing I try to remember with this show is, you know, um, it is before TV got tightened up. Um, I've said before, I think on this show, my sister started watching Lost and she was like, even Lost from the beginning feels less Mm -hmm. tight than what I'm used to in television these days. Um, So there absolutely is room in a regular episode for them to do things like have a little madcap, uh, you know, accidental. Oh, no, it wasn't the furniture store. I really thought it was or whatever. Or or yeah. he does all of this work to sneak into the academic research facility and that's not it. So then he has to, I guess I could check the furniture store and there's a guy with a pencil and a, you know, a cigar and he's like, okay, I guess I'm the dumbass, you know. <laughs> sure, sure. So it's just that the, the the issue I had with Dark Dark Side of the Moon, Dark Night of the Moon, the dark side of the dark movie. side of the, movie. The, the, the the album the, the, the issue album. i have with that episode was that it was confused there there okay. wasn't I, the reason i called that episode bad was because there was a lot in there that just wasn't direct and i don't mean in terms mm-hmm. of plot i mean in terms of i couldn't actually figure out is he following the guy what the hell is going on like there were just so many yeah. shots they're shuffling around they're doing we're both crouching running or something i don't remember what it was but it just <laughs> Or, you know, oh, he's following the trail of blood in this dirty city. Oh, yeah, that's a thing. Like, there, the show could tighten up what it's doing, have more yeah. direct ways for Tom to move from place to place, and you'd get a good 10 minutes 
which is a couple of scenes for each episode in which you could inject something, humor, introspection, a character that he meets for a scene and talks to him and gives him a piece of, you know, angelic advice that that is just a wonderful gift for him. There's there is a lot of room in this sh- in this show for other things. There's so much of the time it feels like because they need to stop the episode before an actual conclusion would happen because that's how this yeah. show ends. There is actually so much in this show that feels like the the the, the things we end up griping about are filler, they're sawdust. To push yeah. the ending out so that they don't have to resolve the ending. Yeah, that makes sense to me. So instead of doing the sawdust, put in a furniture <laughs> store. All right. Sure. I just remember which part you're talking about with the drinking water. I was thinking of something else in the next episode. I'm, I'm assuming you're talking about when <laughs> Jenny is just sitting there drinking water, yeah. I think. Anyway, so Tom walks into Heritage, Heritage House, not the furniture store. And uh, he's greeted by Jenny Shu, uh, played by... Uh, Kayla Blake, and she's she's their receptionist. He says he saw the sign, decided to stop in. She pegs him as someone from Georgetown. Apparently, teachers and students come in a lot, wondering what kind of research they do there. Uh, she says that they do en- enrollment research, pretty dry stuff. Uh, Tom hasn't really contradicted her during any of this. He hasn't said that he's not a teacher or student from Georgetown. Um, so she asks what his specialty is, and he says disassociative states, mental disorders, that sort of thing. And they kind of like they kind of flirt a little bit, unless I'm mistaken, because I've said in the past I'm not great at recognizing uh, flirting. I think they're flirting, but beyond that, this yeah. is the first episode after Allison has pulled a gun on him. Oh, good point. So this is the first time where. When I was watching this first time, I was like, I like this because, you know, this is an actress I've seen before. So she's she's someone who could be a good foil for Tom over time if they brought her yeah. back. I was excited for the possibility that this might be the first time that Tom actually gives in to the flirting that he does with one of the women on the show because yeah. he is actually he's really in a state of God damn it. I guess Allison is not you know that's not addressed i guess i'm not married anymore yeah it it would be nice if he could address it directly but it was the first time that at least we as the audience have very 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 little reason to believe that he he thinks of himself as married um yeah that 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 allison might doesn't even seem like allison either was real ever or this is not the real allison allison is gone i don't know what but but um, this was the first time where I wasn't frustrated with him sort of flirting because it at least fit with things we've seen in previous episodes that we've kind sure. of needed to know since the beginning of the show for the number of women he has flirted with and slept with a couple of times. Yeah. So uh, Tom asks if he can use their restroom and she says they're not supposed to let anybody back there, but uh, she, you know, she, she changes her own mind. She says they're about to close up. She agrees to take him back to the restroom herself. Uh, she puts her hand on a scanner. They walk down some hallways. Tom remarks the interesting building and she says that it used to be a government agency. They come around a corner and they, there's an open door leading into a room where a bunch of people are listening on radios and working on computers. Tom sort of like stops and like watches them for a moment, but she gets his attention and, you know, says, oh, we're, we're going, we're going back here to the restroom. Um, so they go towards the bathroom. When they get to the, the restroom door, Tom looks over and sees two men in ski masks run by with guns. At which point he grabs her and ducks into the bathroom and the men with the guns start gunning down the people in that room that we were just looking at. 
And I wanted to say that this episode, right here at least, has accurate sounding gunfire. <laughs> the submachine guns these guys are using are using silencers, yet they still sound like guns. Um, so, and I, I think, not that we really need to be critical of this, but she didn't see the men with guns. She just knows she was leading Tom yes. back to the bathroom. He grabs her, covers her mouth, and pulls her into the other room. Yeah. If there was then Hollywood silencers oh, okay, where yeah. they couldn't hear anything, there would kind of need to be a scene of her screaming and being like, what are you doing? What, you know, am I, how are, stop assaulting me and so on. But I think if it is clear that there is the sound of gunfire, then you don't even need to think about her reaction. You just know, okay, she's safe. There's gunfire. She knows there's gunfire, whatever. Yeah. Definitely. When he first grabs her, it's like, oh, Tom, up to your old tricks. (laughs) Yes. Yes. The poor woman who, who may or may not be an, you know, an operative of the, you know, um, but yeah, yeah, it, it is clear enough in this episode that there was a real threat. And mm-hmm. even though Tom sort of, you know, grabbed her and, and, and pulled her away, she is grateful enough to him and deciding to trust him, you know, throughout throughout this episode. They never sure. do this great. There's never there's yeah. never really enough understanding of what any other person than Tom's feelings are. But yeah, this is the closest to what it should be, I guess, uh, as at least that because there is an outward, at least they can do the enemy of the enemy is my friend. There's at least that as yep. the basis of it. So, yeah, that, that is good that they don't have Hollywood's silencers. That's something I hadn't thought of. That's clever. Um, One more thing that I thought of, we were talking about, like, you know, this is all very convenient how he just happens to listen in right when they're talking about whatever. These guys with guns also just happened to show up immediately after he gets there. If they had done a little bit different, a little bit differently with the, um, with what he hears on the radio, if he hears, you know, T minus 30 oh, minutes sure, or yeah. like, you know, where we got a downsize heritage house at, you know, three forty-two PM. Then when he says there's a furniture store and a research facility, he doesn't just say, yeah, I'll go to the research facility first. He's instead, I only have time to go to one of these. It's obviously not the the furniture store. So then he goes to the That's research great. facility. Yeah. And then when he gets there, have him be looking at his watch mm-hmm. because he knows something's about to happen in two minutes. Can I use your restroom, please? And then she gets him back there. And then it's not just, you know, whoa, guys with guns. It's like he knows something's about to happen. He's looking around. Maybe she's even like, are you okay? What, what are you? Are you on edge? What's going on? And so then... When there's gunfire and he pulls her into the other room, she knows that a li- she's a little bit more clued into him being tipped off to this. Because, like, you know, eventually in, like, three scenes, it comes out that, you know, he had an idea that something might be happening. But until then, it's it's not really remarked on by by anybody. So I think this could have been cleaned up a little bit uh, by, by some, again, just some small changes. So, uh, so they, he grabs Jenny. They hide in the bathroom, and in fact, a guy goes to check in the bathroom, but they, you know, they do the thing where they just lift up their feet, and the guy looks under the stalls. So, I guess there's nobody in there. Um, Tom asks a cowering Jenny if there's another exit. She says there's one in the basement. So, as the men storm the building, they sneak along, narrowly avoiding detection. They get outside, and Jenny is freaking out. They see some mounted police, and Tom's like, oh, cool, let's just go to the police. Just tell them a bunch of people got shot up. But Jenny actually says, no, we can't do that. 
And Tom's like, well, what are you talking about? She says, it's not procedure. So he calms her down. They actually introduce each other. For, they get introduced to each other for the first time. And he urges her to listen to him. He's like very, he takes charge during a lot of this kind of in a bit of an aggressive way. He's like very much telling her what to do and how to feel. But I guess understandably, you know, she is freaking out. He has dealt with this sort of stuff before. It's just, I don't know, especially nowadays looking back at this, I feel like it doesn't hold up quite as well as it might have at the time. But he he asks Jenny what she meant by it's not procedure. And she reveals that Heritage House isn't really academic research. It's an FBI operation that no one's supposed to know about. Cut to credits. And this is actually a very long cold open. Like, I, I know we've been talking about this for about an hour, <laughs> but it was maybe like five minutes or something. Has several scenes have happened before before the credits. So we come back from credits and uh, Jenny's hysterical. They're sitting on a park bench. Tom says he's going to help her, but he needs information. He asks her what she's supposed to do if there's an emergency. She says that she has a number that she was supposed to memorize, but she she uh, a phone number she's supposed to memorize, but she can't call from just any phone. She has to call from a specific place. So she offers to take Tom to this place. They go to a nearby apartment and Jenny explains kind of what the procedure is. Each each employee has to have a nearby phone. So like a, a phone somewhere within, you know, a, a small radius of the building that belongs to someone they know that isn't a blood relative. Some sort of procedure for like someone that presumably isn't connected and or couldn't be used as leverage, I think is the the assumption I had. Yeah. So her friend Brenda lives in, in an apartment near there. So they... Uh, they go to Brenda's apartment. Brenda greets them. Brenda's getting ready for a date. Um, Tom walks in, grabs the phone. Brenda says, oh, the phones are down. The repairman's on his way. So, oh, I guess that that's probably nothing to worry about. You don't have to, don't have to worry about uh, whether that's going to come up in a moment. So uh, Jenny takes some medicine to calm her nerves. She sits down and drinks some water, I think is what you were referring to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she suspects that Tom is not a college professor. To be fair, Tom never said he was a college professor. He explains that he's a journalist investigating corruption, conspiracy, etc., and he has reason to believe Heritage House has something to do with that. He asks what sort of work was being done at Heritage House. Jenny doesn't know. She says she's just a secretary, and she only got a job with the FBI because she thought it would be a good way to meet guys. Tom tries to get her to think about what sort of work would have put the operation in danger. She says that she she's not sure, but she did see a document cross her desk. Operation Marathon. That's the name of the episode. In the next room, Tom hears Brenda leaving, and he goes to ask her how long the phones have been out. And I have in my notes, and the repairman is standing in the door looking as much like an assassin <laughs> as is humanly possible. <laughs> he and Tom stare off for a bit. Tom invites him in, and the man sets his bag down and starts working on the phone. I think Tom sees a gun in the bag. Like the camera lingers on the bag and then like, you know, looks at Tom and then Tom sort of like uneasily looks back to, uh, to Jenny. Okay. The repairman, as Jenny walks into the room, the repairman reaches for his gun. Tom kicks it out of his hand and the two fight. And I have it in my notes. This is actually a pretty good fight scene. This show doesn't have a lot of fight scenes and not all of them are very good. Uh, I did look at my previous notes for Dark Side of the Moon. There was a fight scene in that that I put as being like very clumsy and brutal. Um, this one is not as clumsy or as brutal, but it's it's also not like nobody's doing flips. No, well, sort of. Nobody's doing flips. Nobody's like 
doing unreal. It's it's pretty much just punches and Tom gets like thrown into a, a, a shelf. And there is one point where the guy like flips Tom onto the table and smashes him through the table, which is a little a little goofy. But overall, like it's a pretty good fight scene, I guess. Uh, so anyway, he slams Tom down on the table. He falls to the floor. The repairman pulls out some piano wire and starts to choke Tom. And then Jenny shoots him with his own gun. And here, that is very much not a, not a real gun sound. It is a Hollywood sound. She, she shoots him with a, th- yeah. you know, sounds like a, she shot a dart at him or something. So anyway, she shoots it. So she has to kill a man. And she is, she was already shaken up to begin with, but she is especially shaken up and terrified at this point. So Tom grabs her and they run out of the building. Outside, everyone and everything looks like another assassin about to make a move. So Tom urges her away. So, you know, very paranoid. They look over it. There's a guy in a trench coat with like a bag at his side. And there's a woman looking at them and then reaching into her baby's carriage. Well, I feel like uh, the everyone looks like a suspect um, shots yeah. were were decent. Okay. I feel like those could have been. I, I, I wish some of the crap in this show was replaced with at least that quality. Okay. There's a lot of the time where Tom is acting suspicious as if yeah. he's already seen something that like as the audience, I wish the, the, they did a better job of getting us to be as suspicious as Tom. Sure. And I think this is one of the few times where it's like, oh yeah, this is what, it, this is what he sees, isn't it? This is why he acts this paranoid is because he can't go anywhere without think. I, I think more of these shots, at least front loaded into the, into the, the, the first six episodes or something might've helped us get sure. into the idea of what it is like to be this scared of everyone. Yeah. Th- that's something they would have to keep a constant throughout the show. I remember there being an episode where one of the scenes starts with Tom just waiting in line at the deli. I think it was the Max Webb episode. And you kind of can't have scenes like that if you want to have an, an air of suspicion, you know, kind of ever present. You kind of have to be careful with always maintaining that that be uh, that that be a thing. Uh, there is a horror movie that was actually shot in Detroit called It Follows. Have you ever heard of it? I think I, I, I've, I've heard of it. I don't know. So the the premise of this movie is that there is some sort of a think of it like a, a supernatural curse that is sexually transmitted. Mm, okay. And what that means is if you have sex with someone who currently has this curse, some sort of unstoppable, invisible supernatural being will eventually walk up to you and kill you. Mm-hmm. Only you can see it. Nobody else can see it unless they are currently under the effects of the curse. But it is a, think of it like a person that will literally never stop walking in a straight line towards you. Okay. No matter where you go, it will always follow you. The only way to get rid of it is to have sex with someone else. And now it will be following them. If they die, it's going to come back for you. Oh, wow. And there are many scenes in this movie where it does catch up with the main, whoever the current, you know, current character is that has it. But... It is always, because we always, we're kind of, uh, we see from the perspective of the whoever, usually we see from the perspective of whoever is the person that currently has the curse. We are always seeing a person. It's a different person every time. It's a different, every single time you see it, it's a different person. We are always seeing a person walking towards the main character or whoever the current character is. So in every scene, 
you are looking in the background for who is currently walking towards oh, you. Oh, wow. Okay. They might be, they might drive their car, you know, a hundred miles away. And then the next scene is them like they're rela- relaxing on a beach somewhere, but you're, wa- you're scanning the background because eventually you're going to see someone walk up towards the main character. And if they get to them, the main character is going to be in trouble. Yeah. And there are, there are many, many scenes where this doesn't pay off. You'll see a person walk, see, like walking straight at the camera and then just cut to the next scene. You don't know if that was the thing that is following them. You don't know if that was just a person walking down the street. Okay. But you are always watching for it. And the entire movie has this air of unease because anytime you see someone walking towards the camera, you know that that's potentially the monster. Yeah. And... You know, how do you keep something like that going with a TV show? I don't know if you can, but like that could, they could have done something like that. If someone were to do something like this today, they could put in elements like that to make the viewer suspicious. Mm -hmm. Cause like you, you made a great point. If, if the viewer was as suspicious as Tom, that would be such a great feeling, such a great feeling for the you know for the suspicious scenes well what it would do is it would it would make it a lot less hokey when tom is acting crazy sure it would it it would feel more we would like for the uh i guess it was the new phoenix one where he kidnaps the woman yeah um for that episode we start off with just tom living his life tom getting some photos is he the developer is he the He's yeah, he's a he's a photo developer. You know, yeah. that one starts with you know, your your basic slow monologue that he does. If if the opening of the show involved this kind of sequence every time. If if you did it for the opening and that's what we were doing, if that's what we were looking at every time Tom was explaining where he's at right now. And so every sure. time we 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 it would be more expensive because you'd have to get new new freaking outfits every time. It would be difficult. It would not be an easy thing to do. But basically, if they showed us four or five people every opening and one of them was always someone he ends up interacting with and we don't know which one it is. Oh, yeah. Then it's less weird when he kidnaps people. Yeah. It's at least narratively less weird. It's it's we are as yeah, he's got to do something. It could be one of these people. He's got to take a chance. He's got to he's got to he's got to protect himself instead of what they try to do is Tom's just a pizza guy this week. <laughs> yeah right uh, so yeah. i don't know if it's supposed to be this is how tom feels the whole time but the the character responds as if he does so so that's what i liked about the sequence was it was sort of like if i retcon these sequences before all of the stupid shit he has ever done that felt unjustified it feels less unjustified that's all yeah so they get onto a bus and tom asks if jenny has anything that they might be using to track them because the idea is that they whoever they are got to brenda's uh, apartment immediately after they did so either they knew ahead of time she would go there or jenny was being tracked uh jenny she remembers that she has like a pager or something that she's told she was supposed to wear at all times she uh she gives tom tom pops it open and finds a flashing light which he recognizes as a homing device lisa watching this said no that means your table's ready at olive garden (laughs) so he he says that this is what they're using to track her. Jenny asks who they are. Tom doesn't know. He doesn't know if it's the organization or if it's the FBI. You know, was the FBI in on this because, you know, this is an FBI operation. If if they were using the device the FBI gave her to track her, it's very possible the FBI could be a part of the organization. 
So he throws the tracker out the window. Jenny says that she still needs to make that call. Um, but Tom gives her his coat and asks her for more information about Operation Marathon. She's hesitant to talk about it, but Tom, he reminds her that the two of them almost got killed today. He says he's not asking her to trust him more, just to trust her employers less. I liked that. Yeah. I thought that was a, a good th- line. That was an interesting argument to make. I was like, that's that's a good point. I wish there were more times where that was the kind of thing Tom was able to say. Where it's not Here's the thing though. People usually just immediately trust Tom. Yeah. I feel like they only put in her hesitance because one of them had that great line to use. <laughs> Who knows? Yes. No, my thing was about making the show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I'm saying the show needs to rise to that level of yeah. of everyone shouldn't just trust Tom. There should be more. It would be nice if. That's an interesting point. Gabe, everybody does trust Tom so much, so much of the time. Uh, well, and and the difficulty has been he hasn't had people to talk to because he doesn't trust anybody. Yeah, That's been the main engine of the show, emotionally. And I mean, to be fair, like, even shows like Burn Notice and shows like Supernatural do still have that problem. The The show is about the characters showing up in, a t- in some new location finding out whatever crazy things going on, helping the people there and eradicating the problem. And they very rarely waste a lot of time engendering that trust. It is very easy to just have for the writers just to have the characters start trusting them immediately. So it's not that nowhere man did this worse than everybody else. It's still a problem. Even, you know, 10, 15 years later, you know, what I'm saying is it's an opportunity because he doesn't have anyone to talk to. Sure. So we've 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 looked at different ways to use the narration to drive some of the introspection of the character a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. What I think could have happened was it would be nice if Tom was acknowledging that people have no reason to trust him. Sure. That it's not ju- that it's not just that he doesn't trust them that they that they don't trust him. And in order for him to like, if he knew there was a ticking clock at Heritage House. Mm-hmm. And he still was as calm as he was. I would have been impressed because the okay. the thing that you were describing was, you know, he's checking his watch. He's a little bit more agitated. I'm like, yeah, I, I think yeah. that would I think the show would have gone along with that. But the reality uh-huh. would have been he would have been much less someone you want to flirt with and let behind the locked doors. True. He does seem more like a maniac in that. Case. So I would love if Tom like we, we, I. There was this moment, there is a moment that I liked in Dark Side of the Moon, which was he runs into another homeless man, I think, and sort of, or no, maybe it wasn't that he ran into, ran into a homeless man. It was when he was escorted out of the gallery and he sort of sees himself in a mirror or something. I don't remember what it was, but. Sure, yeah, yeah. He was confronted with. He, he saw how crazy and haggard he looked. Yeah, and, and I wish he was more confronted with that and dealing with it and trying to make himself because I would love it if his inner monologue was about there are innocents. That's who I'm fighting for. Mm -hmm. And I don't know which ones are the innocents. So I am going to try and make myself less disruptive to people who might actually just be in the same boat that I am. They're civilians who are ruined by the fact that this, you know, uh, cult has taken over the uh, taken over our world, so it it would have been an opportunity for him to grapple with things. It would have been an opportunity for him to want to talk to people. Like I've I you know 
when a, when you want to be friends with someone and you're not sure how to make that connection, you imagine, you know, oh, man, I'd or like when you listen to a podcast, I remember you just talk about how there were podcasts that you listened to and you're like, I would love to have been part of that conversation. And so it's easy yeah. to imagine yourself talking with these people as if that y- you you were friends with them already. It would be nice yeah. if some of the way that he could if he could play pretend out. How am I going to talk to that person? What would they say about me? What do I look if, 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 if it was a, a growing awareness of his impact on other people is what yeah. I'm saying. I'm not saying it's a bad trope. I'm saying that, that we it, it could be rewired for something we desperately need in this show, which is Tom to have a chance to take a look at Tom. And sure. uh, I don't know that the other shows need that that much. I think because in Supernatural you have the two brothers and they're able to talk to each other. I don't know from Burn Notice, but I feel like he also has some contacts he's able to call. He has two friends that are in that are always helping. So him that's that's missions. huge. That's that's so many more times than one person. That has been the problem of this show is how do you do this with one person? How do you do this with one person? Yeah. And, you know, you're not Liam Neeson and Taken and you already know what the hell you're doing. Um, sure. I have thought a lot about this show. I, I I think it's a great experiment. I think they tried to do something that that hadn't really been done before. I don't think they got all the way there. I think that's why we're spending this time trying to pull this from the wreckage, like archaeologists going, "What were they trying to do? This wasn't this <laughs> right. flying machine was never going to work." But oh, look at these look at these innovations that they came up with. Um, because I would have loved to have seen if Tom could have mastered himself a little bit and arrived calmly knowing there was a ticking clock if he was able to do that more often not so much manipulative but like keeping his cool yeah and also then when he lost his shit there was a I, I'm, I'm listening to the harry potter auto audiobook that i got some long time ago and I, i'm finally going through it and it's been years since i've interacted with these stories at all you know i read them in the 90s i think um when, when they were being written and uh yeah there's a moment where Dumbledore, the the kindly professor who always keeps his cool, is upset at someone where they finally meet one of the antagonists, and it's 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 a it's an easily missable moment, and I hadn't I hadn't retained it at all. Um, but it's uh, Harry talking about how scary Dumbledore's bad side is. You don't want to get on his bad side that when he's actually when when all of his compassion is gone. It's a ooh, it's a scary thing. Um yeah. and I've talked before, I think, about the Kylo Ren problem of when you're already turned up to ten, there's nowhere to go. And there are moments right. where you need to be able to showcase this is really affecting the character. And there are so many moments where Tom already knows how to hit the uh stressed out highs. <laughs> right. So if he was able to exhibit calm some of the rest of the time, it would be fun to watch him swing between he has built up his composure. And now something has really made him lose it every third episode or something, or even every episode, maybe. But, you know, it, it really, really begs for him to be actively keeping his calm and actively trying to figure out how the hell he's going to interact with people. And I would have loved if he had some acknowledgement somewhere in the entire show. And he never once did that. Sometimes he's going to be wrong. And sometimes it's going to be because the thing is, by all accounts, how does he know not to ether this woman and fly her off to new Phoenix? You know, like he just chooses to trust this woman this time. There's not enough discussion in his head that he's taking a chance. That he's going to take a chance on a person, 
And then that's a chance for us to, you know, be like, oh, okay, that's why he's making that decision. Or I'm going to mistrust this person and for us to sort of go, oh, okay, that's why he's, why he's mistrusting this person. I think if we could have seen some of the Tom logic that, yeah, it, it, some of the times I think it's just, you know, writing staffs are too many people and Lawrence Herzog would have loved to probably have hand tooled every episode, but couldn't. But other times it's just, I I don't know. It feels like from the way you describe the commentaries, they think they know what the Tom logic is. Seems like that. Yeah. So if they could just show us, <laughs> as I'm saying, I think that would be good television. If they could just show yeah. us what Tom, what, what was Tom thinking when he did this or that? I think we would have loved the show a lot more because that's the that's the major pitfall of all uh, early writers. All writing that is that is uh, having trouble is usually the person who envisioned it is forgetting to tell us things. Sure. And so that's 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 what I think it is, is is an opportunity for us to really, really see Tom the way Lawrence Herzog sees Tom. And we just all we see are his results and they are either too easy or insane. Yeah, it's kind of like there's the the saying, I want to be the type of person my dog thinks I am. Yeah. <laughs> I want to see the type of character that Lawrence Herzog thinks Thomas Vale is. Yeah, yeah, that. That is what I'm saying. All right, we're next. So Tom had just asked, uh, he asked Jenny what Project Marathon was about. She says she's not positive, but she thinks Marathon might have been gathering information on another intelligence agency, not a government agency, but there were all these codes that couldn't be broken and there was surveillance equipment that was unmatched anywhere else in the world. Sounds familiar. (laughs) Now, this is actually something that I think is interesting in retrospect because in the Hidden Agenda episode, part of Tom's... Uh, part of Tom's recollection of how he took the photo was that there was this intelligence gathering organization that had top of the line intelligence gathering equipment. They had a network of intelligence gathering people. And there was all this stuff that at the end of that episode seems like might have just been complete fiction because, all you know, all of it seemed to be fiction. He wasn't in Nicaragua at all. He was... I guess in Washington, DC, I don't know, but it's interesting how some of his fake memories were true or were in some way like influenced by the truth. They could have just as easily put fake memories that are like, Oh yeah, these aliens came and then, you know, did whatever. But I mean, no, it it kind of was about the truth just in the wrong context. Well, I guess I know there's a line in one of the two episodes. I think it's in this one where, or no, I, I have no idea. But it was one of the characters is saying it's about it was about testing the limits of your belief or something. So that is that is sure, a yeah, theme that, that that's in the second one. That is a theme that that, um, you know, even in the last episode, in the episode previous to this one, I think uh, I was saying I, I, I think the negatives might be nothing. Yeah. They might just be true. Like they're, they are a diegetic MacGuffin. They are actually nothing The the agency just wanted to study him. That he was just sure. an experiment. That that that's why they don't kill him. It really is just to mess with him and you know take down little notes on their charts. Um, yeah. So what I do think will stick with me with this show mm-hmm. is I will debate from time to time when my mind sort of you know drifts over this this series. I think I will debate 
do I think that part really happened? Do I think that part was an implanted memory? Do I think that part was a twisted truth? Do I think that part was, I think that's what they were hoping for. It feels like was they wanted to raise questions that wouldn't be answerable. I do feel like they were trying to do the thing from dark souls. They were trying to give us enough information that we would be invested in ants and wanting answers, but that we would have to answer them ourselves. I do think that is what they were going for. I don't think they succeeded a lot of the time because they had 25 episodes to write and not enough time and budget to do that much television. But, um, like when you're talking about the, the hidden agenda episode, I was like, I'm gonna have to go back and rewatch that, which is not something I expected to be doing. Yeah. I did not expect to actively go, damn it. I got to go rewatch that and figure out what I think about that (laughs) now. So despite all of the gripes we have about this show, they did succeed at me wanting to rewatch things with information that I have now and see if it fits. Well, if you would like to get the experience of watching it, but in three or four times <laughs> as much, uh, you know, as much time, you could listen to our podcast. That's right. Because it's not <laughs> to do it in half the time, it's do it in three or four times as much. So anyway, um, a man, while they're talking, a man gets on the bus, a man in a long black trench coat. He gets on the bus and starts walking towards Tom and Jenny, and you see him slowly reaching into his inside coat pocket. And, you know, it cuts back and forth, and it's it's very, very scary. And then at the last moment, he takes out a book, and he smiles at somebody on the bus and sits down. I would love to see what book this was. Hey. Just, who knows? <laughs> Wuthering Heights? I don't know. I, uh, I hadn't thought about this when I was watching it, but since you, you made the comment about the phone repair guy looking as much like an assassin as you possibly could, and then he was, yep. I actually do like that then they had another man who looked as much like an assassin as you possibly yep. could, but then he wasn't. This is what I wish we had seen more of, is I wish we had seen sure. more shots of other people and Tom and, and, and we and Tom sort of looking at them, trying to figure out what's going on instead of a lot of times it was just nothing. There are so many shots of not this. I love the idea of, of, I don't think it needs to be as, as uh, frequent as this movie. What's it called? It follows. It follows. But I think there are so many more opportunities to show just, just snapshots, just portraits of people that inhabit Tom's world that are, off just enough that you're like yeah i wonder what's going to happen is that character real or is is it not instead of just the convenience of tom finds the right person and you know muscles his way through sure here's an idea you mentioned like at at the beginning of every episode not necessarily i don't even know if you said that or if i just imagined it but you said like if at the beginning of the episode we saw several Mm -hmm. you know suspicious looking figures and then one of them turns out later in the episode to be that person what if each episode kind of started out with like something like that either were you saw various people and then whenever they went to commercial instead of just showing like oh the clip from whatever scene what if when they went to commercial it was a close-up on each of those people that's good and then so the viewer was also like is that person going to turn out to be the one that you know was actually suspicious I like that. Um, we never we, we just just a neat idea. We've talked briefly about the bumpers. I feel like, but like that is wasted real estate. Yeah. That is a time period where they could be showing us something that. Oh God, I would have loved that. Would have elevated the show like a full notch if they had if they had um, used the bumpers for something. Have you ever uh, seen the anime uh, Death Note? I've seen a little bit. 
I won't really get into it. Just it's it's an anime or manga, or there were a couple Japanese movies about it, and a very bad Netflix American movie. But the the premise is that there's this magical notebook that has various rules, and one of the rules is that if you write someone's name in the book, that person will die. So like you write someone's name, you can write out the method of of death or whatever, but whatever you write their name, and then that person will die. In the anime, whenever they went to commercial, because the book had, I don't know. 20 or 30 rules or something, whenever they would go to commercial, they would show a random rule. Most of these never came into play, yeah. but it's just a little bit of world building because this is ostensibly a, an existing thing with existing rules. So it was neat to see all of the different rules that exist for how this thing works. Yeah. So yeah, just a little, little bits of world building that you could put into those bumpers. It's a little bit more work, but like you said, it's waste of real estate otherwise. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, when you, cause I took such issue and you're like, I know there's not time for those. Like there's so much time. There's this show has so much time to give. That's yeah. one of the times that's one of the places where they could, they could pick up so much more clarity. My, my biggest gripe having seen the whole show now is, you know, the, the, the episode that was for me, the lowest wasn't the romantic comedy one. It was okay. the, uh, the gang one. Cause it just felt the sure. most confused. It was the okay. it was harder to fall like the I think the romance one was was sort of strange. Although I found out in the comments for the final episode, people loved that episode and they want Tom to go back to that woman in the comments section. Oh boy, I didn't even look at comments for. Oh, you mean on the on YouTube? On YouTube, yeah, and in, in the YouTube. Uh, okay, like I, like okay. I never I thought to, to scroll down because once I had seen all of the things, I was like, all right, I know all the spoilers now. I want to see what other people <laughs> think. And they thought he should go back to the farm. That's what most of the comments were about. Oh, um, man, I think he should should have gone back to his father. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Like, uh, assuming that that wasn't also part of whatever memory, fake memories he has. I don't know when I sort of get into at the end of this thing. I don't know what of the show so far is fake memories and or whether like, oh, fake memories only take took place before the pilot. I don't know. But if his father exists, go back and live with your father. That is the closest you will get to any sort of a real connection is the father that is still out there. Yeah. Well, and even if it's, even if it turns out to not be real, they still did care about one another. So even if it's, you yeah. know, um, they can get, I'm sure they could get past that if they wanted to. Yeah. Like there's a whole saga in Rick and Morty where, um, Beth, the daughter doesn't know if she's a clone or not. And she just accepts that she doesn't care because she has a family yeah. and she just, she just goes with it. Um, it, it would be nice to see Tom have that level of, I'm going to take good care of my life and just enjoy what I'm able to have. I love that as a, as an yeah. epilogue. Um, but in any event, I don't feel like that. I don't remember that episode being confusing. I just thought it was freaking weird for the canon of the show. Um, sure. The thing that I, that I ultimately have been frustrated with is when it was the things where are they trying to kill Tom or not? Yeah. And not like a, it's up in the air. Like we just can't tell. We can't tell what they want us to, you know, it's it, right. Yeah. So it, that, that ultimately is, I would love it if they used some of the real estate of the show to just like underline certain aspects so that we know what the hell they wanted us to think. Yeah. So they get off the bus and uh, Jenny uses a payphone to call the FBI. She explains the situation and she says that she needs, she says that she needs a, uh, she needs to talk to the assistant director in charge of Heritage House. 
They, uh, the operator asks for her code name and section. She tells them Firebird Section 12. And the operator says he has orders to get them to a pickup area. Tom, who's listening in, tells her not to go along with it. They do what she says or nothing happens. She tells the operator she doesn't trust anyone and will she will speak only with the, the assistant director. So they direct her to assistant director Robman, who will be a, a big character in this episode. Um, and Tom speaks to him. He says he's a friend of Jenny's and maybe he can be a, a friend of Robman's. He has Jenny identify herself. And then um, Tom says that they'll get more verification when they bring them in. He asks if the phone repairman was there doing. Robman doesn't know what, what he's talking about. Because again, like he doesn't know if the FBI is trying to kill Jenny or not. Like yeah. for all he knows, the FBI might have been burning their own operation. Yeah. So um, Robin doesn't know what he's talking about. Tom says there have been two attempts on their lives and they'll only go with Robin if he himself picks them up alone. Robin says that's not procedure. And Tom says procedure seems to be getting a lot of people killed. Tom tells Robin to arrive at a specific intersection the next morning and take a newspaper from the bottom of the rack. He doesn't know if Robin's own men are in on this. So come alone. And then he hangs up on the, I don't know if it's the assistant director of the FBI or just of this section of the FBI or whatever. I think it's just of that section, section, but yeah. Section 12, I guess. But whatever the case, Tom hangs up on him. Yeah. So uh, the, t Tom telling Tom telling Robman to check the newspapers is a, a little bit of groundwork for this, what I think is a very clever plan. In order to make sure that Robman isn't, even if he does come himself, if he doesn't, if, if he's followed, Tom doesn't want that to follow them. So what he does is he puts the 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 bottommost newspaper he wrote instructions on it so that when Robman shows up the next morning he opens up the newspaper thing pulls it out sees these instructions to go to another location a parking structure he goes to the parking structure we do see that he's being followed there is a a car uh, i i believe a car of fbi people are following robman robman goes into the building he parks his car and then tom and jenny pull up in a moving like a moving van block his car. Tom jumps out with a gun, which I'm assuming is the repairman's gun. He then makes Robin put his hands up, you know, tells him to get in the van. They get in the van and then they drive out of the building so that the surveillance people outside still assume that Robin is in the building. Like he, they, they saw Robin go in a different car comes out. They're not going to follow that other car. So I think this is a very clever, uh, a very clever plan. Yeah, I didn't even think about the the benefits of of yeah the the leaving in a different vehicle. Yeah, yeah. So Jenny's driving. Tom's in the back with Robman at gunpoint. Um, Tom makes Robin identify himself. We see a close up of Robin's ID. Um, I we we see a close up of it, and I think it's interesting because it says Federal Bureau of Investigation on it. I I've found out that it's actually illegal to make. A, even a, a TV prop or a movie prop that looks like an actual uh, FBI badge. Sure. If you watch the beginning, the the opening the opening sequence of X Files. Okay. Mulder and Scully work for the FBI, but you get a close up of their badge. It doesn't say they work for the FBI. It says they work for the Department of uh, the Federal Bureau of Justice Department of Investigation. Okay. Because it would it would be illegal even for a prop department to make a prop that says they work for the FBI. I'm guessing there's some way they got around it with this. Like the whole ID looks to be in black and white. So maybe that's part of it. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I just thought it was interesting. I have heard the McElroy's on their television show go, Oh, hold on. 
we can't do that because this is a television show that's seen by lawyers, not our podcast that no one sees. <laughs> hold hold on. We can't do that. Hold on. Sure. Hold on. Hold on. Um, so uh, it could have just been that, that like yeah, we are the knows? fourth or fifth person to that's rude. There were lots of comments that people love this show. Uh, but, you know, there are so few people. They weren't even on the radar of, hey, that's illegal. Take that down. Yeah. Um, I also have in my notes that Robman's ID photo is terrible. His <laughs> eyes are half closed and he's not looking at the camera. So. Okay. So Robin asks who Tom is and Tom tells him his name. And the whole time they're interacting with each other um, for reasons that are kind of, spo- I mean, I, w- I won't really get into reasons because there'll be sort of spoilers when we get into the next episode, but um, I think it's interesting that at no point does Robman seem to have any recognition for who Tom is. He doesn't know Tom's name. He doesn't know who Tom looks like. He doesn't seem to, he doesn't under, he doesn't recognize any way that Tom uh, carries himself or acts. If they did, it would be really, it, it would definitely throw a wrench in the episode's plan because if this guy knew who Tom was, Tom would be immediately suspicious. Sure. He'd be like, oh, okay. this guy's part of the organization. Sure. That's how he knows who I am. Um, however, for reasons that I'll get to later, it is odd that there is no recognition whatsoever. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. All right. Well, so, well, I, I think I know what you're talking about and I, and I, I have a good enough explanation of that for myself, but, um, so I've spent a lot of time thinking about this guy because okay. it is an anomaly for Tom to trust someone. Yeah. Uh, it's sort of like how he just decided Larry was real in that last episode. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I have in my notes here, my note for this guy was director guy seems legit. Like there was a certain amount of this guy is cast really well. I yeah. don't think there's a I, more I a earnest great job. guy you could have picked for this. Yeah. Um, so I like the fact that he did come alone. He's extremely accommodating. He wants to get, you know, his, his people home. He wants to figure stuff out. Like, like he, he seems invested like mm-hmm. someone who so often it's the wrong people who get elevated. I've seen a trope in stories where the person who is good at their job doesn't want to be promoted because they don't want to be stuck behind a desk. Okay. That's what this guy feels like where where he he is accepting being behind a desk um because he can do more good there but it feels like he is actually designed to be a field agent, you know, in terms of his his temperament that he he is someone sure. who is a boots on the ground wants to be in the trenches with his with his uh, subordinates kind of person. So I I I thought that was a big part of why it felt believable that Tom would trust this guy. It's never it's never okay. anything that that Tom gives a reason to or not. I mean, that's a huge theme in this particular podcast episode of <laughs> right. Gee, I'd sure I'd sure love to find ways to to see how Tom does his little terminator vision for friend or foe. But at the very least this one doesn't feel weird. Yeah. And so and so thank you for that creators of the show because this this was some of the best cast. This is one of the more important pieces of casting I think in the show. Um sure. because my my contention is you could end on this episode plus a five minute, not even segment from from the next episode, and that could be the ending of the show. Because based largely yeah. on the soothing presence of this director guy, because it finally feels like the closest to closure we're going to get, which is someone in power believing Tom. 
Mm-hmm. That's what he's tried to get since the beginning. Tried to go to the cops, and it turns out they worked for the for the organization. Is you know he he hasn't, and that's never really brought up. Like it's 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 never really brought up that he's gone to government agencies before, and yeah, they've been corrupt. But I think they are they were able to buy they were able to sidestep not needing to go into that for him because of how genuine this guy seems to be. Sure. You're like, oh yeah, I would trust that guy. Yeah. Yeah, no, he is he he does seem legit, as you said, like, yeah. You feel like you can trust this guy. So um Tom makes sure Robin isn't wearing a wire. Robin assures him he isn't. Tom asks him why he should believe him. And Robin says, because it's the truth. To which Tom retorts, the truth is whatever you people say it is. Tom points out that the newspaper has no mention of the murders that happened at Heritage House yesterday. Robin says it's because they, they're keeping a lid on it until they can figure out what happened. And this, like, this is a good point. Even the good guys, assuming this guy is a good guy, even the good guys are hiding things. They are projecting a false narrative. So that I think that is an important detail to get out. Yeah, that's great. It is all shades of gray everywhere, I guess. Um, Tom asks for info on Project Marathon. Robin says it's privileged information. Is that what you're going to tell the families of those dead agents? Tom says he just needs enough to know that Robin is real. If not, they can head right to the Washington Post and give them Heritage House's ID. Robin concedes. He says Marathon is about mind control experiments. And he asks Tom if that means anything to him. Uh, yup, I put in my notes. Robin doesn't know who's doing the experiments, though. He tells Tom he has some questions, but Tom says he's not giving up what he knows that easy. We cut to a couple shady-looking individuals in a dark office. One of them says they've lost Robman. The other says to use the FBI's own surveillance to find him. Apparently, even the FBI doesn't know what happened to him. So they say some spooky things to make it seem like this is all part of their plan. Cut to commercial. So yeah, throughout this episode, they keep cutting to these two guys in like a dark, you know, dark environment with like harsh lighting. And they just kind of keep popping up to say spooky things. <laughs> They they do one thing of consequence later in the episode, but then don't come back in the next episode. I almost point. feel like one of the characters in the next episode is supposed to be the same guy that is one of these two guys, but it's a completely different actor. Be- because there is a shot in this episode where, so there's, there's two shady guys, one's young and one's old. Mm-hmm. There's a shot of the old one, like sort of from behind, putting a phone to his ear. And then in the next episode, there is basically the same shot, same phone, but it's a different guy. Okay. And again, the guy from this episode is not anyway, he's not in the next episode. He's in this one, and then you never see him again. I almost feel like it's supposed to be the same character, but who knows? Because they 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 don't give this character a name my, or anything. My sister um is in LA trying to get started as an actor and my understanding is it's a thousand dollars if you are uh, given a line. Okay. And if you are a like notable extra or something like a recurring character, that's 10 grand. Like a, a feature, featured extra, I think it's Some, called. Yeah. Something like there's, there's a tier that basically bumps you up from a thousand to 10,000. So I wouldn't be surprised if it was a difference of a factor of 10 for having the same actor like like it might have been a real big deal to bring jc back and that's where their money went and yeah. like it's a real big deal when they bring allison back 
Um, don't know. That's been my assumption is that it was just either prohibitive yeah. cost wise or and or scheduling because it's not like this was a show that people were clearing their schedules to be on um, other sure. than Bruce. So it it just this is one of one of the pieces of evidence that I will use to to suggest that the first and second episodes were not planned in any way concurrently, despite one leading directly into the next. Okay. Is that I think there is a character that is meant to be in both episodes, yet is they use a visual reference to it, yet it is a different actor and there is no nothing in the script that indicates it's the same character. Anyway, okay. I'll, I'll have better evidence later. All don't right. worry. Uh, so anyway, um, we come back from commercial. They're still in the van. Robin asks Tom how he got involved in this. And Tom explains about the the hidden. Oh, sorry. I have in my notes the hidden frequency. And I was like, did I misspell hidden agenda? <laughs> no. Uh, Tom explains about the hidden frequency. Tom asks everything Robin knows about them. Robin says they don't know much. Tom threatens him further. And there, there's a good moment where Robin's like, please put the gun down, please. Yeah. You know, because Tom Tom's only way of coercion is like just repoint the gun at this guy. And he like he has like a very real moment. Like, look, just chill out for a second. Put the gun down. Um, Robin says that uh, they there's some kind of private security operation with seemingly unlimited funds and access to the most sophisticated technology. And they seem to have no connection to any government. The reason the public doesn't know about them is because if they did, it would cause mass panic. Tom accuses him of being implicit, uh, of being complicit by letting them operate in secrecy, which is, a, again, a pretty good criticism. Mm-hmm. If they were to make this the organization known, it would limit their power, but it would cause panic. And I felt that on the actor's face, there was a certain amount of, yeah, you might be right. Yeah. That it, it felt, what I like about this actor, what I liked about this performance was this felt like someone who was as tired as Tom is from trying to deal with these people that 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 was what he was able to recognize you know like he didn't go crazy like rob roy rob roy guy you know but (laughs) that there was a certain amount of kinship in that they were bonded both trying to deal with there's no easy way out on this sure so tom says he wants proof that anything robin said is true Robin says he'll show them what they have, but they have to agree to go to one of the FBI safe houses. Tom asks, how safe is safe? Robin responds, after what happened yesterday, I can't make any guarantees and neither can anyone else. So they go to a safe house, which I put in my notes, has a lot of people walking around. I feel like having, because there's like, we see like five or six other, uh, other, you know, officers or whatever, just walking around. I feel like the more people you have, the more potential, uh, opportunities for for anyway what um, what it felt like to me was it felt like they were there to make it seem here's what it felt like to me because of because of how many people that was it felt like tom was finally yeah. on the inside okay that's what it felt like it felt like like i, I agree with you that that it, the more people they have in a potentially corrupt operation the more chances for a leak but it felt like what i was looking at was Tom is finally on the inside and safe for a minute. Not really safe, but sort of able to rest for a minute. So, sure, that's that's what I got. Out and of that. it 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 is a huge change to the show. To like, oh, dude, someone's listening to Tom, and it's not just someone. Someone that is in a position to do something, yeah, is listening to Tom. You can't just. It's not just some, you know, a kid who can computer generate Allison. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. 
Um, so anyway, Robman shows Tom a videotape of one of the uh, mind control experiments that he was talking about. He doesn't explain how he got this video, and it doesn't really make much sense to me. I think I'll have more to say about it in a little bit. But uh, he shows him this video. The video is of three men in a kitchen laughing it up and playing poker. The phone rings, and one of them, Paul, says it's probably the pizza guy having gotten lost. He goes to answer it, and when he picks up the phone, we hear the voice on the other side say, I just thought I'd see how you were doing on such a rainy day. It repeats this a couple times, and Paul walks back to the kitchen in a trance, pulls out a gun, and shoots the other two men at the table. He then sits down, and we cut back to Robman, who explains that he sat at the table for 10 more minutes, then came out of the trance and killed himself. So whoever did this to this guy, and whoever created this video, are creating perfect assassins that are impossible to trace because even they don't know they're assassins. They must have killed everyone at Heritage House because they were getting close in their investigation. Um, one note that I do want to want to make is that this is interesting in consideration with the the uh, Forever Young episode where we found out that they were physically altering and mentally altering people in order to turn them into assassins. Mm-hmm. If I had enough faith in them to say that this was a response to that episode, you could view this as Tom screwed up their operation with the, you know, that kind of conditioning, the physical conditioning and so on. He screwed that up to the point where now they have to do it differently. And this is what they're doing this time around. Okay. Or something. Well, in the- I just think it, it would have been neat if this was, if there was a callback to that. In the Callaway episode, they, I mean, JC talked about how what they did to me was different than what they did to you. Yeah. So I liked the idea that that's when I started really getting on board with the idea that, okay, this is a show about mind control. It's been a show about mind control the whole time. Sure. Um, And it is a show about the different cells working on different kinds of, like, like there's no roadmap to discovery. There's, there's, there's no way to know which team is going to succeed at a viable, affordable way to control the public. So it feels like they sure. just have a lot of, you know, resources that keep getting funneled back into, I don't know, go try this. I don't know, go try that. And that's a part of why I feel like there are times when they are cavalier about Tom because while he is high priority, he's one of many. And they are doing it somewhat just for the for the in enrichment of it that that it sometimes feels like um they're they're not just doing this for power they are also pushing the boundaries of what is possible and that is how they mark their progress um so i i, I do kind of give them credit for it to be not necessarily a specific callback to the forever young that he that he disrupted their operations um i would have said that probably both of these were concurrent Okay. That they that, that this didn't this isn't something they started developing now that this is a thing that was being developed alongside of the forever young so it's sort of a hydra problem where he's cut off the forever young one but there's plenty sure. of other ways that they have to right because then also alpha spike where they're working on a lot of different ways of controlling the, the populace yeah that's um, that's true so I give them I give them plenty of credit for for like like this tape was a big deal for me this in my notes I I, I this I made these notes right after having watched the uh, last episode where I was saying I don't think it's the negatives um, I said there there I'm I'm convinced this is a show about mind control this is what the show is about sure. I I guess in specifically I was thinking about 
both of these are creating assassins. Like in in um the uh the Alpha Spike, yeah, it's it's mind control. It's not it's not explicitly assassination though. Um, I I definitely agree that there's different groups doing different things with mind control, but uh, I just thought that because it's it's a little weird to me that there would be two concurrent operations that are both creating undetectable assassins. I feel like. Maybe one of those would be enough, but eh, who knows? Well, the thing is, if this, like, there is a certain amount of, I believe in the excess of this organization. Sure. I believe that they do too much and that what the show should be about is because they're doing too much. That is how Tom keeps slipping through the cracks. I love the idea that they are over-invested. There's a book, I don't know if I've talked about on the show, called How the Mighty Fall, um, that that looked into the cycle of what it takes for a massive company to crumple. And step one is hubris born of success, which leads to two overreaching into an industry where they have no business expecting to succeed, where it's sure. it's not in any way related to what made them successful in their original endeavor. So now they're investing and over-investing and dangerously over-investing in some new endeavor, some pet project where they're like, yeah, I can see me doing this. This is going to be great. We're going to, we're going to be so successful. Um, But it is born of assuming that because you succeeded big time, once you are immortal. And that's what I'd like to have seen this, this, this story be is that the organization is because ju- if the organization is so powerful that they can't ever be taken down, I think you lose some of the drama in that. Okay. I think there needs to be some sliver of hope, which is why I think Tom is successful at destroying alien research facilities, etc., or whatever, if those aren't ruses. Because, yeah. but, but I don't think it's narratively tied together well enough that the reason he's succeeding is because they are doing too much. I totally believe this is an organization that they have one successful assassin program and build a second one just to pit them against each other, just to see if they can take it even further. And because of that, yeah. one of them gets destroyed and now they have, you know, half of the resources that they that they had. I would love if that was in the show and not a thing that a podcast 25 years later had to pull out to be like, you know, hey, <laughs> sure, I think this is sure. going on. Um, but I see the bones of... Uh, for me, this is an organization that is doing too much, but it's because they have had so little opposition. Sure. And I don't think Tom takes them down over the course of the show. Uh, if, 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 you know, if we were changing anything, it's just, I think it would be a story about, about how, I think it would be a story about how power for power's sake or power for advancing, you know, that, that, that if you don't have some, return to fundamentals every once in a while. There's a thing in, I think, the seven habits of highly effective people called sharpen the saw. I think it's one of the habits. I could be wrong. And the idea is if you keep sawing at a tree with a big old, you know, flat saw, um, eventually the saw will, will wear down. And eventually you're, you're, you're getting so little yield from your tool that you have to go and resharpen the saw. You have to go get, you have to, you have to bring properly maintained tools if you want to, to continue being effective and that this is not that that, that it's sort of a, a bloated organization that there was probably a time where they were young and scrappy they were centrally controlled they knew what was going on and what it feels like is it feels like a, a, an organization that just lived too long got so much power 
they don't even know what they're for anymore. They're probably splintering. I loved the idea of, of you know, the voice being a, a new faction within the organization who thinks that, you know, it's it's sort of gone the wrong way. I think there's so much yeah. unifying stuff you could get if if Tom ever talked about the organization, not with disdain, but with like a, a wisdom of it seems like they're invulnerable but they probably think so too and that's going to be their downfall sure that would have been interesting in future seasons to have that lead to their downfall is like yeah they're another you know they a splinter group of them starts working against them and it's more than just one person that could be you know or even if it's not that they're working against one another it's just that through competing with one another they start to Mm self-cannibalize they start to sure you know, it would be great if part of the reason instead of time, I think you're I think you make a good point about it is it is strange for them to be concurrently running two assassination programs. Mm-hmm. I think that is what it probably would have been. That's my logic for the situation. But it would have been great if they knew that ahead of time. And that's part of how Tom found out about them and took them down. If he was, if the if the opening was, I found two competing factions in the organization, each trying to develop their sure, own assassination yeah. program, and that led me to this place. Instead of, I don't even remember why he was hanging out there, but you know, it, it wasn't as compelling as he was starting to get some sense of the structure of the organization. Because in order for that, you would have to define the structure of the organization ahead of time. You would have to know that. Yeah, I mean, I think that might have been sort of what the Palm Top was doing. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, but knows? but the palm top we've seen is just sort of it's t- he does the same stuff with the palm top as he did without without yes. the palm top yes and and yeah. for the same reason which is it feels like they just didn't want to I think the writers themselves wanted to be surprised by the show while they were writing it I think they wanted to be an audience member yeah. for this show and as a result refused to like set some things and stuff just based on what we've seen and the and the commentary that you said it sounds like for them it stopped being fun. Because they were like, I yeah. guess we'll just decide that this is what the organization is doing. It's like, you should have done that a long time ago, preferably before episode yeah. one. But all right. All right. I'm sorry you stopped having fun, Lawrence. <laughs> right. There was there was a real weird point in the, sorry, in the, the commentary for this, the, the final episode. Uh, during the opening credits, Lawrence Herzog, when his name comes up on the screen, he's like, yeah, it should say Lawrence Herzog R.I.P. And I'm like, what does that mean? And Lisa was like, because he died. And I'm like, but no, that was him saying it. He was alive at the time. It's real weird. Anyway, um, so Robman explains that there is a house out in the country that they've had under surveillance. And they believe that's where these tapes came from. I, I, I guess I'll mention this here. The whole setup with we have this tape and it's where it's, you know, from this house or whatever. How did they get this tape if they think that the tape like this is supposedly they said when they showed the first one that uh this is surveillance or this is a hidden camera surveillance that they believe to be from this house they've been staking out how did they get the video if they don't know where it was recorded and it's just like the logistics of what this video is actually showing us is a little weird especially considering what we find out when we get to the house i I'm not sure what you're referring to there, but I, I, I thought what it was was that the videotape was taken by the organization as an internal proof of concept for their assassination program. But then how did the FBI get it? 
I don't know, but I hand wave that with that they aren't giving Tom all of the information on how they I for me that was evidence that indeed they have also been running their own investigation. It's not just Tom Vale who's on the case. That's sort of yeah. how I took it. Okay. Well, I'll get to my other thing about that in a moment. Okay. So um uh so Robin says that they were planning on raiding this house the previous night. However, when Heritage House got shot up, they postponed their plans. So they're going back there tonight. Tom says he wants to go with them. Robin refuses, saying it's against protocol, and Tom's too valuable to send on a field mission. But Tom says he has a ton of information that he will only give if he is allowed to come along. Tom checks on Jenny, who's distraught, but says that she'll be safe there in the safe house. She says she knows these people, the people that are around the building. She thanks Tom for saving her life, and he thanks her for the same. So, like, they do have a nice moment. She goes to hug him, and they both thank each other for saving each other's lives. Um, so that night, the uh, Tom shows up with a SWAT team at the house. Tom and Rod- Robin uh, go into the building after it's secured. Once they're in the building and they do say like, okay, yeah, this is where the video was taken. They go down into the basement where a bunch of computers and photographic equipment is set up. Um, Robin assumes it's all like, that's how they made the video. Is like, it's all like video editing stuff. But Tom recognizes and he kind of geeks out for a little bit at all of this photo equipment. This is what I mean by it's a little weird. The house that the video was taken in was someone that they were bra- the house I guess of someone they were brainwashing to become an assassin. But this is also in the basement is where they doctor photos. I- <laughs> okay. I- was was that part of the guy's brainwashing is okay, go and doctor this photo for us? Huh. I don't. Yeah, that, that's an interesting point that those don't necessarily make sense together. I I wasn't like definitely. I thought of this house as it is a fake house. Okay. It's not like like this. I mean, is, like this isn't where this guy has lived for twenty years. That's not that was not my impression. Okay. Um. It definitely felt like it was a place that they like. It's a. It's a. It's just a. It's a. It's a training. It's a, it's a testing facility essentially. Oh, okay. Like it's it's it looks like a house, but it's it's just um it's one of the many places that they like that's because there were cameras in it. I really thought of it as this is just this is this is you know quote unquote their lab for for, for all intents and so, purposes. So then um let, let me let me describe what what then could possibly be a thing? And you tell me if this sounds like it makes any sort of sense. Okay. So let's say the guy that they had brainwashed was already under some sort of like a, a minor level of brainwashing. Yeah. He goes to this test house, yep. calls up his friends and says, Hey, I just got a new place. Come over. We'll play poker. Yep. They get there. They hang out. They then the phone rings. He goes to answer it. And then like the real brainwashing kicks in. He goes and kills them, kills himself they know everything works. That is basically so like that's, that, yep, makes that is basically what okay. my interpretation of what was going on was. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense because also some of the lines of dialogue almost made it sound to me like multiple murders had been carried out and multiple assassinations had been carried out in this house. But I guess that makes sense if that is what's happening. If it's not just this guy's actual house, right? It's just the place where they test out the if the assassination yeah. works. Okay. Okay. That there, that makes a lot more. There sense. is there is also I'm fairly certain a line where he says about the pizza guy like oh yeah they can't find this place very easily on on. Oh, that's a good. Okay. Right. So like that's actually a really good detail. Because I remember we were playing D and D um out of yep, a friend of ours house, house. And, and the pizza didn't get there and yes. it was the, I think within the month of them having moved in so 
Yeah. Th- that's what it made me think of. Of th- Oh, yeah, I have to explain to my friends who don't already. When we would play D&D at Jay's, everybody knew to yeah. watch the Mountain Dew bottles that were wedged up into the ceiling and not knock their head on it. <laughs> right. that, that didn't have to be explained. So the fact that he was explaining yeah. that they okay. couldn't find him out here, it did have a, a an air of... I don't think this was explicit, but it, that's that's how it that's part of how it lodged in my brain as oh this is like a cabin, like it's way too okay. big to be a cabin, but it's like this is some new yeah. place that this is not a normal place for them to hang out. This is oh we can play cards in my new place, or oh this is my vacation home, or whatever. And maybe maybe if it had looked less like a two story building that was boarded up or whatever, <laughs> and more looked like I just guess. a you know feasible oh yeah that's a vacation house that someone went to oh yeah my my buddy from work sent me here you know or you know cabin in the woods basically that oh yeah i got a relative who's got a cabin in the woods and and some stuff goes on there over and over again because the people who they they, there are no survivors so sure okay that that actually does that explains pretty much pretty much all the problems i had with it i guess and yeah basically Um, like cabin in the woods the movie i feel like the stuff in the basement was that was a locked door Oh, this is my buddy's locked door or whatever. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't want people going down in the basement. And it was the organization sure. that was using that. That I do think it makes absolutely no sense for that to be where the photo equipment was. That's convenient as all yeah. hell. Well, so so I do have in my notes that I felt like even before I before you helped me understand this, I I thought it was probably that they had a few different plot lines that they wanted to connect, and they were like, "This will just make them all connect right together." Yeah. Um. But yeah, it, it is very convenient that that's where this photo altering stuff is. I, but I like whatever the case. Well, I liked your works. original thing right. for if he had found new photo equipment, right? If he walked into yeah. his. And I was thinking how you were saying, is there really something outside of like universities that has. So so maybe maybe we don't make a public darkroom business. That's not yeah. a thing. And he does have to go to a university. Sure. And that university does have better equipment. And because there's better equipment, he notices the radio frequency. And so he... Hold up. Okay. Sorry. Well, no, go ahead. So, so I, I just had an idea. Yeah. I Sorry to interrupt. No, Tom goes to Heritage House not because he knows it's under uh, surveillance or whatever, because that's uh, some sort of college facility where they have photo equipment. While he's there, he notices that there's a uh, this weird frequency in one of the things, in one of the pictures, and he's tuning in, and he, he's like, oh, you know, I've heard of frequencies like this. This is like some sort of a restricted government, whatever. And then he tunes into it, and then he hears, all right, we're about to storm the building. And he realizes, like, holy crap, that has to be within 30 feet of here, or whatever. You know, that's a short-range thing. They're about to storm this building. And then he runs and grabs whatever and hides or something. I mean, it's it's a different show at that point. It's a different opening to the show. And the reason I didn't bring it up was at the time was because, yeah, I was like, well, no, they they find the photo equipment later. So that's that's fine. But you're right about the photo equipment kind of doesn't make sense there. So that's why I brought this up now was if there was a more logical place for the photo equipment to be. Yeah. So that that, that they they just went back to that then. I think it flows really well for it to be in the basement in terms of just pacing. So okay. I didn't notice like, oh, that's weird. Mm. Um, but yeah, it makes no earthly sense. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. So there's actually a, a neat moment here that I had to do some research on. So when they get into the basement, um, Tom sees all this, all this photo equipment and he says, this is what they use to alter the photo. And then Robman makes a comment. He's like, oh, you mean like the photo of Oswald standing in his backyard with the rifle that killed Kennedy? 
Do you have any idea what he's talking about? Uh, vaguely, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know the specifics, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of controversy over the Kennedy assassination. Sure. I had to figure out, like, is he talking about a specific thing or what? So I, I did some research. Like you said, when Kennedy was assassinated, there was a lot of controversy. A lot of people said that Lee Harvey Oswald did it. A lot of people said Lee Harvey Oswald didn't do it, that he couldn't have done it, whatever. One piece of evidence that he did do it is that the rifle that was ballistically connected to the the bullet that killed Kennedy uh, was a, a rifle that Oswald owned. In fact, there was a photo of him standing in his backyard holding the rifle. So a lot of people would point at that and be like, well, clearly he had the rifle. So it is, you know, if the rifle that killed Kennedy is a rifle he owned, that adds to the evidence that it was him. However, a lot of other people really scrutinized that photo and came to the conclusion that it was doctored because apparently the way he's standing, like the angle of some of his shadows, Mm -hmm. it looks like it couldn't have fit together. So uh, there are different camps, some saying that this is proof, so other people saying this is proof that it was a cover-up, that they doctored a photo to look like Oswald owned this gun. The thing is, though, in 2009, 13 years after this episode came out, people were able to use modern technology to determine that the shadows in the photo are congruent with the way he is standing. It looks weird. It is kind of an optical illusion. But if you were to position a person of his height with a gun of that size, all the different objects around the room, it actually does fit the angle of the sun at that day and time. I just thought that's a neat little thing because not not only is he referring to an actual thing, right. but since the episode, <laughs> yeah. this has been made more clear. Yeah. I think that's really cool. Yeah, that is neat. Like, I knew roughly what he was talking about, but I didn't, you know, it's not something I've delved that much into, so I didn't really, I was like, yeah, 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 that's a thing. Yeah. I'm sure that's a thing. So, at this point, uh, Robman begins to realize that Tom knows more than he's letting on about. Tom starts to explain about his photograph. Robin asks if he can see it. Tom says he has a print, but of course, Robin says he wants to see the negatives. Tom doesn't immediately become suspicious of him, though, which is... I have in my notes here an emoji. Okay. I do my notes on the computer. Computers do not have emojis in 2020, 2021. Sure. I went to a website and got the emoji and copied and pasted it into <laughs> Google Docs. I was so mad about this. It's the it's the mad with the sensor bar emoji. Sure. Um, <laughs> my, my note is this is the stupidest thing ever. <laughs> yep. Because nobody asks for the negative of a photo. Nobody says... Here's a photo of our trip to Alaska. Pfft, fine, but where's the negative? Like a f- like a print is the photo unless it's a story about negatives and it right. shouldn't be a story about negative like oh, it's just Mitch Hedberg had had a comedy bit where he's talking about he bought a donut and they gave him a receipt and it's like I don't need proof of this transaction. He's not I'm not going to be telling a friend, "Oh yeah, so I bought a donut." BS, show me the receipt. <laughs> Yeah, it's as absurd as I mean, it's not completely because obviously he later on, I find out, okay, he knows he know that that that, uh, you know, the director knows about an alternate version of the photograph. So he's trying to assess which version of this photograph do you have? So it was it was eventually resolved a bit, but it is just it happens so much on this show 
for for it to just be regular parlance drove me insane. You say that he knows that there another version of this photograph exists, and he does. We'll get to some problems with that yeah. in the later later in the episode. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So he says he wants the negatives. Tom says he doesn't have them. Um. Robin agrees to uh, agrees to look at a print. We then see that all of this is being watched. So like it sort of, you know, pans back and it's it's being watched on a monitor by the two shadowy men from earlier. The first one, uh, I think the, the younger one says that they're getting close. And then the older one says, I think it's time we made a phone call. Uh, I don't recall if this is the last time we see them or not. I think it is. Anyway, it's a cut to commercial. So we come back and uh, we're in an FBI computer lab with walls covered in acoustic paneling for some reason. <laughs> Uh, I put in my nose, a computer that's beeping way too much is analyzing a scan of hidden agenda. Also on the table is a bunch of negatives. Like you can see that there's this negative sitting on the table. Okay. Did Tom bring the negatives or not? A computer tech looks at the photo and says it's been altered. Some of the trees were digitally added after the fact. And then I'll, in, I'll get to this in a second, but like they keep doing stuff to like unalter the photo. But again, they don't have Tom's negatives. They have a print. You can't remove layers from a print. It That's not how any of that works. It, it's like they wrote it as Tom gave them the negatives, but they had a very pointed mention of he's not giving them the negatives immediately before. If he just gave them the negatives, that's a bit of a narrative leap, but... If he gave them the negatives, the rest of the scene would make sense and the rest of what happens with this makes sense. But as it is, you can't make, you can't remove alterations to a print unless the print itself has been altered. I, my, my, my sense of it was, I mean, the, the thing is, you know, what you can do with technology in the world of a TV show changes quite a bit. Okay. So you're saying it's just that the, the FBI has good enough computers that yes, they can. Well, it's, it's those, I mean, didn't they, you know, I don't know, man, like if the thing was Tom encounters state of the art photo equipment in the basement or whatever, and they're saying you wouldn't have been able to see this without this equipment. And that's, that's actually from this scene. They say, like, you wouldn't have been able to see any of this without our equipment. Okay. So I just sort of accepted, like, yeah, sure, it does that. Like, there's so many, there's so much yeah. stuff that is works nothing like how it's how it's seen on, on TV um, that... Zoom in, enhance. Well, yeah, like, zoom in and enhance is usually nothing. Uh, there, there are a couple of different times I've seen in movies where... They like copy and paste an outfit onto a person and oh, the person's just in the outfit. Like <laughs> right. we're getting close to that with AIs, but you know, no. That, That's uh, in the year 2020, yeah. So um Yeah, this this is very I think this is confused a bit too, honestly. And 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 the more that I have spent some time with you. Every time I hear your incredulity, I'm like, oh, did I miss a thing? Oh, I missed some things. And like my own brain will start to to pay attention to like, wait, that doesn't make any sense. Oh, God damn it. Um, so let's just keep going. <laughs> I'm rubbing off on you. I'm sorry. No, it's all right. We'll just keep we'll keep coming back to this moment, probably, as yeah, we as probably. we see bits explained. 
Um, so computer text, you know, looking at the photo saying it's been altered. Um, Tom says he's seen digitally altered photos before, and he's looked at this photo a thousand times. I put in my notes in capital letters, bullshit number one, Tom. No, you have not. <laughs> the tech explains that unless you are using super advanced technology, this exact super advanced FBI computer tech, there's no way he could have known. Cheap cop out, but whatever. He points out that even blown up, the editing was done so well that nobody could tell. It might take hours to know exactly how much of it was altered. That night, Tom is in Robman's office. Robman lights up a cigarette and says he's been trying to quit for a long time, but something always comes up. That's the problem with this business. Something always comes up. And I I thought it was a neat detail. While Tom's watching this guy smoke a cigarette, Tom like starts rubbing his neck. Oh, does almost he? Almost like maybe he's jonesing for a cigarette I or love something. that. I don't think we've That's seen great. him smoke in a while. That's great. Um, Robman says he's told Tom everything he knows. He wants to know the whole story from Tom. So Tom explains that this organization wants the negative and they've erased his life and forced him to question everything he ever thought was real. He thought he'd taken the photo in South America, but about a month ago, which I'll get back to in a second, a defector gave him directions to a location just outside D.C. And he found the gallows right there. With the exception of the people and the palm trees, it was exactly the same place. Now, at first, when I heard him say it was a month ago that the Hidden Agenda episode took place, I was like, oh, no, it is not. But... If the episodes Doppelganger, Through a Lens Darkly, Dark Side of the Moon, and Callaway all happened pretty close together, and then there was like a, a few days where he was quote unquote in a coma <laughs> in zero minus ten, um, it actually could that that could be accurate okay. for viewers. It's been like two or three months, but okay, close enough. It's I'm it, it's not so obviously wrong that I you know it just sounded real wrong because like. No, it no, it hasn't. We we recorded that like six months ago. What are you talking about? Anyway, um, so Robin asks if he was surprised to hear the photo had been altered. Tom says no, he had been suspecting it for some time. To which I put bullshit number two. Tom, no, you did not. This is the first time Tom has looked at his own negatives that he has been running around with for at least nine months, depending on what episode you're referring to. Yeah. If he had been suspecting that the, the the negatives were doctored, he would have examined them more recently than yesterday. <laughs> he would have seen that radio frequency more recently than yesterday. But whatever, they are trying to sow a little bit of seeds of, you know, you know, maybe he has been wondering about this for a long time i did say they should have done that at the beginning of the episode but if the beginning of the episode hadn't happened exactly as it did i wouldn't be so resistant to the idea that he's been suspecting it for a while because look at your photos (laughs) tom so robin asks tom to take him to the location outside dc where the photo was taken Tom agrees, and someone comes to the door saying the computer technician found more irregularities in the photo. So they go back to the lab. The technician explains that long sleeves were added to one of the hangees in the photo. He looks underneath it, and then, I already went over this, but I said, bullshit number three, you cannot remove something from a print of the photo. That is not how any of this works. (laughs) But anyway. how, How about this? How about this? Yes. When you make a Photoshop document... Yeah. You can either look at the image or uh-huh. you can go through its layers. Yeah. Obviously, you you can't 
in 2021 do this with a print. Sure. But what if that's what they're suggesting without explaining it? I mean, I, I guess like if this episode took place today, yeah, no question. They could do all of this with today's technology, with the way the photo would have been taken nowadays, but it's just at the time you can't, you can't take a print from 1995 and do that. No amount of Photoshop will let you look at layers of a, of a photo from 1995. Because right. the photos didn't have layers back Let's, then. But what if the negatives, I mean, this this is a whole new piece of canon, but I mean, it's congruent uh-huh. with some of the things in the show. Yeah, We don't actually know if Tom really took this photo, uh-huh. where and when he took the photo, sure. and where and when he would have gotten the negatives. So are, are you saying that the negatives would have those layers? Because I'm I'm fine with that. Like okay. th- that would have invalidated. I would not have any like, problem. Negatives problem don't is, work any different than 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 photos in terms of like you can't pull layers off of them. Sure. But yeah. Maybe but my he, problem is my problem is the immediately previous scene. Right. They were like, I can't give you the, the negatives. I can only give you this thing that we have established does not have all of the information that is in the negatives. I can only give you a cheap copy, and that's the print. If a if a print had all of the information at no point would like there have been several times where, where a print of the hidden agenda has been in the organization's hands. Now I know we're kind of starting to recontextualize what it is they want of the negatives, but like he's never been afraid of a print having information in it. Yeah. That's, that's never been an issue. If they didn't have the part where he said, you can't have the negatives. I would not be complaining about this. And I don't want to keep harping on this. I don't mean it like that. It is explained by super advanced FBI yeah. tech. Computer wizardry, as they have said Computer, before. Exactly. Computer wizardry. But it's just, that's that's originally where I put it in my notes. Yeah. And I brought it up earlier, so I'm bringing it up again. Okay. I, I don't want, especially on this, this episode, it's going to be a beast of an episode. I don't want to spend an hour complaining about <laughs> this photo. Right. It's It's fine. Just don't put, don't tell me he can't give them the negatives and then give him something that is just as good as the negatives. Yeah. Anyway. So they find a Holocaust number tattoo on the arm of one of the, uh, one of the, the people being hanged. Tom says this is impossible. He says he may have been confused about the location, but he couldn't have been confused about what he saw. He says the people that he saw be hanged weren't even alive at the time of the, of the Holocaust. They were like in their thirties. Right. Robin says that they can agree the photo has been doctored. Tom says, yes, but that's all they agree on. They Two of them get into an argument, but they're interrupted by a man who says that Jenny has started freaking out and she only trusts Tom. Robin tells the doctor to go give her some Haldol. Tom says he wants Jenny to come with them when they go to the hanging site. He won't go to the gallows without Jenny. Jenny only trusts him. He wants to keep her company. He wants to help her chill out. And then he says, or else break out the Haldol because I'm not taking you anywhere. <laughs> The next scene, they're in the car. They're in Robin's car. Uh, Jenny's in the back seat. Robin's driving to the location specified by Tom. His car phone rings and someone on the other line seems to be having some problem. He tells him, oh, take that issue to the director. And at this point, I put, remember remember car phones? <laughs> those those were a thing. I never had one. Yeah. I never rode in a car that had one. No. But you saw them on TV all the time. Rich people. Rich people had car phones. Yeah. So um, 
Tom suspects that whatever this issue is has something to do with them, and Rodman refuses to tell him what it is. He says that if he did, it would endanger Tom's life even more. But he says he'll tell Tom everything after they get to the gallows. Cut to commercial. We come back, and they pull up the car in the woods, which is not at all the same location as the Hidden Agenda photo, or the Hidden Agenda episode. Not even close. It was the most nondescript group of trees, yet I can still tell it is not at all the same location. That's a good point. Whatever. Fil- filming locations, I'm not. that's not a big thing. It's just I have to say, it looks nothing like the same location. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Um, as they get out of the car, uh, Tom tells Jenny to wait in the car. Robin tells her there's a gun in the glove compartment just in case she needs it. Tom and Robin go through the trees, and this is the part where Tom about to get assassinated <laughs> because they're walking through the trees. Robin, who is behind Tom, takes out his gun and starts noisily loading it. Tom is not in any way concerned. He turns back and he's like, uh, oh, are you expecting to use that thing? And... Robin could have been like, yup, bang, and kill him. But no, I mean, Robin, that's not what Robin's doing. Just it looks so suspicious. He's right behind Tom. He's secretly taking out a gun and whatever. Anyway, Robin says uh, it's been a long time since he's been out in the field. So just in case, that's why he's got the gun. Um, They get to the clearing, except again, not the clearing. And Tom flashes back to the hanging we saw previously. He confirms that this is the place. And it's real weird because they, they show... They show footage of the hanging from the Hidden Agenda episode, but it's like been cropped really weird and it's the wrong aspect ratio. It's like stretched upward. They did a real, unless it was an intentional choice, they really messed up. these. The flashbacks just look really bad. Okay. I guess. Anyway, um, satisfied that this is the location, Robman calls his agents on his cellular telephone and has them match up his car's GPS coordinates. He wants a full forensics investigation, and he's going to get the NSA involved to review satellite photos of the area. I was so excited about getting okay. satellite photos of the area over the last couple of years. Oh, yeah. I am now in this moment realizing I am not going to see Tom Vale interact with satellite photos from that area over the last three. I was so excited when I saw that because there's still an episode <laughs> left. I'm realizing now that never comes back ever. Instead, the show Doesn't. just takes a hard left into a completely different place. Robman has basically, I mean, he has mentioned twice in the next episode. Yeah. I, it would have been nice to have him have him be in the next episode even a little bit. But I mean, for, for understandable reasons, I guess he didn't. But man, just just like... The soothing balm of like, you can go back and get satellite photos for the last three years. We could find yeah. out what could what 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 happened. We could figure it yeah. out. We could learn. You know, like in this Harry Potter book I'm listening to, I'm at the stage where the bad guys are just explaining their freaking plans to the point of just like, I don't remember it being this explicitly. They are monologuing about what their plans were and how they got here. Um. But that's plenty uh, common for 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 a mist. That's that's why I don't believe they actually wanted to create a mystery, because part yeah. of a mystery is explaining the things. There's a you know in Knives Out, they did this amazing yeah. thing where basically thirty minutes in they're like, all right, the mystery's explained, and you're like, but I haven't seen a movie yet. What the hell is going on? <laughs> 
Yeah. And so you think you're watching something else for a while and eventually more information does come out. But by the time it's done, you do see all of the things. There's no, there's no, ooh, I wonder. There's no, ooh, let's, you know, television isn't movies. Movies are finite, but, but still, Gabe, I wanted those freaking satellite images. I wanted some definition so badly for like, yeah, just, just tell us, just tell us, right? And that's what I think they didn't want. That's I mean, that's what I think Lawrence Herzog was talking about when he was saying, should say Lawrence Herzog, RIP, because this is it. This is the end of the show. And he's real pissed off that the show had to end this way. Um, yeah. That they, they didn't want us to ever have resolution. I mean, it, still, it still ends with so many, so much mystery. <laughs> Just because you have explained the driving force of the show by the end of the first season isn't a problem. Yeah. Like that is not the whole mystery. Yeah. We're not sitting here going, well, I know everything. Yes. It answers a question, (laughs) maybe two questions, but it, it still leaves so to get upset at the amount of questions they have answered. Bruh, you should have been answered that many questions 30 minutes into the first or second episode. Anyway. So now that they're at the location, Tom asks Robin who the guy was with the 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 number ta- the Holocaust tattoo on his on his wrist. At first, Robin refuses, but he eventually relents. He explains that it was Matthew Balkin, a U.S. senator, who disappeared mysteriously nine months ago. And there may not be any connection to Tom at all. It might just be that, like, Tom was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and so he got caught up in all this. Um, but Tom says the senator wasn't there when he took the photo. He says the faces of those men are etched in his mind. But Robin points out, like, you used to think the location was etched in your mind, too. Uh, he explains that these people can alter your memory. They very easily could have altered any part of this. So he says he has something in the car he wants to give to Tom. Once Tom has it... Tom will know everything Robin knows. But after that, Robin won't be able to help him. Like that's, once he does that, the floodgates will be open and whatever happens, happens. So they go back to the car. Robin goes to open the trunk. Tom looks in the car and notices that Jenny is missing and the phone is off the hook. And the we, we sort of hear that the phone is repeating the same kind of code phrase that the guy in the video was was given yeah. who then went and killed all the guys' party. So Jenny emerges from the woods with the gun that Robman told her was in the glove compartment. She shoots him. Tom, Tom tackles her, and Robman is hurt but alive. Jenny's in a trance, so Tom puts her in the car. Robin has has Tom get a screwdriver from the trunk. He's He's been shot in the arm, but he says like it went straight through him. He's not going to die. It just hurts a lot. I almost wish Robman died. Just like, based again, on the fact that he... He's not in the next episode and his fate is left ambiguous. I wonder if he got killed, in fact, in the next episode. Yeah. But he isn't. So, you know, just, yeah, just, just kill him off. But anyway, so he, uh, he has Tom get a screwdriver from the trunk inside the handle of the screwdriver is a key to a safety deposit box in the national bank in Silver Springs. He tells Tom that everything he knows about the organization and Senator Balkan is in there. And there's also something about Tom. He tells Tom to go get it and read it. He wishes Tom good luck. And Tom runs off as we hear Robman's men, whom he can't even trust, speed towards them. 
I have in my notes, Tom runs off to confront his destiny. <laughs> Cut to credits. <laughs> so like legit, the only to be continued in the series, Tom is running off to go do this thing as the episode ends. Yeah. So do you have a uh, silliest moment for this episode? Uh, originally it was the, um, okay, that's a photo. Fine. But where's the negative? But you know, again, as we've gone further, it makes much more sense. The following episode makes that not seem as dumb, but the way, but the way that conversation was dumb, they have gotten way too cavalier in like people just asking for negatives. Like that was a like yeah. that like it was all the rage in '96. Everybody was interested in yo-yos <laughs> and the tricks you could do with them, and negatives for photos. Photos were seen as yep. the boring shit. I want to see the negatives. I want to see the photos. I want to see the inversion of this on a piece of film. Furby, uh, uh-uh, uh, give me the negatives That's for right. Christmas. That's right. My silliest moment has got to be the shady guys watching everything happen. Uh, it was just so silly, and it was a contrived plot device just to deliver exposition we already had. We didn't need to see them be like, let's make a phone call. (laughs) If the phone is off the hook and it's saying the passphrase, we can put together that, that uh, Jenny was, was brainwashed. I never even put together until now that that's what that phone call meant. Well, and also they said, let's make a phone call the night before. (laughs) I, I mean, it could be that she wasn't actually brainwashed. They called her, brainwashed her over the phone, and then whatever. I don't know. Yeah. But again, just t- just cut out that line. There's no ambiguity. It's perfectly clear. Uh, do you have a cleverest moment? Uh, it was originally, as I was going through, I really liked the uh, the stack of newspapers when he flips it over and there's further instructions. I was like, oh, that's really good. Sure. Um, but actually, I felt that... Um, in my notes here, I I was ori- the first time I watched it, I was really really impressed with the with the assassination at the end. I okay. I didn't see that coming. That's rare in this show for it to for it to both for me to not see it coming, and it doesn't feel convoluted. Where it's like, oh yeah, of course that's what would happen. Um, like sure. they already established the phone was there. They already established that this was a <clears> thing. Um, so I I thought that I thought that was really good. It's it's the sort of thing that it's. I, I'm fairly certain we talked a little bit about this in the in the in our previous episode, which was like sometimes the smart thing to do doesn't look smart because what you're doing is just obeying the conventions of the genre. Okay, and that's what this felt like to me was like, oh yeah, that's what would happen here. That's like that felt like, oh yeah, that's that's the, that's television and not tom vale land uh so i i really i liked <laughs> is that what tv land stands for <laughs> yeah no yeah. <laughs> my cleverest moment was the um rescue or not the rescue but kidnapping robman i thought that whole the the newspaper yeah. the van going in and out of the building i thought was great however um i will also say that hiding a key in a screwdriver handle that's pretty good is pretty darn good too yeah i like that I would ask where you think the show is going to go from here, but you already know because we've already watched both episodes. However, let me, uh, because I would usually read the um, the one sentence, you know, mm-hmm. synopsis of the next episode. Yep. Uh, I, I want to specify, usually on IMDb, these are one sentence. Yeah. Uh, the one for Gemini is a whole paragraph that basically is the whole episode. <laughs> if they could have just used the first sentence of this and it would have been fine. But let me read you what is the summary of, you know, the the summary of this episode on IMDb. 
Vale avoids the operatives of the conspiracy to retrieve the FBI's case file on the mysterious organization that erased him. Vale learns from the file that an FBI operative named Gemini was investigating the conspiracy and compiled the FBI dossier. Taking refuge in Gemini's last known safe house in Virginia, Vale discovers the original untouched negative of Hidden Agenda. The untouched negative appears to connect the conspiracy to the highest levels of government. Vale contacts Senator William Wallace, who may be the next target of the conspiracy, to enlist his help. Wallace agrees to help and offers to convince the number two man at the FBI, Richard Barton, to investigate. But when Wallace later claims to not know Vale, Vale realizes that the senator has been compromised. And is that it? Vale tracks down Barton to find out the truth, but what he discovers about the conspiracy, Gemini, and hidden agenda leave him questioning everything he thought he knew. And that that is actually the ending. Okay. So, like, yeah, that's the whole episode. Everything except what the last 30 seconds of the episode reveal, that's the whole freaking episode. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's... uh. We're getting to episode 25, Gemini, and then in parentheses, man. Episode 25, Gemini, aired on May 20th, which again is a week after the previous one. And I guess I I forgot to mention anything about uh, the director or writer, um, the director Steve Stafford and the writer Art Monterostelli. Steve Stafford directed Heart of Darkness, which was the paramilitary episode. Okay. And he directed Shine a Light on You, which was the alien abduction episode. Huh. Okay. Um, so he did those two. And then these last, he did both of these last two episodes. Yeah. Um, and then Art Montrostelli, who wrote both of these two episodes along with Lawrence Herzog for this one, he wrote Father. He wrote Shine a Light on You. So him and Steve Stafford were both the director and writer for Shine a Light on You. And then Art Monterselli also wrote Through a Lens Darkly, which was the um, uh, Tom gets taken to a house and uh, goes through memories of his ex-girlfriend. Oh, God. The one with the, the one who died? Yeah. God, I forgot that was a person because it's never brought up before or after. <laughs> sure. That was such an interesting character. Oh, man. Now he got me thinking about whether or not that was real. or Oh, boy. Woo. See? Yeah, who knows? So I, it's it is so weird to me that these two episodes were written and directed by the same people because I will point out as we go, most of them will be kind of right at the beginning. Um, there are a bunch of things that just do not match up about the two episodes. Um, I guess spoilers for like a few minutes from now, like 30 seconds into the episode. <laughs> but uh, when Tom goes to... I, I guess, well, no reason to spoil it. I'll just say Tom goes to this bank. He was given a key for the safety deposit box. He goes there and finds some documents, one of which is the undoctored hidden agenda photo. If they had the undoctored hidden agenda photo, and if Robman knew that they had it, which he does, he knows what is in that box, why were they spending all of that time and effort undoctoring the hidden agenda photo he gave them? Yeah. They already had it. Yeah. It's like, it's it's so weird. They had a great cliffhanger of like, okay, Tom, here's the information. Here's the key. Go get it. 
it's all on you now. And then he gets there and the information directly contradicts what happened five minutes before. Okay. I, so I'm going to introduce this now because I think this is going to be essential to this episode. Go for it. I'm going to, I don't think they ever established this, but I think there is a line missing that says we had an informant working for us named Gemini. I've never met the man okay. and I haven't been able to access his equipment, his, his stuff for some reason. You need to okay. go get the drop that, 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 that I was going to pick up for Gemini or whatever. I don't okay. know. Like, because then if, because yeah. then he wouldn't know what was in the box. He wouldn't sure. have known the identity of the man who Gemini is. Yeah. And I think that helps preserve some of the momentum that they had going on. That makes a lot of sense. But like, it's not just that a line of dialogue, you know, you might think, oh, maybe they had that line and it got cut. But like Robin says, when I give you this key, you will know everything I know. And it's like, so yeah, you got to so fix you that. Know that there is a box. <laughs> that's all, you know, that's what you're telling me. Uh, it's, it's yeah, that's weird. And that, that's not the only thing. Another thing about this episode is that they they just a minute ago made a big deal about how we know who this guy in the photo is because he has this uh, this Holocaust tattoo. We know that he's this politician that went missing nine months ago. You might also be thinking, oh, okay, maybe the other guys that are in this photo also went missing nine months ago. You find out later in this episode, he did not go missing nine months ago. Mm. He went missing nine months ago and then came back. He has been back for several weeks. Sure. If that was the case, why aren't they investigating him? If if his disappearance was suspicious. Yeah. Suspicious to the point where we have an operative who was investigating this. Then, okay, why does nobody know? Why are you still looking into this if he's back? So I so so my thing was I got to where I, I, I got to see this photograph and I stopped. Uh-huh. Because I said, okay, yes. Gabe, this is it. This is where the show should stop right now. And that would that could be a suitable ending for the show. He sees the undoctored photo. Boom, leave it, leave it a mystery what that means. Because basically at that point, it's it's theirs to lose. They've snatched victory from the jaws of defeat. They have an interesting <laughs> enough cliffhanger. If they continue having a show, they will almost certainly fuck this up some way or another now based on your commentary it sounds like no no they knew what they were doing for long enough that they were like no we have to drive to this ending because this is the interesting ending i mean they say they do like one one idea i had while listening to the commentary was if it is true that they knew where the show was going to end up long ago okay but if they did maybe they wrote this script like six months ago Mm. and then at the last minute, they're like, oh, hey, hey, Art, you wrote the finale. Write a lead up to the finale, too. We need you to write this one. And then maybe he didn't uh, didn't look back at what he had written previously. Yeah. Maybe he he wrote from kind of from memory where he thought it was going to end up. But I don't know. There, there's a couple other little things I'll get to as, as the episode goes on, I think. Um, so in, the, in this episode, uh, the only notable cast that I have, uh, Hal Linden, who plays the character of Barton. Um, who is a pretty big character in the in the last half of this episode. Uh, he was in a 2001 Dolph Lundgren crime thriller movie called Hidden Agenda. Oh, no shit. Okay. I mean, it was six years after this TV show. That's but interesting, still. though. All right. Um, also, I think I mentioned this when we did Zero Minus Ten, which was the uh, episode with Allison. Like, Al- he t- wakes up from the, mm-hmm. um, from the coma. Yep. Uh, 
Choppy Giot, I believe is the actor's name, who played Ben Dobbs in that episode. The guy who was in one scene that oh, Allison yeah. was talking to on the phone. He's in the credits for this on IMDb. He's in the credits for this episode. <laughs> right. Clearly just a mistake. <laughs> but I, I had to look for like, oh, does anybody else come back? Yes, this random guy apparently comes back. <laughs> no, this random guy does not come back well, for understandable reasons. We have seen evidence that the IMDb page for this last episode may have been handled differently than the other pages. So, <laughs> Sure, sure. So um, do you have a one sentence elevator pitch for this? Nope. <laughs> okay <laughs> i mean be, because there's no way for me to talk about this episode except for its ending sure that's fine that's fine um so my one sentence elevator pitch is everyone tom gets to help him gets killed or replaced so he <laughs> I mean, relies on the only person he can trust himself yeah or can he <laughs> i mean i used to talk about when we started doing the memory stuff i loved the idea that it was tom is the only person he can trust against the world. And so it could have been this great epic about now he doesn't even have himself. Sure. And so I wish it were about that. (laughs) But, you know, I have very few notes about this episode. And to be perfectly honest, I watched it like less than 12 hours ago. I don't freaking (laughs) remember anything except for the ending because the, the last minute of it is the only thing that matters. And it, and it, and it shows. Sure. I, I think for the most part, um, we, we will probably get through this episode a lot faster than the last than the previous episode, except for the ending. We will probably spend a lot of time on the end. Yeah. Um, but who knows? We might be well. here for another four hours. <laughs> um, so Tom's at the National Bank. And oh, sorry, this episode does not have a an opening narration. Ah. I mean, it has the has the one every episode does, but it doesn't have anything beyond that. It doesn't okay. have any unique narration. So Tom's at the National Bank with the safety deposit box key that Robman gave him. He checks in with an attendant who asks Tom for his ID. I put in my notes, what kind of ID you got, Tom? He needs an ID. Yeah. What what, what ID does he have? I don't know, but spoilers, he might actually have the right ID. What do you mean? At the, before he goes to the safety deposit box? No. I mean, well, yeah, yeah. I'm saying I'm saying if Tom has an ID of himself, of a man who looks uh-huh. like him. That Tom, might... But he, he wouldn't have that yet, though. Nope, nope. I'm saying if Tom just has a driver's license. Oh, I see what you're saying. And so, so if he has like, oh, a Jim Doorman or whatever. Sure. With his photo on it. Or even if he just has a, an idea that says Tom Vale, like 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 he tells people his name is Tom Vale. Yeah. He, he could have an okay, ID that okay. says Tom Vale that he would just have. I guess. In the course of being him. And like as long as he for some reason, you know, as long as that matches what they're looking for on file. Yeah, it would be like I just thought like oh that's a weird gaffe. Why would they have him ask for an ID when clearly he doesn't have the right ID? And and sure. yet it works out that he could have an ID unwittingly. It would be nice for him to notice that it's weird that that worked. Yeah. But yeah, if if any time was actually spent on it, I would think it was intentional. I feel like no, I don't know. I, don't know. I think it's probably yeah, just stuff they think that they say and they didn't think about it, yeah. Sure. So uh the attendant opens up the box and it we see that it immediately alerts someone in an office who sends some men to apprehend Tom. So like when this box gets open, the organization presumably knows about it and sends people to get it. Tom goes inside the room with the box. I'll get more on that in a second. But Tom goes inside the room with the box. The attendant leaves him alone. He rifles through the contents. We don't immediately see what was in there, but we see Tom leave the building. 
Some men disguised as construction workers watch him and radio to someone posing as a surveyor, and and they signal to a van to follow close behind him. Tom notices the van and knows he's being followed. He rounds a corner while keeping something hidden in his jacket. Two men approach him from the front. He turns around, and a man jumps out of the van. Tom flees down an alley, climbing over a fence, and the man, you know, swarm and follow close behind. He's cut off by a policeman who asks if everything's all right. Tom, like, for a moment, is like, oh, thank goodness, a policeman. Yeah, dude, these dudes are chasing me. And then the man says, just give us the file, Tom. And he knows. So he so he, he punches the police officer, knocks the gun out of his hand, because nobody can fire a gun that they have pointed at Tom, apparently. <laughs> uh, and then he climbs up a uh, fire escape to um, and gets to the top of the building. However, as he flees... He accidentally drops an accordion file. The men at the bottom grab it and just let Tom escape because they got what they came for. They walk away, remarking at how much work it took just to get this one folder and leisurely peek inside to find a bunch of blank papers. Tom pulled the old switcheroo. (laughs) Up on the roof, because now Tom's not being chased, apparently. He didn't go anywhere else. He's right at the top of this building. Buildings, famously a thing that you can't just get down from. He just sits down, (laughs) takes his time. Oh, nobody's chasing me anymore. Looks at what (laughs) the contents of this file. It's like, dude, jump to the next building or or show Tom exiting a different building. Whatever you got to do. It's like someone chasing Tom down like, down to a dead end and then Tom getting to the dead end and be like, whoo, thank goodness I can rest. It's like, dude, you are, no, that you, one more step you need to do. There is nothing stopping them from just going up the fire escape to get you anyway. So up on the roof, takes a moment to breathe, looks at the actual contents, a manila envelope containing a bunch of papers and a photo, a photo of four elderly men in business attire being hanged. The original unaltered hidden agenda photograph cut to opening credits. Now, I have a few complaints here. These are separate from what I just said, like what I was just talking about, the differences between these two episodes. I just noticed today, having watched both of them in a row, these are from when I took notes several weeks ago. So these are a slightly different context. First off, I think it's a little silly that the organization knew that this file was here at all, to the point of having an alarm go off if someone retrieved it. If they wanted to get it themselves, why didn't they? With all of the crap they're able to pull, you're telling me accessing a known safety deposit box was out of the question? They couldn't brainwash a bank employee into going to get it for them? Or, if that didn't work, just stage a heist again using brainwashed operatives to get it? Spoilers, that's what they did with Tom. That's They got Tom to go and get it. Why not just do that with someone else? If they know that it's there to the point where they have an alarm in the box, if they needed it, why not get it? I guess. I mean, okay, maybe, maybe the end of the episode recontextualizes that, but like, it's the same episode. I don't think there's, they should still be at the point where it, I don't know. Anyway, second thing I want to point out a huge plot point in the previous episode was that one of the hanged individuals had a Holocaust tattoo on his arm, so the photo was altered to give him long sleeves to hide this. And yet in this photo, all four men are wearing long sleeves. (laughs) Okay. 
Third, if the organization was trying to hide the information in this photo by altering it, why did they put the details into the photo that served as clues to their operation? The man with the secret radio frequency being a big one. Why put a secret radio frequency into the photo if that will lead someone to finding their operation? Um, another one is the guy with the eagle tattoo in, in The Incredible Derek. Tom went after the guy in the eagle tattoo because it was a detail in the photo he wouldn't have gone after that if they didn't purposely put a guy with an eagle tattoo in the photo. Also, why did that guy run from Tom if he wasn't part of some... He, For all we know, he was probably just some army guy that they just had a stock photo of that they edited into the, the, the hidden agenda photograph. Like, it starts falling apart. The, the idea that the hidden agenda photograph had all these things that Tom has been using all this time falls apart when you realize, no, it was all doctored to hide something that isn't related to those details. Like if they're altering it at all, why put incriminating details into the photo? Why not just like, I don't know, make it look like a bunch of people at the beach or something. <laughs> why make it what they did? Why make it a treasure map leading to this mystery? Is it just to get Tom to go on this mystery? Because it's a, if so, that's, I don't know. That's very unsatisfying, especially that they are still doing that in this episode. Like I said, with tricking Tom into going and getting the thing, if that was part of their plan, why are they still working their plan in the final episode? Yeah. Does that make any sense? Well, it's hard to know whether or not it's a gaff that the, sleeves are shown yeah and and i mean that probably it's probably just they i don't know i don't know i mean that feels like it's probably a gaff um if like that's that's another small detail that makes it feel like well they clearly didn't make these episodes back to back because if they did that th- they would know they would hopefully know a detail at the very end of the first episode when they made the beginning of the second episode because it's the same people writing it and the same people directing it it's weird that they would make something such a big plot point and then just disregard it. Yes. I guess. Yeah. It is entirely possible. I don't think this is what it is, but it's entirely possible that, I mean, if the photograph is correct mm-hmm. to what they intended, the first thing Tom should notice is that, wait, the tattoo is missing. He should be like, whoa, whoa, I got to sit down, pull out all my photo equipment on top of this building and take a closer <laughs> look because I think, right. you know, pull out a big old magnifying glass. Um, From the way you're describing the commentary, it feels like they don't have pride in this episode. Okay. I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't care how rushed it is or if it was just an inevitable like like i don't know how much work it is to to you know get this shot for this photograph maybe it was Mm -hmm. harder work than they thought or something and and it was uh, you know they sent a unit out to go take the photograph or something it wasn't over it wasn't it wasn't nobody was there to oversee it properly like maybe they they shot the photograph while the writer and director were working on the first half of the episode. And then when it came, they either didn't care to 
look at it and make sure that they it either wasn't feasible to go reshoot it or nobody noticed because nobody cared. Yeah. Or yeah. And like you think that they would mention it on the, the commentary, but not if they're having a pity party. Yeah. Like if they're already in a bad mood that they had to make television instead of nowhere, man, it's entirely possible <laughs> that they wouldn't give a damn about like they probably wouldn't even remember like, oh, yeah, that was a mistake. Sure. The, the the way the photo is head, handled throughout the entirety of the show, because Amazing Derek, if I'm not mistaken, is episode three. And so, like, from the beginning, basically, they have been so inconsistent about what is and is not in this in this photograph. We've talked about this, that basically the yep. first episode should be him examining this photograph. I think we maybe have talked about, I don't know, Prison Break, where the guy has the entire tattoo all over his body that is that is all of the map and information that he needs for breaking out of, of, of this prison, but it's all hidden inside this ornate full body tattoo. And you see that in the sure. first episode. So you know he has this thing on him that is what the episodes are going to be about. It's a way for him to to, to, pl- to keep track of what his plan is or whatever mm-hmm. and... and pull information off of it or something that he couldn't remember that he couldn't memorize, but he could have, you know, encrypted into this giant tattoo set piece that he's wearing. Um, uh, I, I also talked in one of the previous episodes about in the show, Briscoe County junior. Um, they didn't know who was going to be playing all of these criminals that the main character was going to have to be chasing down. Yeah. So they just hid those criminals from you in the first episode. They very easily could have done something similar, like have, the, what we see in Hidden Agenda in the first episode only be a small portion of the photo and then, like, have... I mean, I guess they kind of did that with Incredible Derek. I did complain about... You could tell this wasn't originally well, part of the photo with the guy with the, the eagle tattoo. I, I, I'm um, not 100% conversant on this, but if I'm not mistaken, there's, like, this briefcase with glowing light that is never resolved in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. If they had done that with the photo... What if we like never, never actually see it? Yeah. What if we had never seen Hidden Agenda? What if the camera was from the point of view of the frame of Hidden Agenda? So it's just literally people facing the camera, and the, from there, you know, you can infer from them that they're talking about a photograph, but you never actually see the photograph. That would have solved, I think, a lot of their freaking problems. It that would have been amazing. However, I could understand maybe some studio executive being like, "No, we got to see the picture." Yeah. Yeah. If it's a picture, we got to see it. Yeah. So that would, oh man, because then how powerful would that be if in maybe the hidden agenda episode, that's the first time you ever actually see the full photograph. Sure. Cause that's an intense photograph for that much investment in the show. Yeah. That would have been really cool. That would have been a lot of work though. <laughs> yeah. Cause just, just cause like otherwise, or like how in house they would sometimes write on instead of a whiteboard, it would be one of those clear ones with the white markers where you could see through them so that you could watch their faces while they're writing. Sure. If they had that where it was Tom is clearly looking at the negatives, but but we only ever see a little piece of the information um, as the audience because it's okay. I think it's okay for the detective to know something that the audience doesn't know. Sure. But 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 yeah, like the fact that our, our, you know, the big complaint in the last episode was, you know, recently I've been thinking about these negatives I have. Like maybe I should look at them and see if there's something in there that explains what they're after. That's the dumbest yeah. thing. That's the dumbest thing. What's the stupidest thing in the whole series? The 24th episode is when he looks at his photo and goes, hey, there is some shit. Oh, I never here. noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, with, with this photograph, so like this is where I stopped. I stopped here because I was like, all right, this is great. This oh, there's, there's like four dead 
old white guys in this and not the freedom fighters or whatever. This is a huge reveal. And if it stopped right there, I wouldn't have had time to like think about it that much. And the longer the episode goes, the more, yeah, the more it's, it doesn't make sense. If it had, if it had been with the sleeves rolled up Mm -hmm. so that that wasn't part of it. Um, and if they didn't add the details of like, oh yeah, those guys are still around. I saw him eating a hot dog the other day. Like if they didn't have all that stuff happening, like that did not yeah. contribute, that detracted. That's that was my fear was that they that by continuing to have television, they would ruin it. Yeah. And here's the thing. Here's the thing because I was I had my other complaint was that like, oh yeah, the organization knowing that this is here doesn't make any sense. Mm. Uh, it doesn't contribute to the episode either. It it, it gives the episode a like early chase you know a pre-credits yeah, chase right. scene it doesn't come back nothing changes because now they know tom has the the contents of that safety deposit yeah. box yeah well and again if if it is all about they're just paying attention to him and toying with them like then i can understand mm-hmm. that my original thought was okay you're right it shouldn't be the organization that's after him it should just be like bank security which is a real thing like he sure. doesn't have the right ID or whatever, or something is amiss. And so the bank sort of gets wise to, you know, something is up and he has to escape the bank or something so that they have the exciting opening that, that leads to the, cause that's the point of that is it's supposed to be some business before showing this reveal. It's supposed to feel earned. It's an important mm-hmm. object. It's, it's supposed to feel earned is what they're trying to do. Here's what you do. It's not the organization that knows that he has the file. It's the FBI. Okay. They know that the FBI has a safety deposit box. Robman, you know, was whatever in in charge of that department. Okay. Tom gets it, opens it. As he's leaving, some FBI guys walk up, show him their their badges, and they're like, uh, hey, come with us. That's classified information. And then he's like, no, no, Robman gave me the key. And they're like, who's Robman? Ooh, okay. Or even like Robin uh, was, you know, excused of his duty or whatever. Like something like that doesn't matter. We know that that's FBI property. And now Tom has to escape from them. Yeah, because you're right. It doesn't chase scene, I guess, just different. I mean, the thing about chase scenes is I am not for them to begin with because I think it's Mm -hmm. very hard to do them well. Yeah. Um. This is another example of if you take the chase if you if you take the chase scenes out, the show has very little in it that isn't chase scenes and water drinking. Yep. Right. So it does sometimes feel like they were. I, and I and the the thing I can't I could not tell you, but I have a hunch it's not it's 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 a little counterintuitive. It's the sort of thing where it feels like that's the kind of thing that you could have producers saying we need more chase scene we need more action. People for years for decades are going to refer to this as a thriller. We need there to be you know. Yeah. action right except for then we watch the prisoner and there's chase scenes with giant white ball right and so it actually yep. feels like i think they want the chase scenes i think we've talked about this before that like they want to do an action movie but never went to action movie school yeah so in addition to that it doesn't it's not confusing to me that if you can't do your chase scenes well to begin with they also wouldn't make sense yeah so it really it just feels like you know a lot a lot of this show feels like an indulgence to the creator sure. it, and and this is absolutely one of those things and in fact the stuff with the photograph that that uh, the, the the legitimate claims 
complaints you're making, those feel like an indulgence where it's like, oh, I want it to be different this time. Or, oh, what if it was that? Or, you know. I, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and if so, like, you know, some of my complaints were like, oh, well, why is why do they put these details in there if it's just going to lead Tom to them and everything? I'm like, OK, the argument can be made. Yes, it's it. The organization is trying to mess with Tom, and that's why they gave him this goose chase to go on. But I cannot, I cannot live in a world where that makes for a better story. That you're talking about the Harry Potter series. You've yep. been you've been re-listening to the Harry Potter series all the time. I'm I'm on Reddit. I'm subscribed to r slash fan theories. You know, a lot of people or fan theories and and r slash plot holes are two subreddits that I, I like because I like hearing people's theories. I also like hearing about flaws in things. I think that's an interesting thing to find out that, yeah, even even big studios make mistakes and such. All the time, whenever someone points out some sort of inconsistency in some character mistake in the Harry Potter series, there's always a person that is quick to point out, ah, Dumbledore orchestrated it. Dumbledore did that. He he made it so that that would specifically happen to teach Harry a lesson. There was somebody recently who said, I think that the entire staff of Hogwarts was specifically chosen so that when Harry Potter showed up at the school, he would be given the right path to eventually defeat, to defeat Voldemort. And they had examples like, oh, well, this character did this thing. This character did this thing. And okay... That is not an interesting story to me. Mm-hmm. A story where one character meticulously planned every single detail of another person's life so that eventually they would be in the exact right place at the exact right time to do this exact right thing. That in and of itself is not interesting to me. What is interesting to me is someone who makes the best of every stumbling block, someone who makes the best of every situation. When an obstacle comes up, they find a way to get around it and get closer to their goal. That is a better story. Not that Dumbledore planned everything, that Dumbledore was smart enough to know, okay, we got this teacher. How can I, how can I do whatever with that? Even just the fact that people always credit Dumbledore with all sorts of things that make the story less interesting, in my opinion. He was smart. That's great. But that's not what the story, the story isn't about some guy plotting out Voldemort's defeat. Yeah. It is about Harry rising up to the rising to the occasion and doing what he needs to do in order to stop the bad guy. Similarly in this, a story where there is this photograph that someone is able to look at the small details, put them all together and then use them as a roadmap to get them to the person behind the photograph. That is so much cooler to me than we're going to put this clue here. Ooh, and we're going to put this clue here. He's going to see this clue and it's going to follow him to this. That is less interesting to me. Mm-hmm. It can be interesting, but it's a lot more work because then then it's like, how powerful is this organization? You have to stretch your mind to justify how they were able to know that this exact clue would lead Tom to this exact thing. How did they know that he would find that guy at the, the car dealership? How would they know that the car dealership would have already sold it to this other guy and so on? That is such a less interesting story, but so many people want there to be a big plan. And I mean, I guess we want a big plan from the writer, but in the fiction, that becomes less interesting to me. So it it just, it feels like such a cop-out. It feels like an unearned 
ending if it is that, oh yeah, all of those things that suddenly don't make sense because of how we've taken the story, uh, they did that on purpose. They knew it would work out that way. Uh, it was, it was all part of their plan. That feels like a cop-out to me. That makes for a less interesting story. I would rather root for Tom finding clues and following them than to find out that, oh no, the bad, yeah, they put that clue because Tom would follow it. Yeah. Because it would lead Tom to the thing. Like, that's not cool to me. That's the least interesting way to do it. I think that's what it is, though. Yeah? You think so? I do. I, I, from, from when I watched The Prisoner... And knowing that that was a big part of the inspiration and that he watched that while he was young. And while you're mm-hmm. young, you're much more likely to buy into the idea that the world's out to get you. Sure. That, and, and also that someone else has a bigger plan. Sure. Um, so it, it very much felt like the feeling in the prisoner was everything is designed to trap you here because the prisoner is about being in a, a physical location. Um, and this felt, and and I think I've called it before, this feels like the free range prisoner where the idea was, this is an organization so powerful. They don't even have to trap you in a little Island community. You can go anywhere. They'll still be able to operate. Um, that is what it has felt like to me is what Lawrence Herzog was trying to create. He was trying to create that, that his fidelity was not to plot, not even really to theme. It was very much to, if he can make it feel like Tom is being picked on by the organization, he mm. will do that above all else. Okay. That's that's the consistency I've seen throughout the story, is that it's not even meant to be a story. It's kind of a temper tantrum sometimes. <laughs> okay. That that it is that it is an attempt to capture well and, and but but a relevant one that is that is rampant in the culture. Mm-hmm. Um it is very hard to find a person who responds to a situation not feeling like, wow, why'd this happen to me? That's that's uncommon to to, to find sure. someone who's able to move past that, who's able to go, um, what can I do about this? Who cares how we got here? What you know, uh, or or rather, why we got here. like 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 let's let's assess the situation and find our way out. That's not common. What is much much more common is that that you you go on any social media, you 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 attend a party catch up with someone, what is more likely is they are going to tell you about why their life in particular is the center of the universe and bad. Mm-hmm. And that's what this show feels like a lot of the time is it's it's meant to personify that feeling. And he just wanted to keep that going forever. And that's why he was frustrated that he had to do plot. That's what it feels like to me. So it's, it's not so much that I think they're saying like, ooh, the organization has such a big plan so much mm-hmm. as I think... Because there's so many times where they manipulate the audience in a way that makes no sense in world, where it just feels like, okay, that is just there to manipulate the audience, to make the audience feel like Tom is being trapped and punished and trying to get him to um, relent and give in. I've said before that even since New Phoenix, that the, the, the show to me feels like the antagonist is give in, Tom, and Tom goes, no. With a little smirk yeah. in his voice because of how <laughs> cool he is for being rebellious. So th- that is what it feels like a lot of the time to me is that this this isn't meant to be a television program. It's meant to be an indictment of life. 
Okay. And 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 so that is that is what I see happening. Is it's not so much that they are saying, "Ooh, look at this huge big plan orchestration." It's less. It's more messy than that. It's less. It's less about, "Oh yeah, we had this planned all along," and more. I don't even care about that. You know, it's 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 less a hand wave and more a hand shove. Going, I don't care about that. <laughs> I, this yeah. is the part that I care about. And now they're now they're taking that away from me. Now 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 Tom has Tom and the viewers have information. If you have information, you can't be persecuted. So it's just that's what I see happening um, in this. I don't know if that tracks okay. at all with what with what you've seen, but I, I I I like the idea of what you're saying. Of it is more interesting to watch a character deal with their shit, yeah, than for there to have been a giant plot the whole time and it was all just one big machine that was that was moving around, but. The the thing that is trickiest is when you are creating something, you are creating half a thing, no matter what you're doing. Because mm-hmm. in order for meaning to happen within your audience, they have to fill in the blanks using the parts of their life that they can agree have happened to them too, uh, usually emotionally speaking. Like obviously, I, I have said from time to time, I don't know if I've said it here, it it astounds me how much I've never been inside an air vent, how much I've never, uh, you know, that, that I've never been in a yep. sewer because of all of the times that I've done these in video games. And I have just forgotten like, oh, yeah, I've never been to New York. That's in a video game. I've been to New York. I've never been in an air vent. That's right. in many video games. I've been in an air vent. Um, Like I have opinions about air vents from the inside. That's an insane thing. Right. Like like I've been in so many. Yes. I'm like, oh, one of these. So, yeah. So while audiences won't have gone through the same things as characters, in order for them to connect with the characters at all, it has to be something that they can recognize in their life going, you know, this tugs at me. This feels this feels like me, like that old joke the comedian made about, you know, a girl at a party going, this song is about me. Like, that's that's how we all are about all the things we consume to a certain extent. And I can picture Lawrence Herzog watching The Prisoner going, this show is about me and then getting to go create something of his own. Um. Mm -hmm. And because most media that we consume can be boiled down to this is about me, there's a wide variety of that. And so it's what part of the human experience did you did you capture? And when he was saying stories about the human experience, I think he meant his experience as a person that he assumed everybody went through. Because what will happen is everybody's going through a different life. They're all sort of set up with different strengths and weaknesses and different circumstances. But it is so it requires such a high level of abstraction to picture a, another person's life being different from yours and that being valid that we're still not even there yet in, in the 2020s. Yeah. We're really not there yet. Some people are starting to get there, but it's it really is a question of so much effort that it's not likely that most people can really picture somebody else's life. And certainly when Lawrence Herzog is doing this in 96, there's a good strong chance that what he thinks is, is that like everybody lived his life. And everybody but him is acting irrationally. Sure. That's how most people I have interacted with think about the world is that everybody has lived the same life as them and everybody else is just acting like an idiot and I don't understand why they're doing that. And nobody actually goes into like curiosity, generally speaking, to investigate. What do they know that I don't know? Because that's because the idea that there is something out there that somebody could know that you don't know, it just it just would buck our ego too much. So for the most part, people assume they know the, they, that everybody's lived like them. They're the person who must know the most because they're the only person acting rationally. And I don't find it hard at all to believe that there would be 
a show out there that was sort of the end result of if you stripped away all of the conventions of television and only made a show that was about indulgence of, well, obviously this is what life feels like. So when he's saying stories about human experience, there's a sort of academic conglomeration and variety that could be meant by, by human experience. That if you stand back and look at, oh, there's a variety of humans, uh, human experience that, that could be out there. But if you are a little myopic, you could very easily think my experience is the human experience and then create this mm-hmm. series designed specifically to capture how it felt to be you. And so that's what I think the series is ultimately. I think the series is a diary. I think the series is, um, I, I don't know who said it, it, but it was every painting mm-hmm. is a self-portrait essentially, regardless of the subject. Okay. That's yeah. what, that's what I think of when I see this show, especially having heard this commentary bit and now finally having seen it in its entirety, it just feels like a self-portrait. It feels like, especially when you consider Gabe, this is a guy who was frustrated that people above him were telling him what he could and could not do with his show. That's very much Tom Vale's experience. Oh yeah, absolutely. Right. That like Tom's yeah. Tom Vale's experience is he is persecuted by these people above him. So, and that is, and that is, you know, so we've talked about this since the palm top stuff, that that was something sort of shoved down their throat and that they sort of middle fingered a little bit and they they were like, we're going to do it. We're going to do it this way. That's, that's what I think is going on is it's just, sure. We have done our best to, from that Mm -hmm. and from what was actually written and acted and shot turn it into television which is for people and not the creator um right but i i since we're out of episodes and we can no longer sort of go well maybe they'll maybe they'll resolve that in a future episode we don't have that anymore um we we are gonna have to just accept some of the realities are uh there's a lot of ultimately like you're saying, you're saying it's it's unsatisfying if this if, if such and such is the, is is what we were watching. Um, I think it is ultimately an unsatisfying show. Okay. I don't think it's um, unworthy. Sure. I think it's cool that it existed, and as a piece of of attempt and art, I think it's fantastic. As because because in America we idolize so much the idea of like people going out and you know literally our high school mascot was the pioneers. You know we we love this idea yeah. of. You know, oh man, we're gonna go. We're gonna claim a new area. We're gonna invent a new thing. I'm gonna invent an app. I'm gonna change the world. Right? We don't idolize though the higher number of people who do try a thing and fall very short. In fact, we demonize those people when we find their stuff most of the time because it's sort of like, why'd you try doing this? This is crap. Um, yeah. and that that's what I that's what I see the show is as mm-hmm. as this. Failed experiment that we can learn a lot from. Now that I've seen it, I really do feel like, I, buddy, I don't think you're going to get a satisfying, unifying theory of this show because I don't think it is that. Um, sure. I think we've done our best. I think we've suggested a whole bunch of ways that we could turn it into something that would be satisfying for you or me or, or a general audience to watch. Um, mm. But yeah, we're going to have to kind of just accept that like we're at the end now. And I think it is just kind of one of those out there not satisfying fan theories of the prisoner created into a, you know a, a, a sort of its own thing yeah um so tom goes back to the do it yourself photo developing place and i think that's interesting there are not many locations that have been in two episodes of this show is it the same one i can only th- i didn't even think about I, that i believe so yeah i think so i i can only think of tom's house and tom's studio 
I guess, to, and, to, and Larry's apartment. Those are the only three. <laughs> and Ka- no, not even Callaway, because it wasn't the same Callaway. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so uh, he goes back there. He blows up the uh, the new photo, you know, the the unaltered photo. And we see flashbacks of the previous episode where he's talking with Robman about how all of his uh, memories have been put into question and how he su- suspected the photo was altered the whole time. <laughs> Uh, he takes out the other contents. There's more than just that in the manila envelope. There's also a key, a white key card, and a document titled Gemini Report. We then cut to Tom walking down an overgrown driveway out in the country that I have to ask, how did he get there? Did a cab take him out in the mountains? Anyway, we have a monologue from Tom. The entire file was compiled by an FBI agent codenamed Gemini. He was one of Robman's men. And the key in the file was to a place in rural Virginia that he apparently was using as a safe house. Uh, so Tom approaches a dilapidated, overgrown, boarded-up old house. He pulls some of the boards off one of the doors and goes inside. It's messy, the cupboards are all bare, and it looks abandoned. If this was Gemini's safe haven, it was obvious he hadn't been here in some time. Maybe not as obvious as I thought. As Tom notices a little uh, painted over keyhole in the back of a pantry cupboard and he uses the key from the manila envelope, it opens, revealing a staircase leading up. Uh, and up at the top is a big, well-appointed dining room and parlor. I just want to say it's it's kind of pointless to have a secret door that leads to half of the house. Yeah. <laughs> because if you're outside and you see this is a two-story building and you go inside and, gosh, there's only one story. Yeah. <laughs> There's, there's gotta be, it's secret doors work better when it's like hiding a small compartment or a basement, Yep. but maybe they just had access to a house that had a weird secret door leading to the staircase. I don't know. Well, and also, Um, no, you know what? He goes there during the day, but it's nighttime later. I was going to say, well, it's also easier to shoot during the day where you have less lighting issues, but there's plenty of nighttime shit at that safe house later on. So that's not it either. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. Small, small gripe. Whatever, no, I had the same uh, gripe. It was like, oh, yeah. And then I had to I literally had to roll it back and go, wait, what is the what's <laughs> like? I was like, surely I misunderstood. But no, it is right. an upstairs secret room. Like if a secret if a secret room can be seen from outside the house. Yeah, <laughs> probably not a good secret like, room. I'm going to spoil it right now. This is my smartest and dumbest thing. Because okay, I think the pantry yeah. door is cool because it's not a bookcase. But then what's behind sure. the pantry door is the dumbest <laughs> thing. So it's just. <laughs> yeah, I think this is my dumbest thing. Uh, but um, like my house in my basement, my house is kind of uh, uh, kind of standard for my neighborhood. Like there are a lot of houses with the same layout, except my house has an extra like a, an extra like a living room attached to the kitchen. And. Normally, when building such a house, even if you added on an extra room to the main floor, you wouldn't also add to the basement of that area. Most of the time, the basement would already be set. Oh, sure. And then you would add the the additional room later. But in my house, they did. So we have a door that theoretically I could put a bookcase on. And someone who was familiar with that house's layout, but not familiar with my particular house, might be fooled into thinking that there isn't a room there. I never thought I mean, about there's plenty that. of other telltale sounds, telltale signs, but you know, yeah, no, I'm thinking about it. I never th- like, so you're saying the paneled part of the basement is what would have been the original basement and that you think they dug out yep. 
the area behind that that's just that is in fact yeah just like kind of slate walls yep. it's it's basically just a, just two storage rooms but yeah yeah huh all right interesting interesting so like someone could definitely put some clues together and figure out that there was a room there but i mean we could if we wanted to we could uh, we could hide some of those clues you know anyway yeah. so just like yeah having a secret upstairs <laughs> is not really a thing I, you could do this gabe I feel like you could a little bit, maybe. I don't even know if this is possible. No, probably not. I, you could have like a, a saying, okay, maybe it's a three-story or four-story house, and one of the stories is inaccessible, and you don't notice that you haven't been there. And I was like, no, that's dumb. Yeah. That's not. That's still nothing. Well, here's the thing. If you set up, if because like let's say each floor is like nine feet tall. If you had three floors that were each six <laughs> feet tall... You could fit an extra yeah. floor in there or something. I don't know. Yeah. Have you ever seen Being John Malkovich? Vaguely, yes. A long time ago, yeah. But Very yes. weird movie. Par- part of the movie involves this office building mm-hmm. that one of the floors is half of a floor in between two other. They have to like stick a broomstick into the elevator door to get it to open yeah. at the right floor. Yeah, yeah like that. Like basically... <laughs> But but basically, that's not going to happen on this show. So (laughs) So, as I was about to learn, there was more or maybe less to this haven than met the eye. There was no electricity. Wall switches and plugs had been covered and long since replastered. So Tom finds an old oil lamp and then sits down with a glass of wine in this house. (laughs) I had come to this place hoping to find Gemini. What I found instead was a temporary refuge of my own. Although there was still no indication of who Gemini was or how he got a hold of this photograph, I felt strangely at ease here. For the first time in a long time, I felt my questions could wait, at least till morning. Um, so, so about the wine. Yeah. Um, I'm getting done with the Harry Potter where there's the character who only drinks from his own flask in order to stop himself from being poisoned so that was on my mind and then i'm sitting here watching tom just drinking somebody else's wine i'm like you dumbass like what are you doing (laughs) drinking somebody else's wine but when is the point okay when is the point would you like to to have this be the the point the point of no return i think so okay only only because Um, i think i will forget to come back here and i think this is relevant okay so would you like to to spoil the ending of the series yeah well, so so my understanding from watching the show, you tell me if I misunderstood sure. this, which is possible. Sure. Tom is Gemini. Yes. Or there is a Tom Gemini. It's. Oh. Well, and mm, well, here's the thing, no. too, is that Gemini, yeah. the Gemini it, it, are twins. Gemini refers to two people is the thing. So from the title, yeah. I was expecting there to be something to do with two people. And I, the, I'm pretty sure that's just referring to the double life that we find out that Tom has could be, but there's could duplicates in this show. So I don't know. So that's, so I don't know. Right. Yeah. So when I first saw this, I thought the wine was the silliest thing in the world. Yeah. I thought it was cool that all of the, the stuff was plastered over. I was like, Oh, that's really smart. You know, they're, they're making sure that there's no easy way to sneak in some cameras or something, whatever. Like, I, I don't think it's that smart, sure. but within the show's yeah. mystique, it is smart. Um, I thought the wine was the dumbest thing in the world, but basically the idea is that this is his safe house 
because later on he's going to go to hide the negatives and he will find that mm-hmm. he or someone who thinks just like him has hidden the neg- hidden a separate set of negatives in the exact same place. So yeah. I liked the idea that that's his favorite wine. Okay. Yeah. Like it's not dealt with because if if he said it, that would tip you off to as a viewer be smarter than Tom and go, "Why is my favorite wine here?" <laughs> yeah. But I think it's an important detail. I don't know if it's an important deal. It it could have been an important detail. It could have been like, oh, Tom is having the wine here because this is the most at home he's ever felt because this is literally a safe house built by him to make himself safe, to feel safe. Yeah. So, I mean, he he does talk about how it is this place that makes him feel very comfortable and very safe and that it is. I think that's going to be. Did you already read that or that's going to be in one of the narrations or something? I think. Um. um yeah, it's. At some point. Yeah. yeah. So. Oh, actually, sorry. It's, it's right here. It's it's immediately the next thing. So yeah, why don't you go ahead and read that? So Tom says, I had come to this place hoping to find Gemini. What I found instead was a temporary refuge of my own. Oh, and I just read this. Did you, is that what you just read? Yeah, I was busy preparing yeah, for sorry, the wine crap. So, yeah. So, so <laughs> basically, right. As dumb as it is that he is just like settling in. For whether he was a mind controlled person or a duplicate mm-hmm. or a who knows, the idea is that he when when he does the thing with with trying to hide the negatives and there already are negatives hidden in that place. Yeah, it feels like they're saying, you know, definitely this is a place designed for someone who has the creature comforts and habits of Tom. Yeah. Um. So I, I feel like there's some missed opportunity stuff here that will never get obviously paid off. But they could have done some things with it would have changed the tone. But like, what if he was like, didn't even realize he was drinking the wine, right? Yeah. He sort of snaps into muscle memory. Have you seen Jason Bourne? Have we talked about Jason Bourne and how yep. it's this 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 assassin guy, uh, you know, who loses his memory, but he saves his muscle memory is is still intact. So when he's handed ropes, he can do all of the crazy nuts that a super you know CIA agent or whatever can do. I mm-hmm. I would have loved the idea that like Tom doesn't even realize that he is drinking a glass of wine, that it is so natural there, but that would have tipped their hand too early, right? There's no way for yeah. them to like come back or, or maybe they could have flashed back at the end and been like, but that would have been cumbersome. But it just, it feels like if, if this is true that Tom is Gemini, then I, I, I love the fact that he's having that wine. I just wish there was a way to do something with it. That was like, if, if, when you know the the end comes and it's revealed like tom you are gemini if there was a flashback to this scene of him sitting there with the with the the glass of wine but it showed the 30 the I don't know, 10 seconds previous where he's reading the gemini document and like maybe he like taps a panel on the wall and it opens up yeah. and then he grabs it and then pours it and then puts it back without even looking yeah or something. I don't know. Yeah, no, exactly. Like that wouldn't really work within the show the way they're ending. Yeah. But that sort of thing. I would love the idea that like there were little bits of that would have been interesting as the second season, maybe that there that then you go back and you reshoot some stuff where like or you had the forethought to shoot this ahead of time and put people under non-disclosure yeah. agreements. But like that there were things that were there were gaps in his in his memory that, that that could have been a cool that could have been a cool tie-in to like oh no we've known this the whole time and some mm-hmm. of the stuff that you thought was weird is explained by the fact that Tom is is sort of blacking out uh like a sort of famous story where the character is disappearing in the night to go be somebody else 
Oh, shoot. If Tom was having blackouts in this episode and the previous episode, that would have gone so far to both connect this, both both have this ending be satisfying and also connect it to the Callaway episode. Yeah. That would have been, man. I Like, ultimately, I would have loved if they had, over the course of the series, been feeding in little bits of Gemini here and there. Yeah. When I was a little kid and I watched this episode and they're talking about this Gemini character, I remember thinking, yeah, man, at the end of the series, you finally find out that Tom is Gemini. And it wasn't until I actually watched the whole series and I was like, wait, who's Gemini? You find out about Gemini like 20 minutes before the end of the series, before it's revealed that Tom is Gemini. Like Gemini has no presence anywhere else. So it, f- I feel like the only reason they could have been introducing the safe house and everything is to then show that Tom is Gemini. Like it would have felt so much more earned if Gemini didn't just exist in this one episode. Yeah. Even as recent, even if the previous episode, which again, same writer, (laughs) same director, if there had been a mention of Gemini, because one of the things that makes me feel like these two episodes were not made by the same person. Gemini was one of Robman's men. Right. In some way, Robman was familiar with Gemini. Obviously, Tom doesn't know that he's Gemini. He doesn't go by the same name. Obviously, they probably changed Tom's appearance. But even still, please put something in the episode. You don't have to do it when they first meet, because if they put it in when they first met, if Robman had been like, you know, you look really familiar, or he gave some indication that he knew exactly who Tom was, that's immediately a red flag that this is a member of the organization. Yeah. But if after they've been working together for 10 minutes of the episode, have Robin be like, you know, you really remind me of someone and I can't put my finger on it. Interesting, yeah. Robin says, hey, Tom, can you hand me that? And Tom's already handing it to him. Oh, yeah. Okay. Or something. Yeah. It feels like Robman didn't actually, like the when they wrote Robman, they had no idea who Gemini was or what he was going to be. Yeah. And so they didn't put any clues whatsoever. It would have been so easy to put a clue in the previous episode that then leads into Gemini. But instead, Gemini is 100% a creation of this episode. He is never mentioned before this. So the reveal that Tom is this brand new character that nowhere was ever hinted at is much less meaningful than it could have been. Even if they didn't name him, but there was an operative if there were hints yeah. if there was the 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 secondary evidence that there was a character that he was trying to track down then he gets the name sure. and then this happens i think that would have been something I, heck here here's another idea for how the previous episode could have gotten tom into the action tom goes to like one of his places where he hides the negatives there's a note from gemini like one of the places that tom would have sent his negatives to or something like that Gemini already sent something there six months before the series started. Okay. Although that's what gets, that's what gets Tom into the events of the previous episode. Okay. Okay. Sure. So that he's, I have this, I have this note from a mysterious operative named Gemini who I don't know the, yeah, sure. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I want to ask about the doppelgangers episode. Okay. Yeah. That, 
Because like when I you, don't know <laughs> when you <laughs> when you were giving me the the, the recounting of all these episodes, I'm glad I asked you to do that because I completely forgot about that. And then when you talked about that, I almost stopped you so that we could talk for two hours about that episode because yeah. that's why I was saying I don't know if he's a doppelganger or not because like literally there already is a do- like who was that Tom? Is that the original Tom? Was that Gemini? Who was married to Allison? Is there more than one Allison? Is that where he lived? Was Tom Vale? You know, like uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, it would have been great to have a single callback in this episode yeah. to Doppelganger, to there's uh, something about her, to Forever Young, <laughs> to anything, any of the things yeah. that deal with implanting memories, yeah. that deal with changing someone's appearance, that deal with another Tom Vale to deal. Calloway could have been a great callback in this. There is nothing. I understand that by the time that the realization gets dropped, there's very little time left in the episode, and I'm sure that was intentional. I'm right. sure that they didn't want to give to... Maybe they wanted it to be like, oh, you can go back and you can... Uh, in 20 years, you can buy the DVDs for this. And well, I don't know what DVDs are, but you can buy them. And then you can see all of the little connections. But like, I knew all of this upon starting this podcast. Right. I knew, I knew what happens in this final episode. And the only things I could find were like, ooh, I... I guarantee they didn't mean that, but this is something that we could look back at later. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a fascinating thing that basically you've sat here this whole time and known that we were going to arrive here. And and here's actually a thing. Um, I tried very hard not to give any clues to this. Yeah, yeah. However, um, I think maybe even in the Doppelganger episode, there was a point where I felt I had noticed enough clues for a person to have logically come to this conclusion so there was one time where i did mention it as a possibility and when i said it i immediately regretted it because you were like oh i hadn't thought of that <laughs> i don't remember i don't remember what episode it was or exactly what it was i said but like i immediately regretted it. i was like hopefully steve already has this idea <laughs> but whatever the case again i tried very hard yeah only to say things that i felt were very well uh were, were very easily a conclusion you could have drawn by that because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i yeah. didn't want to spoil it no you did a great job and even if that was a thing we spend so much time between episodes that i have zero Definitely. recollection of that i didn't even remember the episode so for listeners though for the theoretical <laughs> listener that will listen to every one of these you know 10 hour episodes uh if if there is someone listening i don't want them to get to that point and be like oh did gabe just spoil it <laughs> i don't know um there was, a, there was a podcast I was listening to a while ago. There's a show I used to watch called Lex. Yeah. I can't remember if I've ever mentioned it on this or not, but um, there's a season of this show that I think has some really cool like revelations that uh, you realize halfway through the season. And I was listening to this podcast. It was a husband and wife. The husband had seen the show. The wife hadn't. And the husband just could never leave anything be. Until, like He always had to spoil everything way in advance. He would be like, you know, oh, so so this this planet that they just got to, it's one of the planets is like really fiery and the other's like a like a paradise. Uh what what do you think those planets represent? And the wife's like, I don't know. Or, don't you think they kind of kind of seem like something? Well, I mean, I I guess they're kind of like heaven and hell. Yeah, exactly. See, you got it. They're heaven and hell. It's like, dude, just watch the show. Yeah, anyway. no, you didn't do that. So you're you're absolutely you're in the clear. <laughs> so yeah, I there's more stuff to get to with this realization as we actually get to the the moment itself. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, definitely some things that that should be addressed at this point. So um, 
after Tom, you know, Tom's sitting there with this glass of wine and with an oil lamp or whatever, we then see the organization. This is the only follow-up to the organization trying to catch Tom earlier in the episode. The organization is sweeping Washington, D.C., looking for Tom, but they can't find him anywhere. Um, I do have to ask how he did get to rural Virginia without anyone seeing him, especially considering they know his starting point. They know he was on top of that building. Oh, right. He's the smartest man in the room. <laughs> Cut to commercial. Because this also doesn't come back. Like, they're on, they're looking at some screen and they're, someone's like, you know, uh, this is where it's actually the guy from later in this episode, not the guy from the previous episode, but it's the same shot of him with, like, the same phone by his ear. And he's like, uh, you know, widen the search. You know, keep looking for Tom. It's like, that doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> anyway. So we come back from commercial. Tom has another flashback of the senator who went missing. So he goes to a library and uses their computer to look up Senator Balkan. Uh, apparently, he was one of the five senators that shut down an anti-terrorism bill with the Senate Intelligence Committee. Tom brings up a photo of him and four other senators, three of which were in the Hidden Agenda photo. So it's this one guy surrounded by the four from the from Hidden Agenda. I was also amazed that like it had the facial recognition cap- capability of like year five Facebook. Yeah. Like, I, was like, I was like, this I technology mean, exists now, but it did not exist then. You couldn't just mouse over people's faces and it told you who they were. It's Washington, D.C. Maybe they have really good computers yeah. in their libraries. Yeah. So Tom says, uh, Gemini's information for Robman was apparently correct. Not only was Matthew Balkan a U.S. senator, but the other three men in the photograph appeared to be U.S. senators as well. But then I saw the date, and then I noticed May 7th is the date, 1996, two weeks before this episode, the day after 0 minus 10 took place. So I don't know, like, if they just threw out a date or if they were specifically saying sometime within, you know, the episodes we've just done. Yeah. Uh, But how could that be? How could four senators dead for more than a year suddenly appear in a photograph two weeks old? There was a fifth man in the most recent photograph, a Senator William Wallace. Maybe he could tell me what happened to the other four. So they said in the previous episode, Senator Balkan disappeared nine months ago. Yeah. However, according to this, I'm guessing this is based based on when Tom is assuming the photo was taken. He says it's been over a year. So the timelines just don't quite, uh, they're getting very confused, I guess, the, yeah. the timelines are. I don't know if it's that the, they were killed a year ago or over a year ago, and then Balkan came back and then disappeared, and now is back again. Yeah, no. It, I'm not it, sure. Oof. Like, so much of this episode, like, just drained out of my brain because, quite frankly, I found it difficult to keep track of all of these guys because they're all old white guys yeah. who are, like, I would get confused about, like, yep. is this the guy from before? There were times when I couldn't actually, like, I didn't go and check. Yeah. And I was like, oh, no, this is somebody new. This is somebody new. There are two important old white nondescript guys in this episode. (laughs) One of them is bad. One of them seems bad. And yeah, you just got to, you just got to know both of them. So Tom goes outside and uses a payphone to call William Wallace's office. William Wallace was the one member of that photo, this photograph he just saw that was not in Hidden Agenda. Right. A secretary answers. Tom asks for William Wallace. He says he's a photographer that took a photo of four of his colleagues that Senator Wallace might be interested in. They direct him to Doug Iverman, Wallace's assistant. And Tom says he's only interested in talking to the senator. But Iverman says he has to go through him first. He asks what the photograph is of while Senator Wallace, we can see him in the background going over some papers. And Tom describes the photo of four senators hanging in a gallows. 
Iverman is silent, considering something, and he tells Tom they can meet at his house in Richmond. Tom says if he can't meet at Wallace's office, he wants to meet somewhere in public. So Iverman offers up the park in front of the Treasury Building, and Tom tells him to wear his Senate pass so he'll recognize him. This whole time, it very much sounds like Tom is a paparazzi that has incriminating photographs, and this guy is coming to pay off. Like, it is very much, the exchange between them is, I have a photograph Mm. of some of your associates. He might be interested. And the guy's like, I will meet you in a private place. (laughs) Tom's like, no, 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 you got to meet me in a public place. (laughs) Fine, I will meet you. How much money do you want? Is basically how it goes. Yeah. So uh, Iverman arrives at the park. Tom is sitting next to some men playing chess. He greets Iverman. He asks him to tell him what he knows about the Senate Intelligence Committee. Iverman says that's not how this works. If Tom has something that might interest the senator, Iverman is here to verify it. Tom says he doesn't care how it works. He's not here to play games, even though he was just sitting next to the guys playing chess. Anyway, either the senator wants to talk or he doesn't. So Iverman asks if Tom has the photo. Tom does. If Iverman thinks it's worth the senator's time, he'll pass it on. He recognizes that Tom isn't a regular in Washington, but he's paranoid enough to be one. Tom says, you should get out of Washington. There's a fire sale on paranoia right now. (laughs) So he takes out the photograph, shows it to Iverman, and as he's holding it up, a shot rings out, piercing through Iverman's back and through the photograph. Iverman falls down dead. Everyone around starts to panic. Someone calls out for the police and Tom just kind of awkwardly strides. (laughs) Cut to commercial. Um, And one, one little thing here, when Iverman gets killed, they cut to a slow motion shot of one of the chess players knocking over the King, which means like checkmate, like I've won. It's a weird bit of imagery because in no way can they be implying that Iverman was the king. (laughs) At best, he's a pawn. Like, he works for someone who isn't even the king. It's it like, I guess they just thought, oh, in chess, you knock over a piece when you take it. This guy just got knocked over. So it's just as weird. Like, that means something. Well, it's checkmate, right? It's all checkmate time. I mean, but it's. It's not checkmate. Like, again, Tom continues to go on uh, above Iverman. Yeah. It, it feels like they really wanted to use this even if the oh, yeah. the situation didn't. No, I agree with that. That's what I think happened. Like, even when you're just talking yeah. about, I was thinking about the, the fact that they had a number of shots of the people playing chess and how yeah. I've seen that in in other movies. I've seen, like, people in a park playing chess used to great, effect in other movies and in t- TV but like I don't think it was it happening I I always have to try to remember my brain I was like yeah but was that before nowhere man like I try to remember like I'm like this is so cliche like the like the papers like the, you're like Tom had the old switcheroo in the accordion file I was like yeah but yeah. like this is before a lot of stuff that I have seen so I'm trying to like do the chronology in my head and be like did they do it close enough to first that it wasn't a cliche during the time that they were doing this so I you know it, it felt like they they had this nice set piece and uh and I also wanted to see when did Independence Day come out so that came out like the, the summer that this happened so that was another oh. one that had that had uh but but you know they, they're not copying off an Independence Day they're you know <laughs> I I do know that there, so there's a, there was a famous um, uh, chess player named Bobby Fischer. Yeah. I remember there being a Bobby Fischer movie that in the trailer, this k- little kid is going and playing chess with people in the park. Yeah. And I just checked and that was in 1993. Okay. 
it was probably a thing before that, but at least 1993. Yep. No, that's a good yeah. one. Because I was also thinking, I was like, I also know Charlie Wilson's War, but I know that was in the 2000s. So I've seen sure. scenes set in the park with people playing chess. But yeah. I don't I don't know that this was necessarily I don't think it was I don't think it was done to death by the time this was in here. So I think they were like, "Ooh, this will be sure. good. Not. Oh, man, yeah. I love this shot and all the other movies I've seen. And I can't wait to put it in my movie, which is a red flag for any of you out there who are <laughs> never. Oh, man, I've seen this in so many things. I'm going to put it in here. Oh, it's going to be so good. Nope. Um, so Tom calls Wallace's office again, asking to speak to the Senator, you know, since he doesn't have an assistant anymore, I guess the <laughs> calls are going to go straight to him. Uh, they, they send him directly to Wallace and Wallace is like, look, I want to know, did you kill Iverman? Yeah, that was nice. Uh, Tom says he, w- he wouldn't be calling if he did. He says he was trying to show Iverman a photograph and Iverman was killed for it. Wallace wants to see the photograph, but Tom says he's nervous about trusting anybody. Uh, Walls asked, asks him to meet him at the West Wing of the Smithsonian later that day, and he says Tom will be kept safe if he can help him solve Iverman's murder. So Tom goes to the museum, and Walls enters with a bodyguard or something. Tom gets his attention, and a bunch of men from around the building who were already in place spring into action and, like, apprehend Tom and then pat him down to make sure that he isn't there to assassinate this senator. Um, they take him to a private room. Wallace goes in after they frisk him and uh, they make sure he's not armed. Tom says he doesn't have the photograph with him. Wallace says that he could have Tom arrested for suspicion of murder, but Tom says that he won't. He explains to Wallace that the photo is of four senators, he mentions them by name, being hanged in a gallows about five miles outside of Washington, D.C. But Wallace says that's preposterous. Those four men are still alive. Um, and uh, here I think is where I put in my notes. So like, it's weird that in this discussion, he mentions that Senator Balkin, who again, apparently went missing nine months ago, has has been in Washington, D.C. for the last two weeks. So it's just it's again, it's like a weird, a weird disconnect with a major plot point from the previous episode that yeah. if the two were made in conjunction, it's like it would have made would have made so much more sense to have them in the previous episode be like, yeah, he came back two weeks ago, but he's been acting weird ever since. Or, or like or he was never dead. Like the, the fact that they, they did all four of them have been were, like were killed or was it just that guy that was supposed to be like, it's just confusing. It's, well, it's hard to keep track yeah. of who was supposed to be dead and not like, it feels like in the previous episode, the fact that there was this, this arm tattoo was going to lead to greater things. They were yes. going to, he like, it was going to lead to Tom, investigating that guy's murder yeah right or that guy's Um, disappearance right and then instead because there was you know and then they give him this key at the end of that episode it i mean it does feel like 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 this this the next episode i i think there was i think there was another plan i think this is i think this episode is plan b it has it has to be plan b of some kind because it would have made so much more sense to to Tom's going to go investigate this one senator who died or yeah. who who disappeared and that's going to lead him to whoever else is 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 being hanged with him or whatever. There's yeah. if you're going to show all four of them being hanged in the in the next like 10 minutes of of the series, just don't even have the stuff relating to the to the art like yeah, it's just uh and again, it's so weird that these were written and directed by the same person yeah. and in the commentary which is both of the writers, they're talking about this episode like, oh, yeah, we had this thing planned for so long. And it's like, OK, but that that just raises more questions <laughs> about this episode. Yeah. So 
I don't know. It's very, very bizarre when you view the two of them. You know how you're talking about how the the opening of this really doesn't contribute to the plot? Yeah. You know what else doesn't contribute to the plot? What? Everything in this episode except for the last minute. Sure. How easy would it have been for the thing that he was given at the end of the last episode takes him to go get a VHS tape? Yeah. And then you take out some of the woman drinking water to make room for it. And then that's your final episode. Yeah, that's... That would have been the satisfying conclusion to the show. There's just a little bit in here that just sort of adds a bunch of stuff we never needed. There is a little bit at the end of this episode that I think is good for the end of this show. Okay. But not necessary. <laughs> okay. You know, I guess I guess we'll get to that. So... Um, anyway, so Wallace says the suspicion is that Tom killed, uh, is that Tom killed Iron Tom points out that he was shot at long range while Tom was standing two feet from the man. Wallace says Tom's photograph doesn't, doesn't prove anything. Photographs can be retouched. Hey, Tom, you got the negative. <laughs> Tom says he has it in a safe place. Wallace says he wants to see the photo, but Tom says he wants info in return. The committee, the four senators, he just wants the truth. Wallace says he'll need time to think it over, but Tom says he doesn't have time. Wallace tells Tom to come by his office in the morning. Tom tells him to decide by 8 p.m. tonight. Next scene, Wallace is in a meeting with the second-in-command of the FBI, Robert Barton, and discussing Tom with him. Wallace doesn't think Tom's entirely crazy. How else can he explain everything that's happened? Barton points out at the moment there's no evidence. All he has is the ravings of a madman who's possibly also a murderer. They talk about possibly trapping Tom and apprehending him, but Wallace says Tom is too skittish for that. He thanks Barton for his help, Barton asks what he's going to do, and Wallace has no answer. And so this this scene is the two the two generic old white guys <laughs> that both of them are important in this episode. And like, I for, I kept forgetting one of these guys even existed. Yeah, if you just you know put him on a like on a rotating disc and spun him around and have me try to identify <laughs> one of them correctly, I don't like my chances. Like, here's the thing. Um, I, I didn't remember, like, every scene of this episode before watching it, you know, a few weeks ago. But I definitely remembered the final scene. And Barton is in the final scene, but I remembered him looking completely different. <laughs> to the point where when I got to this scene, I was like, who's this guy? Why should I care who this guy is? And then I got to the end, I was like, oh, it's that guy. Anyway. Um, so Tom calls Wallace to find out what he plans to do. Wallace says he wants the photograph. Tom says he wants answers. He tells Tom to bring the photograph to him and he'll tell him everything he knows. So the next morning, Tom shows up at Wallace's office. Tom seems a bit uncomfortable with Wallace's secretary nearby. So Wallace sends her away and then tells Tom not to worry about surveillance. His office is swept twice a day for electronic (laughs) eavesdropping equipment. I mean, I get it. Like you're in Washington we have evidence to, we have reason to believe that there is a lot of surveillance going on, but like twice a day, that's just plaster over all of your electronics. That's the I mean, way pretty much. Yeah. So Tom gives him the photograph and he gives him the copy that has the hole in it because that's the only copy Tom has. I think he was bluffing when he said earlier that he had the negatives. He has his negatives. He doesn't have these negatives. He just has the photograph sure. that has a bullet hole in it. Okay. Um, So he hands him the photo and Tom recognizes, Tom notices that Wallace recognizes this photo or something about this photo. And Tom says, it's real, isn't it? Cut to commercial. We come back and Wallace is pouring himself a glass of water. (laughs) 
I'm, I put my hands up like in like the boom, like you just got served yeah. gesture. Uh, Wallace explains to Tom that last year there was a bill that was going to give the government incredible power to fight terrorism by letting them spy on and invade the privacy of people all over the country, trampling all over the Fourth Amendment. And here I put in my notes, this is something about this episode that does not age well. Oh boy, is this seriously what this was all about? Hidden Agenda exists because the organization was trying to stop the Patriot Act. Something that has been in law for 15 years. Like that's what they were. That's what the organization was trying to stop the surveillance that is now commonplace everywhere. We're living in the dark. Well, the darkest timeline or the, but I guess the organization was trying to stop it. Gosh, I don't know. I don't know what timeline we're in. The other four senators were against the, the, this act being passed, but they had a change of heart at the last minute and came over to Wallace's side to stop the bill. At the time, he thought that he had convinced them, but apparently they had been intimidated into changing by being shown a photograph of themselves being killed. That's what Wallace claims. Like, this photo isn't real. It's that clearly they were shown this, they were shown a death threat and that's why they changed. So it's not that Wallace is in on it, he he assumes something better. He's not part of the organization. He assumes that they were just intimidated rather than killed. But Tom knows that this wasn't just a threat. It actually happened. I would have loved if there was a callback here to Forever Young. If Tom said, I have seen technology that can replace a person, that can remove a person yeah. entirely and make someone else look like them. Because it seems like that's why Tom is so sure that these men actually died. Yeah. But it's not directly called out. And I, I do think that that is to its detriment. Yeah. It would have been so nice. It's the final episode, guys. Just throw in whatever <laughs> references you can. In the show Supernatural, one thing that I love is they are constantly referring back to previous episodes. Even if it's just something as simple as, remember that time that we killed that Wendigo? We overcame a problem then, so let's overcome this problem. Like, it is... It's so nice to be a viewer and be like, I remember that. <laughs> I guys, I was there for that. So do do that in this. If even if you don't like giving out information, you can still make your audience feel excited. Yeah. Anyway, so um, Wallace says it can't be tr- it can't be that this actually happened. He's seen all of these men in the last few days, and so Tom says it's possible. He says he's seen it. Those men were killed and replaced by their exact likenesses. Wallace brushes this off as science fiction, but Tom says if it was science fiction, they wouldn't be having this. Wallace wouldn't be meeting with him right now. The technology exists and Wallace knows it, even if he doesn't want to admit it. He mentions his close friend Barton is the number two man in the FBI. So if there's any reality to this, Barton will help find it. And Tom says, reality depends on perspective, which is kind of a through line of the show. I mean, at least since the hospital, yes. Yeah. Um, Tom leaves and calls the FBI to speak to Robman. So like, you know, the guy he dealt with the previous episode. However, the operator says Robman no longer works out of that office. Tom asks if he's been transferred and the operator gets cagey and asks who she's speaking with. So Tom quickly hangs up the phone. He's been compromised. It would have been, again, because... The one time Tom tries to get in touch with Robman, he finds out that he's uh, he, he's not there. It would have been better just to kill him off, even if Tom still called 
and they were like, oh, I'm sorry, uh, Robman had a heart attack yesterday, <laughs> or he was killed in the line of duty yesterday. Exact same conclusion, but it would have been nicer for the character, I think, to, like, to go down fighting or whatever. Sure. Um, so Tom has a, has a narration with Robman gone. It's more important than ever that I find Gemini. He collected all this information. He even had copies of photographs I had taken, but how is this possible? Did he take the pictures? Flashback to Tom saying he thought he took the photos, but Robman saying the organization could mess with his memory. In the safe house, Tom finds a Rolodex with an internet access code, which I think is just an IP address. Yeah. Uh, and I could be wrong, but it looks to me like it's written in Tom's handwriting. Mm. Like in the previous episode, he wrote down the radio frequency. Mm. I think I could be wrong, but it, it is a cool detail if that is what it is. I didn't like yeah. compare the two. It, it, that'd be a nice detail. It would be. If he had like a number tick, like he crosses his seven with the with the line Ooh. or something. Or he dots his eyes with a heart. <laughs> yeah, not that. The one something. I said. But... <laughs> <laughs> Yep. <laughs> no, but it, it it would be that's common enough that it could be a coincidence. Yeah. But if you and there's no reason he would be looking for his own handwriting. None. Sure. Right. Um yeah. but it it would be something that like yeah. you know, on your second watch you could be like, holy shit, that is how he does his sevens or whatever, or that's how he does his ones, or he does a zero with the slash through it or whatever. Um sure. It could be nice. So Tom goes to the library he was at earlier and tries to access some computer files using the password Marathon, but it locks him out saying the password is incorrect. A timer begins and the computer starts beeping until Tom can enter the correct password before the timer runs out. Uh, He uses the word Gemini and it succeeds. Uh, We were watching this and Lisa said, that's a bad password. I know. Nowadays, it would have to be like Gemini with a capital G uh, and then like uh, an exclamation point and an underscore at the end. Yeah. Gemini four two eight. I mean, it's uh, it's fine that he was able to break in. I was I was kind of hoping it would be like he tries typing Allison and it works or something like like if oh. you know what I mean like if it had been something yeah. other than just yeah y- your username's not supposed to also be your password but whatever. <laughs> yep. Gemini had a direct line to several federal agents in the FBI. Whether or not I could find out Robman's destination. At the very least, I wanted to find out who transferred him. I guess this sort of is would be a little different if if Robin had been killed. Anyway, um, I forgot that I forgot that this detail was about Robin being transferred. Uh, so Tom finds a redacted document transferring Robin, but it was signed by Barton, the guy that Wallace was talking to earlier and who said he would help Wallace. We cut to Barton's office who makes dinner plans and then takes out his cellular telephone to place a call saying that Senator Wallace has just become a liability and he knows just what to do about him. Um, I don't know why I put I, I every time someone in this show uses a cell phone, that's how I wrote it I out. Know. Because it would have been a big deal. I guess. At the yeah. time. And, it, and would... it was there was the shot of Barton with the phone, the same phone that the guy in the previous episode was using. So anyway, like you got to remember, we're around the time of the Matrix and like the fact yep. that that thing had a, you know, that that slid out. That was a big deal because yep. we're 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 like 10 years before smartphones. So, yep. you know, it was a it was it was it was a big deal. It was as big as yo-yos and whatever the other thing I said was. <laughs> I was making that joke. <laughs> right. 
Um, also, I mean, like the previous episode had a car phone. Right. Car phones were more. Co- I mean, not maybe not more common than cell phones. They were. They had been around a lot longer than yeah. cell phones. Um, so we then see Tom wearing a suit and walking up to Wallace's office. First off, where do you get the suit? But also, Tom looks good in a suit. Okay. <laughs> Wear a suit more, Tom. Uh, he goes inside and asks for Senator Wallace and is told that Wallace already left for the day. Tom asks if there's a way to get a hold of him. He's kind of forceful about it, but the receptionist says they follow a protocol and if he doesn't leave, they're going to call security. He makes a mild threat and Wallace's secretary comes out. She, uh, Tom kind of stares at her for a bit and then we just cut to Tom taking a cab to Wallace's house. <laughs> like, it was that easy. Tom just found his address and went to it. Yeah. What I had to tell Wallace couldn't wait till morning. I decided to go straight to his house. We, we gathered that, Tom. <laughs> you didn't need to have a narration. Anyway, Tom knocks on the door and is greeted by Wallace's housekeeper, who says the senator has retired for the evening. Tom says it's an emergency and he needs to see the senator. But when the Wallace comes to the door, he asks if they've ever met. Tom says he saw him earlier that day. Wallace says he must have him confused with somebody else. He tries to close the door. Tom keeps pushing it back open, but some sort of bodyguard approaches from behind the senator and shuts the door in Tom's face. Cut to commercial. So everybody that has helped Tom so far is gone. We come back from commercial. Tom is at the safe house. I should have seen this coming. Yeah, Tom, you should have. (laughs) Every time I found a real ally, someone who could help me, they wound up getting erased. Uh, not really, Tom. I had no choice but to hide the negatives and start all over again. So Tom's at Safe House. He's packing up the documents from the safety deposit box. With the negatives in hand, he opens a sliding door between the two rooms and, you know, just he's going to hide them in like this little crevice in the top of the, the door slider, the door track. And he reaches up there and finds another set of negatives. He pulls them out and looks at them. They are the negatives for Gemini's photo, the unaltered hidden agenda photograph. Um, this I, I put in my notes, uh, this is meant to be a mysterious moment, but to me it just highlights how stupid it is to even have Tom's negatives in the first place if they do nothing to ensure authenticity. Why even keep your negatives, bro? I mean, like, really, at this point, I got to ask, like, why does Tom keep his negatives? Because he puts both of them up there. Why is he keeping his negatives if he knows that they are altered, they don't serve the purpose of what or what original negatives should, and he just found the actual original negatives? Maybe sentimental value, maybe, I don't know, I don't know. maybe he's leaving a clue so that somebody else might find both of them. And well, and whatever. I don't want to super get into this, but like you are saying those are the original I mean, I got okay. So, so you're saying they're not, uh, or well, th- there's a chance they might not. Well, be. that's all I'm saying is that like there's there's definitely a second set. Yeah, but okay. like he, you know, he because he can't put it all together yet. There's no reason to start throwing away evidence that is part of the puzzle. Is all I'm saying. Sure. Now, are you saying that the the negatives he just found are just another copy of the negatives he already has? No, I'm not. I'm saying those are the negatives okay, okay. of the of the new photo that is introduced in this episode. But there's no okay. reason to suge- like in theory. If the sleeves thing wasn't a gaff, there's three versions of yeah. this photograph. Oh, good point. I'm not saying that's what yeah. they were doing. I think that's all gaffs. But like, sure. I, I'm just saying, you know, I, I leave plenty of room for there's no reason why he's like, there's nothing definite. 
There's, sure. there's nothing definite. There's nothing. Well, I definitely don't need these. Have you ever, ever seen the sure. episode of Family Guy where like Peter's writing down somebody's n- number and he does it on his pistol and then he's like, oh, wait, hold on. I wrote it wrong. And he crumples up the, the, the <laughs> Crumble, gun. Crumbles up the gun and throws it. He got another gun. You know, yeah. that's what it feels like. Is it's just It would be as silly as that in terms of to get rid of it now. <laughs> uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, uh, it, there was just a brief moment where I was like, oh, shoot. Do we ever actu- actually see what this second set of negatives is of? I thought it was made clear, but I couldn't remember. Anyway, um, so Tom says, Gemini had picked the same hiding place for his own set of negatives. Coincidence? Or was it something else? So Tom puts both sets of negatives up there and takes the white key card. Every scrap of information about them, whether it was collected by Gemini or myself, was in these two envelopes. It was time to put my own endgame into motion. I had to flush Barton out. So Tom has two envelopes, two manila envelopes. He puts, I have in my notes, he puts both of them in a, in a mailbox. I don't think he does. I think he only puts one of them into a mailbox. And then he calls Barton's office. Upon this this last rewatch, I don't know what these do. Presumably, he put a bunch of evidence into these and he was going to send them. But like, who was he sending it to? <laughs> And the whole thing ends up being a bluff. His whole thing is to trick Barton into thinking he is doing something so that Barton will go and Tom can follow him. I don't know what these two envelopes contain or what Tom's plan was that it, I mean, maybe someone was watching the mailbox and he wanted Barton to see that he put something in the mail. I don't know. This is such. Looking back after having watched it again, after make after making my notes, yeah. I don't know what this is for. <laughs> it feels again like they had a different ending and they changed it at the last second. Real bizarre this episode. Yeah. Yeah. So we see Barton in his office getting a call from Tom Vale after he after he mails at least one of the envelopes. The receptionist sends the call through and Barton greets him. Tom says he's going to make this fast and sweet. Meet him at the Washington Monument in 40 minutes. He says he has Gemini's entire file and both sets of negatives. He's willing to trade it all for his freedom. And he hangs up before Barton can respond. He already hung up on the assistant director of some department of the CIA. The CIA the, uh, I guess that was the FBI. This is an even higher up person in the FBI. So Tom goes to the FBI headquarters and we see a shadowy man at a desk. And in the intro, the the title sequence for every episode, there has been this shot of this shadowy guy in a room with like a blue wall at at a desk. This has always just felt like just some shot they made just to look spooky, to make the title sequence a little bit spookier. They recreate it in this episode. We don't see who this guy is, but there is some shadowy figure that is clearly meant to be that guy. Wow. He is at a desk. Barton calls him. So Barton calls him, tells him about Vale's offer. The shadowy man says that it sounds like a trap. He says, Tom is getting too close. It's time to shut Project Gemini down once and for all. Dump the computer computer files, get rid of everything. Barton agrees, and we see the shadowy man smoke a cigar. If there was the director in this show, the director that was mentioned in episode two, I feel like this is probably supposed to be it. Okay. This is such they this is such a throwaway scene. And 
it if you really think about it it's really cool mm-hmm. but they do they do nothing with it <laughs> except to show that Barton has a higher up which i guess accomplishes something on its own yeah i had no notion that this was tied to the opening at all but when again said- i've watched this episode like 3 times <laughs> so I eventually picked up on it. When you said that they had been planning this from the start, the fact that they had this, like, that makes me think not that they were like, ooh, let's make it the guy from the intro. That makes me feel Mm -hmm. like they always knew what the visual of the director was going to be when they showed up and they're like, time to do the director shot. That's what it feels like to me. I don't know, but that's that's what it makes me think. Yeah. But like, yeah, to have it be lost that it's not, you know... It's not like, like the intro is apropos of the time. Intros have a lot of art to them now where you yep. could make it very much like land on this image and it's clear and it's a it's a silhouette that you would remember. But the intro is just sort of frantic music with frantic overlapping yep. shots. Like there's nothing in there because I was going to remember. Nothing. Nothing. Like I, I, I don't think I would have ever made this connection. I Oh, my God. Yeah. So Barton drives to some kind of facility out in the, again, out in the mountains. He swipes a key card and gets through a gate and through the front door. We then see Barton inside the building shredding a ton of documents, as well as these things that look like physical representations of the save icon. <laughs> What's that about? <sighs> anyway. Well, you know what? My, my, my joke for that was, look at him. He is shredding kilobytes and kilobytes of data. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, Tom is also there and he sneaks up behind Barton. I guess Tom was hiding in his car or something. I don't buy that. I don't buy that he followed him because he's had to take cabs everywhere he's gone so far. And this is the second in command of the FBI. He would notice if a cab was following him. Yeah. But again, like Tom's whole plan was... I'm going to tell this guy that I I'm I'm going to I'm willing to trade everything because clearly it's a trap. So instead they're going to overcorrect and they're going to send this guy to go do something drastic with whatever files they have. So Tom Tom's plan was to follow him, but he is the smartest man in the room. I do got to <laughs> acknowledge that. Um so Tom grabs Barton and punches him, grabs Barton's own gun and holds it to his head. He sees that the computer is going through and deleting everything. Tom says, wow, this must be pretty important stuff to send the number two in the FBI to destroy it. Barton says, this is one little operation, Vale. You're not going to be able to change anything. Tom points out that five dead senators is hardly a little operation. But Barton knowingly tries gaslighting Tom, calling him crazy. Like, oh, what are you, what about, what are you talking about, five dead senators? You're, you're going crazy, Tom. You're unhinged. Tom asks about Wallace's assistant and then Wallace himself being replaced. And Barton tells him to be careful. If he learns anything more, Tom will be as expendable as everyone else. Now, this thing here was interesting because, yeah. you know, my contention has been that they don't want to kill Tom. And there was this notion last episode of, uh, you know, um, Robin was saying, listen, if you know what I know, you'll become in even more danger than you are now. Yeah. And so that plus this made me feel like, yeah, that the basically Tom was a fun little game they were playing. But if he ever learns the truth, then 
now now they do have to kill him. So I don't know. But th- those were two instances of, yeah, it seems like Tom has to escalate to a level of they will actually want to kill him, that they, they, they will just have fake cops show up and point guns at him that he knows they will not shoot him because clearly they will not right. kill him. So, I, you know, but also at the same time, when they're like, oh, how, can we set a trap for him? He's like, no, he's too, he's too wily for that. It's like you, you searched him at the Smithsonian to today. Yep. Kill him then. Dude. Well, they didn't. Somebody else did. Sure. Sure. I'm just saying, like, you know, it can be done. Like, it was like, today he was apprehended by suits, by, by bodyguards. Yeah. I would say, because you were talking about, like, oh, the, um, they could have just, Robin could have just given Tom a key to a box that had a VHS in it. If there is anything that I think is impactful from this episode that is, would not just be replaced by a VHS, it's, that Robin is destroying all this evidence. Yeah, I forgot about that. I always feel like the destruction of evidence is like one of the things that is like the most terrifying about any sort of a conspiracy because you can only catch and you can only convict someone with evidence. If you don't have evidence, they people just have to believe you. Whenever I'm watching a horror movie where they've got the killer, the killer's weapon They've killed the killer and his body is lying there on the ground. I am always in the back of my head being like, okay, I'm just going to assume they take that body to the, the police. They hand over the killer's weapon. They bring the killer back to or the, the police back to, to investigate everything, get all the forensic evidence, whatever. And everything is going to be good. But then the killer always gets up at the last moment. And then they like kick him into an incinerator or something, or they like throw his weapon into the trash compactor or whatever. And then it's like, no, you just made it so much. Everyone is going to assume that you're the killer now. And anyway, m- my point is that like, if there was a chance of Tom ever getting his life back, it was with this evidence. Yeah. And here, Tom, he's not even stopping. I mean, I guess he stops him from destroying the physical stuff, but like the computer is still deleting sure. files. And so on one hand, it's horrifying that, that they're destroying all this stuff. The only thing that could possibly give Tom his actual life back is being destroyed. But also it almost feels like Tom gets there, sees it and is like, oh, well. Yeah. And I think that that is a good moment for the end of the show. It sucks for Tom. Right. But... If the show were to go forward, I I would have much rather this been there than not been there. I think that's true. I think that is a nice, there is a certain amount of giving in that, that has happened there. That is such a a thing he refuses to do uh, throughout this show. Mm -hmm. So that is a good point that that there is, there is a sort of emotional moment there. Um, Your point about the, that's why I think he wouldn't just get rid of the other negative. Yeah. Because he might have to show, you know, they gave me this, but this one also exists, you know, like, like, who knows how that would be helpful, but sim- but for that exact you know thing, if he's ever going to bring things to light, he needs to be able to go, there's this one and this one, and look at what they've done, and look at their power, or whatever. Sure. So Tom asks Barton about Gemini, and asks why he had a key card to get into this place. So I guess the white key card that was in the... See, this was part of Tom's plan, apparently. He, he knew that there was a white key card in the, like, the safety deposit box... And he took it with him when he like when he said, "Okay, I'm going to execute my plan or whatever." He brought the key card with him. He didn't know what that key card went to. Yeah. And Barton had a similar key card to get into this facility. So, if I we, guess Tom knew, 
No, I mean, if uh, the, if you gave him the, I love your thing of he just hits a panel on the wall and that's where the where the the wine is, right? If you were yeah. leaning into that, it would make sense for him to somehow like like through through that yeah. notion. Even when you were saying like he just shows up at the place somehow, I was like, man, I would have loved it if he just like blacked out and like didn't know how he arrived okay. there, you know? Um, yeah, because yeah. then it makes sense that then, well, then it makes a kind of sense where the, the of sense, sense of yes. it would be that, uh, he is, he's been here before. That's his, that's his key card. Right. Yeah. So that's how he knows, like, like he can't know it consciously, but some part of him knows you're going to need the key card when you go do this, because that's, that's what the key card is for. Sure. Okay. I mean, that, that would have been great <laughs> right? if that, right. If that happened. Yeah. Um, so Barton claims to have never heard the name Gemini, but Tom surmises Gemini was about to expose the whole thing. Barton laughs and says, Tom has things turned around. Tom knows more about this than Gemini did. Tom punches Barton and asks what it is he supposedly knows. Why did they chase him around the country with a negative that's not even real? Barton says, it's an old operatives game, Vale, a remnant of the Cold War. Tom says, well, I was never an operative. So why don't you just spell it out for me? Barton laughs and Tom hits him again. If you protect a false memory long enough, it becomes real. Tom says, then why hidden agenda? Why did you want me to believe so badly it was shot in the jungle? You really don't get it, do you? Tom points the gun at him, but he says Tom can't intimidate him. So Tom shoots him in the leg, which I think is pretty good. Hidden Agenda was always as much about you as it was about concealing the deaths of four senators. It was about testing the limits of your belief. Tom stares at him in horror. Yeah, yeah, you were part of the project right from the beginning. Tom asks why. Come on, Vale, you're two moves from Checkmate. There's a callback to Checkmate earlier. Not a good one, but yeah. Not a a good one. Not one that makes sense, but yeah. Tom says, tell me about Gemini. Gemini is the game. Tom fires the gun into the floor a couple times, threatening the next shot into his head. Barton points him to a nearby cabinet, saying the answers he's looking for are in there. Tom opens up the cabinet, finds a long line of VHS tapes with various Greek names, the Zodiac and some others. He pulls out the one labeled Gemini and puts it into a nearby player. Meanwhile... Barton has managed to take out a cyanide capsule and put it in his mouth. Tom rushes to stop him, but he's too late. You can't protect yourself anymore. You, your Gemini veil. And he dies. On the nearby screen, Tom sees all the hidden agenda data has been deleted, and then the VHS plays. Tom sees himself sitting in a medical chair, and a voice tells him to start from the beginning. He's told he has a house in Evanston, Illinois. He has a wife, Allison, a best friend, Larry Levy. He's told to repeat everything he's learned, and the Tom on the video, in a trance, repeats all of this information. The voice asks his name, and he says, My name is Thomas Vale. And this is actually the audio from the intro of the episode. Oh, yeah? Okay. Because I didn't yeah. even recognize the connection until you do it. I'm like, oh, that's actually pretty good. That's the audio from the intro. Or that's that's the thing he says in the intro. Yeah, it's. I'm pretty sure because I it it very much doesn't match exactly what his mouth is doing. So it is. I'm pretty sure it is the audio. That's but great. I would have loved, loved, loved if it played him saying the entire intro. Yes. If yes. because that would have called into question: Is anything from the show real? Yeah. Or is 
everything from the show, him recounting stuff they've told him. That would have been so just a, a little bit step would have pushed it just barely into a new tier of good. <laughs> anyway, Tom watches this video clearly shaken and walks out of the room. We hear a glass shattering sound as we cut to the credits for the last time. I didn't catch the glass shattering at the end. That's nice. That's because like, yeah. I know in my notes from the beginning, I was like, like somewhere in the beginning, there was a glass shattering and I was like, oh, one last glass shatter. That's great. But yeah, that's. <laughs> yeah. So um, here's here's a weird thing. So I, I remembered this whole scene, or at least I remembered Tom showing up and beating up some guy that did not look at anything <laughs> like Barton, whatever, beating up. And then eventually the guy kills himself. But I remember him saying your Gemini veil. And then I remember Tom watching a video of him himself being mentally conditioned to think that he is Tom Vale. Whether or not there was a Tom Vale or if they made up Tom Vale entirely, right. we don't know. Right. But one weird thing about my memory, similar to how Barton did not look this like this at all, he was like a fat guy or something. In my memory, Tom sitting in a chair on the video was him in a straight jacket in the first episode. In my memory, that is where and when he was being conditioned. So in my head, I was thinking really kind of the whole time we've been watching since we started recording this podcast, I've been thinking during the first episode when oh, he wow. is at Callaway, that's when he was being reconditioned. Okay. But that's not true. I almost wish it was. I don't, I don't know. I don't I know mean, which one I, I like better. They're similar enough that like, and they've done a recreation of Callaway once and they did like yeah. they, they got you a real straight jacket and they took right. the crazy shit out of the room. But um, yeah, no, I, that's, that's an interesting, like it's close enough that it could be that like there's, I can't at all rule out that that's not what they meant, but they didn't have time yeah. to even recreate it again. They're like, this is worse than our last recreation. <laughs> Just get some toilet paper, wrap them up. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so, so yeah, Tom Vale is not Tom Vale. I, I'm not sure if he was modified to look like an actual person or if it was just made whole cloth. We know that in back in the Forever Young episode, Tom was in their computer. I didn't really stress it, but Tom finds Allison in their computer because he looks up himself. He finds his own file in their computer and then from there finds Allison. I don't know if that's what they meant. Right. I don't know how far in advance, regardless of what Lair Herzog says yeah. in the in the the commentary. Yeah. I don't know how far in advance they had the the twist worked out. But if if they did have it in mind, that is something that definitely felt like a clue. Um, in Doppelganger, they clearly did make somebody else look like him. I'm pretty sure there it was in some way made clear that that was not originally. That that was, didn't start as a Tom Vale. I'm pretty sure there is some line up that implies that they they made some other guy look like Tom Vale. Yeah. Um, and uh, I I put in here if Tom was not originally Tom Vale, then I guess Larry Levy was the ultimate victim, and uh, because he got killed just for being the friend of this person that wasn't actually his friend, like he was fooled into having a friend in Tom Vale and then got killed for it. Yeah. But also Tom's method of grilling, Tom was grilling Larry to find out if Larry was actually Larry by asking things that happened in their past. Oh yeah. But either Larry was brainwashed to have that information or Tom was brainwashed to have that information or both. Yeah. 
I guess. So anyway, um, also there were a few moments over the series that might've hinted at this possibly unintentionally in something about her. There's a part where, um, with uh, the episode with Carrie Ann Moss. Okay. Thank you. There's a scene where, uh, there was, there was, uh, Dr. Smiley and Mr. Suit, I think I, is what I called them. There's a part where Tom is being interrogated by Mr. Suit. Mr. Suit asks Tom what his name is. Tom says his name is Tom Vale. Mr. Suit asks, are you sure? Because that episode was about implanting memories in him and they weren't implanting the identity of Tom Vale, it, on this last, you know, watch through for this podcast, that struck a, a memory. I was like, oh. Why is he asking if Tom is sure that that's his name, mm. if not possibly to hint that that isn't Tom's name? Yeah. Also, in the spider web, they always seem to know what Tom was going to do, possibly because they programmed him and they know how they programmed him. So they knew how he was going to react to certain things. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. I don't know. I was just talking earlier about how I don't like everything being planned out right. by the bad guy or whatever. But who knows? That episode was about them knowing what Tom was going to do. That's a possible explanation for yeah. it. The real question, though, is how much of the series does this include? I feel like in one of the commentaries, I can't remember if it was the first episode, possibly one of the others. I feel like someone implies that a big change happens when Tom went into the bathroom at the, the restaurant. It might have just been an offhanded comment. Like somebody says, like, yeah, he went into that bathroom. When he came back out, everything had changed or whatever. I... For a while, I feel like that's what I thought was the moment when the conditioning took over, but I don't know. I might be making that up entirely. I'm not sure. I don't necessarily like the idea of the whole series being unreliable, but it's possibly something interesting if that is what they intended. Like, if there were episodes that they intended you to look back and be like, this episode didn't really happen. This episode was, you know, some... If, if they were later going to call back to specific episodes and show that those episodes either didn't happen or didn't happen the way that Tom remembered, I don't know. It That might have been interesting. Maybe that's something they could have done. I do know that in an interview, Lawrence Herzog has said that if they did continue, because at this point when they made this episode, they assumed that the, the show was over. They didn't okay. plan on a second season. Yeah. However, if someone came to them later and said, hey, you guys got a second season in you? I think the the idea he said was that Tom was going to take on an, an identity, possibly take on multiple identities over the course of the show. And so it wasn't he wasn't going to be going around as Tom Vale because now he knows he isn't Tom Vale. He was going to be going around as, I don't know, in this episode, he decides that this is who he's going to be. And then maybe at some point he changes that to something else or so on. Okay. Um, I don't, not really much was said about it, but it it seems like maybe they had interesting ideas for where the show was going to go. I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, do you have any other any additional thoughts about the the end of this this show, the end of this episode, the repercussions, anything? <laughs> when you're when you're creative, when you're when you're someone who's or even if you're not working in the arts, but you but you're 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 adding something to the world that didn't exist before. You're going to be met with uh, many more people who can't imagine what you're trying to create than people who are like, oh, yeah, I can kind of picture that. Um, And so because of that, there is a huge part of being a pioneer of something where 
it kind of almost if if you're not very astute, it will seem like no matter where you turn, you will be met with someone who tells you to give up. Okay. Um, and it'll be some variation of that. People have very, very polite ways of saying you should give it up, give give up, and 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 that you know you, what you're doing isn't going to amount to anything. Um, I, and to my recollection, Lawrence Herzog was um, on in years when he was making this this show. This isn't some young, angry young man show. This is something he's he he would have had to have worked for a long time. I'm fairly certain was my understanding to to get to this point. Yeah, I think he was in his 40s or 50s. Yeah, so that's long enough to have really had to hang on to this idea and you know when you ask me <laughs> do i have any final thoughts on the show really it's just like no i'm just i'm just confused by the end of the show but but what i feel sure. like it's a very specific confusion that i can just picture the creators going yeah because it feels like you know there's somebody who uh, i i know was really awkward and was really good at making other people feel uncomfortable and one time admitted to me that like yeah i do that because (laughs) then everybody has to feel the way i feel most of the time and that's what this show feels like a little bit it feels like now you know what it feels like audience to always Mm -hmm. be met with you know oh there's no way out just give up just give up and this this last bit feels like the point of it is to make us despair i don't know if that's the case but that is what it feels like to me my gut instinct is this isn't like "Ooh, isn't that cool it's Mm -hmm. much more wow aren't you confused and shouldn't you just despair shouldn't you just give up but you'll give up but i didn't because again i feel like if it has the air of everybody's living my life but i'm the only one who's acting rationally Sure. Um, which is why Tom, Tom is always the smartest man in the room. Uh, I mean, the, the, at least that's that's what tracks for me is that that's how you get to a character that is that is out of control with competency. Uh, you know that, that that doesn't make sense in world. Um, because his superpower is that he doesn't give up. He he he, he keeps holding on, and this is a scene where he finally kind of does give up a bit and you know he's already given up by the time he's looking at the evidence being destroyed then he finds out like whoa it's even worse than he thought is even less that he can trust than 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 before and it doesn't fit like like we've talked before about um could this be written as a tragedy i got real i got real excited about the idea of like oh maybe this is the tragedy of tom Vale. like if you would just you know um, rely on something other than the strengths that have helped him out a little bit from time to time. Maybe he would get different results or something, and that it would ultimately lead to his to his downfall. This doesn't feel like a tra- this doesn't feel like a tragedy so much as it feels like a punishment to the audience. It feels, and we've talked about that where there are times where you have said it feels like a real middle finger to the audience or something where they do that. I'm like, yeah, I, yeah. I, I think it is. I think it is. Um. I don't know if that's what the ending is, but it, it it doesn't it does not feel to me like they threw this in at the last minute. Like I believe them that they that they had this planned for a very long time. Um, I I don't think they I think they were so afraid of tipping their hand about this that they just they didn't put things in um, that 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 could have justified that this is this is what it 
was in the end. I don't think they necessarily thought about it that much because there's definitely projects I had when I was early in my writing career where it was like, man, this is going to be great. And then I would talk to people and they would go, is it? And <laughs> there, and while I do think that the major problem with, with early writing is that even if you did a great job, it's very easy to not let people know that doesn't actually, that that's not always the case. There, there are still times where it's just bad. It's just not yeah. as cool as you think it is because it, it's not great to capture a gripe and turn it into 16 hours of television. Um, yeah. There's a reason that the stories that we cling to have persisted because generally speaking, the hero's journey is about not wanting to change and then having nothing left but to change. Generally speaking, you know, the dark night of the soul is a term that got popularized. A lot of people don't understand really what it means and where it applies. What it is, is it is the moment where you wish there was a way for you to get what you want. Um, and this is not conscious in the character, but without having to give something up. A lot of the stories are about sort of betting on yourself and like using pizzazz and trying to, trying to make your life work. And in the dark night of the soul, which happens 75% of the way in, it's about accepting to pay the cost of getting the life that you want and understanding that you might not even get the results now because it's sort of late in the game to be finally trying to pay the cost. In a lot of cases, it has to feel like all is lost. It has to feel like, wow, if I had freaking done this sooner or whatever, maybe I maybe I could have um, come through with a success. It has to feel like it's actually pointless. Uh, but you go ahead and you do it anyways. And like you said about characters who made the best of things still finding their way through, they find their way through. And, and that's why we celebrate that story, because basically you can't live a life that doesn't inspire you to new ideas for what your life could be uh, where those just happen. Everything that you imagine for your life, you have to build and it's going to cost you something. And, you know, in the two years that we have been doing this, my study of villains for an RPG I was working on for a role playing I was working on um, has advanced and it really feels, and I've alluded to this in one of the episodes, but it really feels like the difference is heroes and villains are people who envision something huge for their life as opposed to the rest of the world who is kind of able to settle into something. And the difference between heroes and villains is that there is a cost to be paid to build a life for yourself and villains are okay with someone else paying that cost and heroes agree to pay that cost and there's a social benefit to that being the story we tell over and over again that you will find things for your life that you want that you can't get right away but if you pay the cost you will do a better you will have a more successful life than if you try the villainy way which is forcing somebody else to pay the cost sure there's a reason we keep telling that story over and over again and this doesn't feel like an attempt to tell that lesson. It, it feels like a new morals play. It feels like it's an attempt to tell a different lesson. I don't know exactly what the lesson is, but it feels very much like it is. You were expecting to be told like you can get what you want. Ha ha. No, you can't. You have to either just give up or like fight the suffering. Like it's, it's a, it's a, it's counterculture intentionally is what it feels like. I don't think, I don't think it is thought out because when you do a new idea, it can't be that thought out. I've talked before about how some of the game design I do drives me crazy because it's so many times easier to just, if you love combat games, 
there are an mm-hmm. endless supply, a functionally endless supply of combat games that you can base little bits on. You take a little bit from here, a little bit here, a little bit from here. If you want to do a game that's based on something that is not combat oriented, there are a good number of games now. In fact, it's two years later in the two years we've been doing this, right? Uh, some some yeah. games have been added that I have found some some cool mechanics from, etc. But it is harder because you don't have such a deep library to reference from. So because there are two years more of uh, combat games too. <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely. Some of the cooler combat stuff I've done, I've done in the last two years. So mm-hmm. it's very. It is also very disheartening to try and add something new to the world while the people who are doing something conventional will succeed. Yeah. And and they'll succeed newer and better and farther and faster than you. And it's difficult to be like, I'm pretty sure I want to sit on my stump and make this thing that nobody is asking for. Because if I were to succeed, then we've extended the range of things that are possible. We've added yep. to the variety, and because of that, there will be fewer people who feel like they can't find their way in the world. There will be more things that people can connect with. Um, I, I admire the ambition that went into this. I just feel like for it to have succeeded in its time, it would have had to have been made by just a dream team of people who could have kept each other accountable in the movie um, Bohemian Rhapsody, which is about queen uh, sort of, sort of developing themselves. There's a scene where Freddie Mercury leaves the band for a while and hires. Yes, men. He hires people to do the music he wants to do. And he later comes back when he's, you know, uh, talking to the rest of the band. He says, you know, the worst part was, was they did what I told them to. There wasn't, you know, yeah. I don't remember all of the names, but it was there. So and so wasn't pushing back on this, and so and so wasn't pushing back on that. You guys were make, were taking my ideas and making sure they were good before before they actually reached the public. That's what was the alchemy of Queen, and uh, I don't think there was enough of that in this show. But the problem with that is like there wouldn't have been without really extra. It would have been an extraordinary story if this had succeeded. I don't mean, I'm sorry, yeah. I don't mean the show would have been. I mean, the creation of this would have been an extraordinary feat if it had happened. Oh, sure. Because it's so difficult when you are creating something this new to have that opposition in the ranks. Because then, like, now not only does the public not think that you're going to succeed, the people on your team are fighting with you. That's demoralizing. It takes a lot of strength of character. You have to almost build yourself specifically for receiving criticism if you're going to do something new and expect for it to succeed. And, you know, I think that is more and more common now. I think we more and more know that collaboration is an important, an important part of, of building something cool and new and that you will need voices in there that can, that can challenge you and take it in new places. I don't think that we knew that in 95, 96. And if it had happened, you know, I think it would have been, honestly, I think it would have been huge. I think if that team had come okay. together, I think it would have been like Groundhog Day or uh, uh, Ghostbusters or as both Bill Murray, I guess. I'm, but, you know, I, I think sometimes about Ghostbusters yeah. and how like that's an insane movie to exist. Yeah, because and, and I've seen a behind the scenes on it now of like the whole time, th- the whole time through, they had to double record everything because they didn't own the rights to the name Ghostbusters. There was some. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I didn't I didn't realize they had to do that. Yeah, they had to duplicate everything. Had to say ghost hunters and they had to have duplicate signs and duplicate, like it took a yeah. long time for them to get the full rights because like 
that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. I'm going to take a bunch of comedians and make them ghost <laughs> hunt. Like, what are you talking about? Obviously, after you see yeah. it, you're like, well, that's great. That's a that's a that's a gem. That's a that's a national treasure. <laughs> I'm glad this existed in the world. But even at the height of their careers, like, who's going to spend money on what do they want to do? What's the what's the movie they want to do? <laughs> So this feels like one of those minus the team that you need to, to to bring it all the way there or that just fell or maybe parts of the team were there and fell apart. You know, um, there could have been collaborators that he was hoping to work with and this just took too long and the timing didn't happen. I, I feel for the guy so much because I'm really coming down on, on I don't like this series in the end <laughs> as, a, as a piece of television. I don't dislike that we've done this, but like if that's the ending, I'm mad. Um, yeah, but I am so thankful for them having tried because that's the only way we get new things. And if they had if they had succeeded, man, it, it would have been, you know, part of the 90s. It would have been, I think, because I don't think that I don't think there's a way for this to have kind of succeeded is, is what I'm saying. I think it okay. was either going to it was either going to, you know, critically fail. It was going to fail critically uh, in terms of, of review. Um, like it did, or it would have all of the pieces come together. I, I can't imagine this kind of being a little bit better. I can only imagine some extra people got brought together and they and they just they forced each other to do phenomenal work that would stand for ages. And that that is my takeaway is you you it is bad to only have people who agree that your crazy idea is going to work. It's it's you, you have to have a variety of points of view in order to balance out the parts you like to make sure that you're building a full thing and not just the parts that, that you enjoy. Like the, the idea that they didn't like the television aspect of the television show they were doing, right? That was sort yeah. of like a one for them, one for us sort of thing where it's like, okay, we'll do, we'll do this little bit of the palm top so I can keep telling my vague stories so that I can, you know, and I, and if it had been the era of YouTube, he could have done that. He could have just sure. been telling his vague stories. I see YouTube series that are very low budget that they, you know, can be exactly what they want because they're beholden to nobody. I mm-hmm. want to see that, Gabe. I'm I'm disappointed that we didn't get to see that. The full version, the full vision of Lawrence Herzog gets to, to to control everything, and you know, where's that story? You know, it's yeah. this is all of my. Well, maybe the next episode. Well, maybe the next episode. We're done now. So now I have to just sort of be like, yeah, yeah, there are some problems on this show. You're right, Cave. There are some problems. <laughs> In the end, yeah, there's some problems here. There's some problems. Yeah. Those are my closing thoughts. Okay. Um, do you have, I, I probably should have like come up with some like end of the podcast stuff that I wanted to, to do. Uh, do you, what's your favorite episode? If you want, I can go down a list of the episodes. That is a little tricky for me to do, given the span of time. Yeah, I I know obviously the the one with Carrie Ann Moss. I have talked before that like mm-hmm. I have for two years now been referencing yeah. that episode. Um, so that's certainly the one that that stayed with me the longest. Um, I I did not mind rewatching the last episode marathon. Uh, as much as I okay. expected to, so certainly that was uh, one of them, and and I think the the is the voice the one where it gets the palm top. Is that the name of the the one where it's the whatever one? Uh, the episode is is contact. Contact. 
Um, yep. I I think when he gets the palm top, I remember that being uh, being something. Um, I know that Max Webb will stick with me uh, as yeah. as as goofy as uh, and out of place as that character was for this show. Um, I think they could have leaned into that character a lot and made him the literal devil and made a different show that would have worked a lot better. Sure. Um, I'd be down for like a, a TV miniseries about someone who finds out his entire life is being dictated on this TV show and that the writer is actually the devil. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I, I think that, I think that had some chemistry that was, that was worth exploring in a different show. Yeah. Um, loved New Phoenix, obviously. No, that's a joke. I'm so mad at that. Show. No. <laughs> Sorry. <that's... laughs> Sorry. Well, I'm, I'm going through the the list, and like I remember thinking when I first looked at uh, at at Paradise on Your Doorstep, part of me was like, "Yeah, I like that," but I was like, "No, no, no, I like the version we came up with better." <laughs> yeah so sorry when you first said that i was like yeah man i do too <laughs> no just because i know somewhere um, in my notes today and one of the two episodes i was like the question he just asked is or like the thing he said is what he should have said in new phoenix it was you know i want to know sure. everything about them or whatever and it's like why didn't you ask yeah. that in new phoenix you asshole what the hell um if i had to pick one i would probably say father i think that uh right yeah it, it was my favorite episode when we started this. And I, I, I mean, there are some other good episodes. I'll be honest. Um, I also really liked marathon. I thought marathon was a solid episode by itself. Once you stretch into the next episode, it's immediately starts becoming less good. I also remember really liking Callaway. I feel like Callaway was a, a fairly good solid episode. Yeah. And it really made me hopeful for what the last few episodes yeah. were going to be. But unfortunately, the, you know, again, when you add in more episodes and you're like, oh, that didn't go anywhere, <laughs> yeah. then it's it it starts to lose its uh, lose its luster. And I, I think guess. I'll remember the like pool shots of Calloway because those were pretty stylistic those were shots. Really good. Yeah. And I liked the relationship between him and JC when JC starts breaking down and like really examining things, um, you know, pushing to the edge of his memory what it was that he could actually remember. Like, what were you doing this time last year, etc.? Um, yeah. and I like, I do like, this is an aside, but I do like that they differentiated that the things that were done to them were different because JC's sure. memory, uh, structure was limited. Whereas Tom has had many episodes about his childhood past and this woman that he, yeah. that he you know, that he loved before Allison, who maybe that was his actual wife. You know, Allison could be oh, a complete boy. fiction. Okay. Maybe yeah. she's not dead. Maybe she's alive. Maybe that, you know it would be i mean i complained a lot in that episode i don't know for sure that that woman even existed sure 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 yeah so mm. yeah and um, if i come up with one a... i'll just hop on and we'll re-record and splice it in well so so i i feel like there was more stuff i wanted to do with this podcast i know at one point i had talked about like Possibly writing, trying to write a screenplay for what the what a a reboot mm-hmm. pilot could be. I mean, I've never written a screenplay before. I don't realistically, I don't think I will have time to learn to write a screenplay and then write a screenplay anytime in the next life. <laughs> but you know, who knows? If I ever do, I would love to to hop on here and record it or record us talking about it or something. Um, do you have a least favorite episode? Yes, I talked about that. The, my least favorite episode is the uh, 
the the gang episode. I felt like that was the one Dark that was hardest for me to feel like I understood what was going on. Um because there there are so many levels of of ways to get confused in the show already. To have a show where scene by scene I can't even track what the action is was uh okay. too much. It was it was too much. I yeah. I lost my shit on that episode because I needed to reserve my patience for I needed to understand what was going on in the scene and use my patience to go, eh, maybe there's a reason for this. So <laughs> Yeah. How are you? Yeah, that's pretty good. Yours um, is the farm, according to the number of times I've heard you bring I it mean, up. The farm episode is really bad, yes. I almost though, I almost want to say zero minus ten. Okay. The episode where he wakes up after the car accident. Yeah, there's a lot of things that because, that like yeah. It just it I feel like it serves no purpose except to be like you don't have to worry about Allison being part of Tom's concerns anymore. Right. Except for that it, then there are so many times where already Allison wasn't part of his concerns when he was boning other women. So yeah. there's no real change. I feel like zero minus 10 is probably the the worst one because I can't even laugh at it. Like I can laugh at sure. Uh, uh, the enemy within or uh, dark side of the moon. Both of those. I can, I can make a lot of goofs about those. Zero minus 10 is just like, it was so close to the end of the, the end of the show. It was right after such a good setup. And it just does nothing with it. Yeah. So I think that's probably the most disappointing episode. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, do you have any thoughts on where the show might have gone from here? If it had more episodes, what are some things maybe you would have liked to see? Uh, you should be thinking about this too. Cause you get to, cause I'm going to get to ask you on this since this doesn't exist. You should think about this while I'm thinking about this. Yeah. Okay. If you haven't like, cause this is the one time where you and I have the same amount of information. <laughs> That's oh geez, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I know what I want since you've talked about it is I want him to go retalk to his father, like you said, but not as an epilogue, but more as a he needs to figure out if that's his damn father or not. Yeah. Uh or 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 <sighs> I sure do want those satellite images for the last three years. I mean, seriously, like like th- <sighs> I would love to, I so desperately want following this, the ability for him to figure out his life more, but that does feel like it is the antithesis of the point of the show is that the evidence yeah. is destroyed. He has been shown that, that he is just as susceptible as anyone to being programmed as this, as this stuff. So, so there's no way for him to know for sure what happened in his life and what's real. Yeah. So I I guess really if I was going to do a scene of this show, I would dump the premise of the show and make it about if he can't trust who he is, what can he still get out of life? Hmm. Okay. Because I don't know how he gets the will to go. Like clearly he has lost a lot of his will by this point which is why I think it is the conclusion, why I feel like this is how they wanted the story to end is they wanted it to feel like he's just sort of got no options to move forward. So in order for him to have the ability to move forward, I think you would have to confront hopelessness. And so it would have to be, if he didn't have someone to talk to in his head before, I'd want him to have someone in his head to talk to. I would, you know yeah. what? I oof, I would love a, you know, just sort of stage play in his head, just a void in his head, right? That is, 
Allison's there, Bellamy's there, JC is there, and he just starts talking to different parts of himself in his head. It is very clearly just a construct of his mind. And I would love to see a a you know brilliantly written written play where he has given up, but he finds it, but he talks himself out of of uh hopelessness. And but he doesn't try to take the organization down to begin with. I think sure. it would be like Groundhog Day. I think I've made a lot of correlations that before where I just I, I, I think the reason we love that story is he succeeds through giving up, which like I said, is what the hero's journey is about, where you stop trying to weasel yep. your way to your success. And in Groundhog Day, he just sort of gives up and tries to live his best life. And that is what gets him forward. Mm-hmm. Since Tom has never really tried to like that's not true. There are times when he has been tempted by the idea of what if I just settle down here? Um, at this point, I feel like if he could just give up the revenge fantasy of taking on the uh, the organization and instead accept that everything he has could be fake and can be taken away and it will hurt. If he could just move into acceptance of that, into the transient nature of his life, um, I think that could be interesting. And then from that, I think if he was able to start approaching, if he had, a, I, I, I would need him to have an entirely different approach to the organization, which is that he sure. is no longer about, he can never get his life back, but maybe he can still thwart them. He can still yeah. he can still stop operations that they have going on, and I would love that through solving other people's problems, he managed to I don't know find his own way out or or still bump into information about. I don't know, man. It's the hardest. They they really <laughs> drove it as far into the ground it's as they possibly could. It's hard to follow could. this up. Yeah, yeah. So um, it does feel concluded i guess think yeah. thinking about how hard it is very hard for me to think of where it would go from here so it really you asking me that actually makes me less frustrated with the show because i actually don't know where it would go from here okay so okay. maybe there is an uncommon smarts this was smart sure. and it's in a way that i just am unfamiliar with and it has deserved its ending. I don't know. What about you? Because there's there's never been a time where you and I have had the same amount of information. So I can ask you, where would you take it, sir? Where would you go next, Gabe? Yeah. Um, I didn't think of that before asking questions. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's hard to feel like, oh, man, in season two, Tom should do this to try and take down the organization. Because I'm like, he should give up. <laughs> right, he right. should just cut his losses. Into, but that doesn't make for a good show um i'm thinking it would be cool if you know i I don't know if this is necessarily like this is what should have happened but it would be cool if maybe there was an episode or a a several episode arc where tom goes back to places from earlier in the series Mm -hmm. to try and find out what is real and what isn't yeah he goes and like maybe he goes and meets a slightly more grown-up derek Mm, yeah Maybe. I don't know. Maybe he finds out Derek wasn't actually a psychic at all. Derek doesn't recognize him. Maybe, like, they find out, oh, Tom did visit, he did go to that, like, that that present, you know, the, the psychic show, 
but he never actually met Derek. Maybe some other thing happened and somehow his, his memories of it got all jumbled up. Maybe, um, he goes to meet his father and he finds out that he did actually meet his father, but he's now like he died and I don't know. He has to try and figure out he is again left with, with, with not a conclusive idea on whether that was his real father or not Yeah, or something. I don't know. Um, another idea is maybe the first episode of the second season, Tom has given up. He has, he's started a life somewhere else. I don't know. He's working like in the Bahamas. He like works at a bar or something. He's mixing drinks, whatever. And then one day the guy from the hidden agenda episode, his friend played by Dwight Schultz shows up and is like, Hey Tom, long time. No see. Sure. Or just like someone, someone that he knows should not be alive or should not know him as Tom or something. Someone shows up after he has given up after he has just lived by himself for however long yeah. someone shows up and pulls him back in. Okay. I had thought about that too. So that's a good person for doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you're saying uh, maybe he's just working at a bar or whatever, you know what? I, I have been frustrated a little bit. I hadn't really thought about it in a while. He is a photographer. Yeah. I would love to see him be a photographer. <laughs> like if sure, he's still yeah. got, if, 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 despite all the programming, he still has the skills of a photographer, of a photojournalist. Um, even if he can never trust the validity of the, of another photograph that he takes, mm-hmm. I would love to see him just sort of, yeah, this is less of, this is less of a next episode and more of just like a sad epilogue, but like. I, I think it would be okay to, I think it'd be interesting to see him just like taking pictures of flowers up really close and he's kind of out of it. Yeah. Like that, 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 that's all that's left is he, he, they can't program whether or not this flower is beautiful. And so that's it. And so that's his whole life is reduced down to taking photographs of not people. Sure. Um, it's, it's hard to come up with an ending that is in any way better than the ending of this one, the way it's left off. The only things I can think of are worse. Yeah. So it, it is because like even if someone comes back and pulls them in, like now it feels like a different show. Yeah. Or maybe he just goes along with like it. It, it is a fascinating thing that on the other side of this moment of the, that ends the show, it no longer feels like a story. It feels like mm-hmm. I uh, performance art almost or something like it. Like it, it ceases to. I kind of get what they what what they were maybe saying, which is not. I, I was just thinking the same thing. Yeah, yeah, like like they literally can't go beyond this one now. It's not that that they they needed the mystery to keep it going. It's that like they were right about no longer being able to continue the story. They were wrong about yeah. the reason. It's not that they showed him this stuff. It's that they designed it so that Tom can't get out of it. Yeah, they they burned so many potential bridges. Yeah, he just he there's has nothing to live for him here to now. do that isn't going to make it worse. I don't know any way. <laughs> I don't know any way for him to come back from it. Yeah, it's just sort of sad. And yeah. the more we have talked about it, the more it has settled in in a way where it's like maybe that was really good. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> maybe that was really well, good. Hold on, hold on. Let's let's not get ahead of ourselves. Well, no, but dude. like, listen, the 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 it's it's like i think there's a show on netflix where they make food that looks bad but tastes good okay um where like it's not fancy like beautifully plated food but like you know 
the ingredients are right and 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 yeah. people love it or whatever. I don't know. I'm not seeing the show. I've seen trailers for what I think is a show on Netflix. <laughs> sure. Um, I think it might be that. I think it might be if it arrived at a place where we feel this sort of sadness. Um, I think it's the Kobayashi Maru. I think it's like designed to show you you're not going to win. Just accept it. I think. Um, I think it might be that, and maybe they succeeded. Cause like, until you asked me what where that would go from here, I was like, yeah, there's so much they could have done. But like now I'm thinking about, it, I'm like, no, this is a different ending. I haven't seen this before, but there's nowhere for it to go. It yeah. just is the ending. It is the sad, and it feels like a short story that was 16 hours long. Because short stories <laughs> okay. often are the place where things end like this, where things end yep. in a, a a sad, a sad place like this. All right, in interesting job, Sorry. Lawrence. I'm not going to say good <laughs> job necessarily, but interesting job, worthwhile job. I'd yeah. say worthwhile job. Uh, there you go. You know, there definitely you go. worthwhile job. All right. Well, yeah. I don't. I don't really have much else to say that hasn't been said in yeah. the like 600 hours that we've spent talking about this show. Yep. Um. But uh, you know, hey, hey, listeners, hey, hey, listener, <laughs> hey, Lisa, <laughs> hey, Lisa. I don't know uh, if there will be any more episodes of this if we ever decide to get back together to do anything else similar. You know, we came up with the script buster's name right. that I would. I'd be down for doing something else with in the future. So if we ever do, hopefully you will join us. But. Uh, I think that that's probably it. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for putting, you know, a quarter of your life into listening <laughs> you to this podcast. Thank you very much. We thank really appreciate sincere. it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's been a long ride and hopefully it was a fun one, I guess. Yeah. So I guess I am Gabe signing off. I'm Steve. All right. Well, uh, Bye, everybody. Peace out. <laughs> contact us send us an email at nowheremenpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on twitter at nowheremenpod for updates for more content created by steve go to bit.ly slash nowherewizard and if you want to hear me talk about tabletop role-playing games check out my main podcast interparty conflict found wherever podcasts are sold be sure to like share and subscribe and thanks for listening (laughs) 